Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to our Super Bowl extravaganza. This is a heck of a show. And for the second year in a row, we have put together a mega show with a plethora of guests who have joined us to break down the game, to share their thoughts, their comments, their feelings with regards to this game, uh, the season. So much great uh, stories and content, and I appreciate uh, all the people that have got involved uh, as part of this project to put together an amazing show. So sit back, relax. This is a long one, but it's well worth it. Enjoy the amazing commentary of Coach Reinbold and Nat Coombs and many other guests that have got involved and joined in. So without further ado, we're going to start conversation between myself and Lee. We're going to bring you a review of the 2021 NFL season. Got with me for this segment, a five-yard OG uh, Dolphins fan, he's repping his he's repping his <laughs> colours because one day the the, the, the Dolphins <laughs> will make the Super Bowl. It's not this year. It's probably not going to be next year, and it's probably not going to be the year after that. But at some point, the Dolphins will make the Super Bowl, and Lee is going to be representing then. So, uh, how you doing, my man? Are you all good? Yeah, doing really well. Hey, it's great to be back on with you. That's for sure. Been, know, it's been a while, been, man. It's been a while. I know we've been uh, chopping <laughs> and changing, turning out a lot of content. But we're gonna uh, we're gonna have this uh, OG style um, prep for the Super Bowl. And I thought for this segment of the show, you know, we've gone through. And I was someone asked me the other day when it comes to the 2021 season because a lot has happened. A lot has happened this season. 
isn't be remembered for in the books. And I was thinking, like, as a couple of good games, the playoffs have been really good, but the early windows in games all week have in all the weeks have been pretty poor. Um, and it's been like, mm, is there any real like meat on it? Like when you go back and look at what's happened, and I really think it'll be remembered for two things: one, COVID, and just the second year of COVID and the some of the interruptions and the changes of rules. But that's been done and, and done. We don't need to talk about it. But the other is the amount of controversies that have happened this season. And you know, I've been watching this a long time. You have as well. We both have been watching this for a number. I can't remember a year where there's been this many serious. And I mean, really serious. You've always had the odd one. Yeah. There's always been a oh, weird firing or a weird player incident. And we've had, you know, some really horrible player incidents that have happened over the years. But I can't remember this huge volume involving not just players, but coaches, players, owners, entire franchises, the NFL itself. I mean, I that's what, for me, I think it'd be remembered for. So I want to go through some of these controversies because I want to doc- – if nothing else, I just want to document this because when I play this back to my kid in 20 years and he says, what was what was that year about? I was like, well, <laughs> don't worry, son. I recorded it for you. <laughs> um, and it was a lot. I didn't really know where to start. So I, I, I'm kind of going to move the order a little bit because um, let's start with the Washington football team. Um. We'll start with it because I'm going to try and do this in chronological order. So in the summer, before the season started, the Washington football team, um, there was an investigation into behaviours and practices that had occurred there involving misconduct, uh, inappropriate sexual conduct and behaviours, sexual harassment claims, uh, and everything that kind of occurred um, there. And then it resulted in Dan Schneider not being the head of the team anymore, but instead now his wife was head of the team. And it kind of got swept under the rug, this whole thing. Like, in terms of for you, because obviously I know with the Dolphins, obviously you've had that change of ownership and you've had an owner that is polarizing. You know, some really like (laughs) Stephen Ross, some really don't. When it comes to the the Washington football team or the Washington commanders, as we should now call them, I suppose, but at the time they were the Washington football team, um, just that whole process was weird. It just was done in the summer. It was just like, oh, nothing happens, nothing happens. Oh, okay. So now Dan Snyder doesn't control the team. His wife does, but he still kind of owns the team. It's bizarre, right? The, the, the NFL has a wonderful way of, if if they can't outright just completely move it outside of the NFL sphere, like with some of the player incidents that we'll get onto, those players get cut, they go into legal situations, but they're away from the league, so we can kind of pretend that hasn't happened or we were nothing to do with it. With, with stuff like this, they're very good at just kind of like, we'll just kind of put that on the back burner, let it fade into the distance because, you know, um, I don't want to, I don't want to get off, um, the Washington football team or, or, or Dan Schneider. But, you know, in regards to the Dolphins and what's happened this week, they, everyone's up in arms as it happens. Oh, he's going to have to sell the team. No. If you look back at the history of the NFL, there is a there is a good chance that these things kind of just kind of drift off into the distance. Something will happen and they'll just move on. Like there'll be a Super yeah. Bowl next week and a lot of stuff will get moved on. And that kind of happened in the, in the summer. Like you say, 
nothing really came of it. Like a, a change of, of of who controls the team. I don't want to say is that a token gesture. But is is that do, do, do we really believe that's actually made a difference or has made a fundamental difference to the way the team is run? But more importantly, where what's what's the punishment for this? You know, incredibly bad behavior. I, I think, think that makes a, you sound like a child, but you know what I mean. No, no, no. I, th- I think there was a fine in there, and then they had to open their books <laughs> and everything. Um, but yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a great deal. And and listen, you know, you have to look at is as you say, the NFL is thirty two of the richest people in the world who own teams, and at the end of the day, those thirty two owners own the league. They pay the commissioners' wages. They pay for everything <laughs> that happens. The only time you're going to get an owner go is what happened in Carolina where you have an owner that's so bad, so deep rooted and corrupt in so many different ways and levels on a criminal level and on a personal level that it has to be done. Um, We, I mean, we have some people that are very morally questionable people running these teams. (laughs) You know, we look at Stan Kroenke. In fact, this is something we haven't even put in the sheet, but let's touch it with Stan Kroenke moved the St. Louis Rams to LA and he loses the court case and he has to pay out $790 million to the people of St. Louis. And then he turned around to hush, hush and get this all done, told all the other owners, he would indemnify them and say, well, I will cover all the costs of the settlement and the legal fees up to the point. If we're found guilty of this now by his verbal commitment or written agreement, I don't know what agreement was, He's on the hook for seven hundred ninety million plus whatever fees uh, were due on that, and then the day after the judgment, he's trying to get out of it. So mm, no, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. No, 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 no. And and that, that's the kind of people we're dealing with. And I think with Dan Schneider, what we know with Dan Schneider is he just doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't have to care what people think when you won't have that much money. Um, you know, we've got we've got ownership there, and, and to be perfectly honest with you. He would have got away with it completely. Like this would not have been a thing had it just ended in July. Like he just honest, ends up. I was really hoping you were going to say if it wasn't for those meddling kids. But <laughs> go on, go on, continue. But no, but he was going to. Obviously, they they got. I wouldn't say they got away with it because they really. Hopefully, the culture changes. I know with Ron Rivera there, um, that culture will change. He has a lot more power and influence, and he will stamp out that kind of behavior. And all reports say that that behavior has changed. These were historical claims etc and then it all dies off and then john gruden then the emails with john gruden he emails people in the washington football team washington commanders organization and these emails come out um basically a few games into the season and you know the raiders are rolling at this point you know they're they're they've won some games they're on a roll and then all of a sudden, these emails, and these are emails when John Gruden didn't work at the Raiders. They came out when he where he wrote them when he was an analyst for ESPN. So he wasn't actually part of the NFL uh, at that time. And he wrote some pretty horrible things about uh, Morris uh, Smith, who was yeah, the head of the NFL uh, MPA. Um, and, yeah, PA and... Um, and then he, he said some things about Roger Goodell. I'm not going to repeat them for the sake of this. Feel free to go and uh, look them up. Um, obviously very questionable. And 
you know, for me, this was strange because you got one set of emails get leaked, and it happened to be when uh, the worst uh, election to be the new or to basically to keep his job as the head of the NFL's player association rep. And it looked like he wasn't actually going to win. He wasn't going to get enough votes. And then these emails get leaked by somebody. We don't know who I, you know, conjecture would suggest it was someone in the NFL office who would have done this, but we don't know for sure. And then all of a sudden, he gets enough votes to win because he's given the benefit. Oh, you've had to be dealing with this and uh, all this language. Fine. We'll give you another sort of four or five years. And then Gruden stands defiantly. So I'm not leaving my job, whatever. And then more emails get leaked on Sunday night football. And then he leaves um, during Monday night football. He resigns. And then afterwards decides to sue the NFL because he believes the NFL have done this to get him out of a job and what's bizarre is because of the fact it involved the washington football team and he was communicating with um bruce allen and 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 executives there in washington everyone went oh yeah what actually happened with the washington team (laughs) and all of a sudden all that (laughs) You know, under the rug, and it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've we've hidden it away. Someone's just pulled a little thread, just, and just, all of a sudden, just look underneath and see it's still there. And it's like, oh my word! And now there's congressional hearings. There's an investigation into what has happened, why the results and the judgments were the way they were. What did the NFL know? And it's you know, it's kind of all come full circle. It's very. It's just a bizarre situation. And Gruden, you know, Gruden's done in the NFL. He's never going to come back. And I don't think it's a loss. I mean, it's a loss of a personality, but it's not a loss. I mean, what he said was deplorable and he doesn't deserve a job. But also, you know, he's revered as this amazing, innovative coach. And what he isn't is an innovative coach. (laughs) Yeah. He's a pretty average coach whose Super Bowl win came because the other team ran his playbook. But, I mean, for you, the whole Gruden thing and the NFL and, and what they did to the Raiders. I mean, what are your what are your general feelings and takes about how that kind of all went down? Because it was just bizarre. It just all happened so quickly. Yeah, I mean, say so I think it plays into the fact that they they the NFL are great at manipulating situations to try and to to benefit and protect themselves. And I'll be honest, like you said, you've got thirty two billionaires owning football teams. Are we surprised that billionaires are somewhat morally ambiguous at times? Like this is not, is you know, it's not a surprise. Um, they're used to getting their own way. They're used to getting what they want and operating in a in a kind of in a smaller circle. You know, in a different world to to me and you. Do you know what I mean? You know, for John Gruden can sue all, all he wants. If you wrote the emails, you were in the wrong. There's no. You know, it's a very, you know, the fact that it got leaked is is bad, but you also, sh- you should never have written them. There's, you can't defend that. So, you know, and it's it's always, um, it seems like if there's enough finger pointing, then we'll forget what's actually going on and just kind of move on. Like, just buy time until something worse happens, whether it's something globally that just takes people's focus or whatever. But it always seems to be, we'll just kind of like ride it out. Mm. I think my only issue is I would like to know who leaked them. Not so much because 
I care about John Gruden winning his case and getting his money back. Like, whatever. I don't know. John Gruden is John Gruden. Like, he doesn't deserve, as you say, what he did was deplorable. He doesn't deserve his job. There is a small smidge of me that, that is sympathetic towards him only because he was targeted for a, a hatchet job. You know, someone had these emails for years. They were part of, they were found as part of the NFL's investigation into the Washington football team. So the NFL knew, Roger Cadell knew, everyone involved in that organization knew that these emails existed. And it posed to me two questions. One, if if you were so anti it, like the NFL were, if they leaked it, why didn't they leak them or publicize it sooner or put pressure on Al Davis to say, um, you need to... You know, you need to get everybody in line. This is what we know. This is what we have. We will go public with it. But basically, John needs to go, which is fine. I think whatever it is, what it is. Like, uh, if you need if you need him to go because you don't want those morals and ethical standards, and you're risking a leak, then fair enough. I don't have a problem doing it all on the quiet as long as the results the same. And then the second thing is. I highly doubt that in all of the information they got off the Washington football team's servers <laughs> that, that John Gruden is the only one that ever wrote anything that was inappropriate. No. So my my question is, one, why was it released when it was released? Um, well, obviously the Demora Smith uh, aspect of it highly charges it and makes it a thing. So then my next thing is, well, then who leaked it? Because if it's the NFL, if I was the Raiders right now, and I could prove that the NFL leaked these, I would sue the NFL because they were put at a significantly uh, a significant disadvantage from a competition perspective. You know, if you had a problem with this, you sat on this information for 18 months, two years, however long you had this information, and then you you chose a vehicle mid-season to deploy this. That doesn't sit like that doesn't work, and then now this is why the Washington thing is all stirred up. Because what else are people covering up? Because obviously you had these emails from Gruden. What else is in there that people are hiding? So you know, I think I think for the Raiders, they were the victims of this this whole thing. You know, if you if you look at the price paid from the Washington football team debacle and investigation. The Raiders have paid a much bigger price than oh, yeah. the Washington football sure. team. And they, the guy who was responsible was not part of the Raiders organization when at it the happened. time. It's, 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 it does seem like the NFL does like to, to play God a little bit. <laughs> it when, when, it's, when it's unnecessary, like even if you'd found those, like you say, that could have been dealt with at the time. It could have been dealt with in the offseason. It could have been dealt with any time. But, like, you know, if you're a Raiders fan, you'd say, we, we we could have been deep in the playoffs if we hadn't had the upheaval of losing our coach. Like doesn't you know? I'm not again. Like you said, I'm not defending John Gruden, no. but the, the timing is suspicious. But I do also think the NFL like to do things where it's like, oh look, we're taking a stand. Look at us and how great we are. Like, we're taking a stand against this guy because he's racist. Yeah, do, just we... ignore everything else we're doing. But yeah, but all it did was it blew up in their faces because now all of a sudden you've got the Washington football team investigation, which had gone away. No one was talking about it. No one cared. The league had moved on. Everyone went, well, wait a minute. 
whoa, 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 whoa. What else is in there? Because now I'm curious. Now I want to know. Now that head coaches are losing their jobs over what is in that stack of documents, how are they getting leaked? Who is leaking them? And what is in there? Because now, now it's a public interest story. So I, I feel for the Raiders. And, you know, they went through their own trials and tribulations because not only did they lose John Gruden, but then um, with the sad news of a couple of weeks later, uh, Henry Ruggs being involved in a high-speed traffic collision which unfortunately took the life of a young individual. Um, he was over the limit, significantly over the limit, and he was driving that car over 100 miles an hour. Um, he was being charged. Um, my understanding is I don't think... Is Ruggs, Ruggs was released. Yeah, he was released, wasn't he? was he? released, yeah. So at the end of the day, he was released, uh, and not a lot has been said since. Obviously, he'll go through his own... Right. criminal because it, investigation because then it's not our problem we, yeah. he's released out of the league and now we can kind of like hey look at all the great stuff we do over here don't ignore mm. you know this I mean they, they, look, from a uh, from the player's point of view there's no excuse you get paid too much money to be driving a car under the influence just there's no excuse sorry if you'd phoned someone at the Raiders they would have sorted out getting you home like there's a there's a million things you could have done, and he knows that. Well, they like, they have they have cards given to them by people in the facility where they can ring people, and and this is you know we've seen some incidents already with the Raiders. They lost uh, Damon Arnett from the yep. franchise. Uh, his was slightly different. It was uh, boasting and holding guns and threatening violence with with yep. firearms, which was just bizarre. Um, and then he went, so he was a former first-round pick. So you had two first-round picks in the same draft. Or in, yep. Um, were both uh, who were both left. Actually, I think they were different drafts because I think Ruggs was part of that. Oh, no, they were the same draft. So the two first-round picks in the same draft who were basically cut away from the franchise for behavioural issues and for different behavioural issues. <laughs> but this is, I think, in Vegas – You've got to find a way to police these young men because you know, Henry Ruggs is what a twenty-three-year-old man, and I'm not saying the Raiders are fully responsible here because they've put safeguards in place against Ruggs, yep. but ultimately they're not enough. No, I mean I, this isn't going to sound fair, but it's it's my honest opinion. The the NFL has asked has partly asked for this. You put a team in Vegas if you didn't expect bad things to happen, you're insane, and Yes, they should know better, but we we know how 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 temptation gets to play, especially in off season stuff like that. We've seen other instances of, of um, players getting caught driving too fast and under the influence for the Raiders as well in Vegas. Mm. You know, this is not the first time. Um, certain places just seem to elicit this behaviour from people, and you know they wanted to get a team in Vegas. Well, you have to accept that the, the temptations are there. Like it, it doesn't get called Sin City for no reason. People have this; it's completely wrong. But people have this kind of feeling that it's okay to do what I want in Vegas because it's Vegas, baby. They, the and that's, line, but that's not yeah. the way it is. No, the tagline is "What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas," you know. Um, and it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy that bad stuff will happen, you know. And yeah. I, I know that's not a good enough reason, but for me, you know, that's kind of stuff that you expect when you move a team to Vegas. It's just. It is. I worry yeah. about players when they come to Miami for the same reasons. Yeah. There's plenty of places to party. Do you know there what I mean? Is. There's plenty of easy ways to get in a lot of trouble. 
There's a few places, you know, you talk about exactly. the Jets and the Giants, you know, they're right on the, the border of Atlantic City, they're in Jersey, um, you know, that's not too difficult, you know, you've got some places where um, there are some lights, there are some places where, where people can get into trouble, and then you've got other places like Green Bay, Wisconsin, where absolutely nothing happens, um, and it's it's one of those things, I think, you know, as you say, you've got to expect it, but you've got to manage it in a way, and I think the NFL has with the rug situation it has highlighted the severe weakness that when you're going to put 21 22 23 year olds fresh out of college with no you know their only responsibility is their job um and that which only happens for a small part of the year exactly that and even in season you know you know if you're if you've got a home game or a bye week you know you've got a lot of downtime as, as a professional um and I think things have to be done to ensure that these sorts of things don't happen. But, you know, unfortunately, someone lost their life. Um, Henry Ruggs will more than likely go to jail for what he did. Um, I thought Derek Carr was was brilliant in this, where he wasn't defending the actions of Henry Ruggs, but he was trying to say, you know, he's he's a teammate or was a teammate and he's a friend he's- and... He- and he's, he's still someone, a person. Yeah, and he's a we person who's mistakes. made a mistake. You know, we any of us could make the same mistake. You know, yeah. not trying to pick on him because he plays in the NFL. Like he's a normal person, like me, you, or anyone else. You know, who's, who's listening to this podcast. You know, it's, people make mistakes, and you still have to. You know, it's still it's still a guy he was friends with twenty four hours earlier. It doesn't you know you don't suddenly go say, well, I don't know that guy because because he's done something bad. That's not the way it works. You know, so but. I thought he said, you know, Derek Carr came out like a true leader. He was he was articulate and, and got his point across and, you know, was the face of a franchise whilst they were going through some terrible stuff. He really was. He stepped up um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a tragic thing that happened, but I really hope that lessons get learned from it and steps are taken to ensure that these sorts of things don't happen um, again. Moving on to another controversy, and I don't think this is one that anyone's going to forget in a, in a hurry, and it's just the absolute calamity of, of Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> and anybody who knows me... <laughs> now, listen, I, I predicted this to go in flames. I knew it would all... I knew it would all end in tears, and I knew it would all end spectacularly. Even I couldn't predict how spectacularly it would collapse for Urban Meyer... Um, because listen, I've I, I I've watched Urban Meyer teams for what fifteen years, maybe close to that, fourteen fifteen years. I I know people who have been in Urban Meyer uh, teams. I know people who have been coached by Urban Meyer, and he's not a good guy. You know, when I say he's not a good guy, and I said this months and months ago, I wasn't saying it because I just didn't like the guy. I'm saying it because I know he's a he's a bad dude. He has a, a long it's a history. He's a long history. It's not a, it's not a just one or two incidents. This guy should never have been hired in the NFL. Um, people thought that and was not- crazy for saying that, and and then we get the incidents that happened, and there was more than one, which kind of say it all. I mean, the, inc- the stuff that you're talking about in the past, they're not minor things. Absolutely not. They're, they're, you know, these these are major things. This is a guy who shouldn't be shouldn't be employed. But again, for some reason, we have this 
this thing where a little bit of time passes and you go, oh, well, he was a great coach in college because he won. So that's like kind of overrides everything else. And like, no, that's, that's not right. Sorry. He wasn't a great coach. He wasn't <laughs> a great coach. This is what, this is what I don't understand. Right. Is he's not, he was never a good coach. People say, well, he won. He was yes. a great recruiter. He recruited brilliant <laughs> players. He told people and their families what they wanted to hear. That is what he did. He was an excellent person at recruiting. If you could employ him to be a U.S. Army recruiter, you'd have a whole ton of recruits. Like, this man is probably the best recruiter, other than maybe like Nick Saban, in college football history. He was able to get people, five-star recruits, decommit from schools to, uh, to go to his schools. And he was able to get the best of the best year after year. I mean, he always had top two, top three ranked recruitment classes. But this man in college, you know, th th there's a long line of things. We're going to stick to what is in the public record, which is he, his coaches beat up players in a racially motivated incident uh, at Florida. Um, his Florida teams had the most arrested <laughs> players in the country not to mention that he bribed all of the county police if his players were called here's some money please don't press charges uh unless you absolutely have to give me a call and i will square it so you're not just talking about he had the highest arrest records of his players but how many more were, <laughs> he had that was bribing them exactly and he was bribing them so how many more were let off because of the fact that he was paying police officers for the small nickel and dime bar fights. You know, the stuff that isn't, you know, it, it's criminal damage or whatever, and, and it's criminal affairs, but they're the smaller, petty, kind of, you go to court, you pay a fine kind of stuff. But, it, but it's the sort of behavior that, that tells you, I can get away with this, and that's exactly what escalates that. to the big stuff and the stuff that there's no coming back from. Yeah. I mean, you had Nick Bosa. So Nick Bosa... You're talking about one of the great recruits in recent draft classes. Um, you know, he sat out. He refused to train at the Ohio State facility when he sat out. He refused to go and do his draft prep there because he absolutely wanted nothing to do with Urban Meyer and his coaching staff. I mean, that tells you everything. A guy of Nick Caller, uh, Nick uh, Bosa yep. went two overall in the draft. I mean, you're talking about someone who just went, no, no, thanks. Wash my hands. You know, Urban Meyer knew that his assistant coach was physically abusing his wife. Uh, him and his wife knew about it. Uh, him and his wife did not come forward and forward this information. Then it was leaked via a text message because they'd had a text message conversation. That conversation went out. Uh, that's why Urban Meyer, in the, his final season at Ohio State, got a four-game ban, and then he didn't return due to health oh, reasons, really? the old stress health reasons that he left Florida because I get these headaches and these things, and I can't... No, listen, he might have some of that. I'm not going to say he's a, a pathological liar here, but two and two doesn't make four in this instant <laughs> you know so all this happened before he comes to the nfl anyway he comes comes to the nfl first thing he does is he hires somebody 
with a pretty deplorable past um, with racist activity and behavior, a tight ends coach. So within two days of hiring someone, he has to dismiss them. And it's one of his first hires as part of the franchise. And by then red, red flags should be ringing, but Hey, they don't. And then he gets to week four and he jumps on, he, he goes back to Ohio. They play Cincinnati. Um, they lose. And then um, he decides to stay behind. So he doesn't get on the team plane. He says, well, I'm from here. I'm going to have a night out here. And he gets pictured with a lady dancing on his lap. Now, he is a married individual, as I've mentioned. Um, but the art comes out the next day. And it's not It's not a good look. <laughs> it's just not a good look. I mean, the, the, it, I, obviously, I'm not an NFL player. I've never played for American football. That's like, I'm going to be upfront with that. But if, if I was a part of any team where, where the manager, the head coach decided to just leave you to go home on your own, like, no, sorry, mate. That, that just ain't, that's not it, chief. Like, uh, it's one of those things, right? Had they won the game or if they were winning and he'd been there a long time, let's say he'd been the coach for yeah. 15 years. Let's say we're talking about Mike Tomlin, right? Mike Tomlin, he's been with the Steelers forever. He's won Super Bowls. You know, if Mike Tomlin did that and he didn't get caught, maybe pictures, but, but if he got, if he decided I'm going to stay somewhere for a night, I wouldn't question it because you know what? He's bought the currency to do it. Exactly. Urban Meyer was four games into his tenure. His team were 0-4. They had a historical losing culture. And it's things like that that, you know, for me, should be fired there. Like, your priorities are not straight here. They're not straight. You have to turn the culture around. And he he lost the locker room with that incident. He absolutely lost it. But I suppose, as, as you pointed out earlier, he, he did also get onto the Jags all-time winning list as a coach. So like, maybe he knew what he was doing. I mean, he, he is got the fifth most amount of wins in the Jags franchise history. Unfortunately, it probably two. tells you more about poor decision-making at a higher level than, uh, than just him. But like, I mean, it's, it's shocking, but he survives, you know, he survives. Then uh, they get a win in London. Um, sorry, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. It's okay. Uh, you know, you were you were one of Urban Meyer's two uh, NFL victories, and then and then um, the story comes out, which I mean, it has a funny tone to it, but it's absolutely not funny. Is a story comes out from the Athletic? It comes out from uh, Rick Stroud, actually. Um, who covers the Tampa Bay Times is actually uh, someone who I know. Um, and he tells the story that Josh Lambeau, who was cut in the preseason, uh, was kicked and ridiculed by Urban Meyer. So Urban Meyer literally kicked the kicker. Um, and he was dismissed not long after that. I don't think it was a shock. Uh, he was going to go at the end of the season, I think, anyway. I think Shad Khan had made it clear this was not the guy. Trevor Lawrence looked poor, I think, is is fair. And it's I don't blame Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think he was coached. Um, but, yeah, kicking a kicker. Like, literally just kicking anybody and belittling him. <laughs> in, in, it's just 
the the behaviour of the man to think that this is a guy who's won one NFL. In fact, at that point, won nothing. He done nothing in the NFL, literally not a thing. And he has the audacity to go up to a professional NFL player and ridicule him, mock him, talk to him like an absolute piece of SHIT, and then kick him, physically kick him, to where Josh Lambeau said, listen, it wasn't like a 10, but it, it hurt a bit. I mean, that's right. outrageous. Let's get it clear, right? You shouldn't be kicking anybody, regardless of who you are. No. You shouldn't be kicking people. That's that's just a like basic human decency. You don't kick other people, like. And it, it shines the light that if he did this in his first season, in fact, first off season, he hadn't even coached an yeah. NFL game. He did this to kids. He did this to to, to yeah. bare adults, just barely adults. First time away from home. Absolutely. No, no doubt in my mind he did this in, in college. I mean, just a despicable human being. And he, he's gone from the NFL now. But we had that that incident. And then, as always, you can't have controversy in the NFL without Antonio Brown. <laughs> and Antonio Brown seemed to have a very good 2020. Yes, he had to serve eight games for um, some misdemeanors and things that he settled. He comes onto the Buccaneers roster and he literally is a model citizen. Model citizen does nothing wrong, wins a ring. Then we get two incidents with AB. The first, again broken by uh, my good friend Rick Stroud, is that him and Mike Edwards fake vaccination cards. So they say they were vaccinated when they weren't. Now, the Buccaneers story on this was, well we believe he was vaccinated and i truly believe at some point he was vaccinated i think there was a time pre-season when they submitted and bought these cards and this all came out because he didn't pay his chef (laughs) he didn't pay his chef 10 grand you gotta pay the right people man gotta pay gotta pay the man that feeds you listen that's the first person you pay that's the one with the axe to grind um didn't pay a chef 10 grand and this guy this chef tried to get the money out didn't happen he went well do you know what i'm gonna bury you this story comes out that he's done the vaccination cards him and mike edwards get a three-game suspension but the full belief was there was a period where they got these vaccination cards to avoid getting vaccinated so that they didn't have to adhere to the protocols of the unvaccinated in the nfl but at some point, they then got vaccinated, but then didn't tell anybody because obviously they'd submitted the vaccine. We've now gone too far, so then yeah. we can't go back and tell you that we'd lied in the first place. Correct. So, I mean, uh, and that's just, and then we get what happened in week 17, which I'm not convinced we'll ever see this again, where he is complaining that he is not getting the ball enough to get his performance incentives, which given the fact that he, because of his vaccination <laughs> debacle, he'd been fined 800 grand um, in wages. So these incentives were going to total and basically pay for the fine that he's had to pay um, and a little bit more. And he was obviously itching and scratching for this money um, and then basically was asked to enter a game. He didn't. He kicked off. He refused to go into the game. There was a a verbal altercation between him and the coaching staff and Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians fired him in the middle of the game. And he basically took his top off. He he said, I can't play. I'm I'm hurt. I have an ankle injury. 
whilst running off the field, uh, doing jumping jacks <laughs> into the crowd. I mean, it's and then he just leaves. So he just goes. He leaves the stadium. He obviously this isn't in Tampa. He's he's in <laughs> Jersey. So he got there on the team bus and the team plane. He didn't come back on the team plane. So. I just think of all the things I've ever seen in the NFL, this might be the most bizarre. Yeah, I mean, to to be honest, it, it's not a surprise solely because he got the ring the year before, and that was the incentive no. to to behave. And once that happened, you you knew, you know, little angel, little devil on his shoulder. You knew the devil was getting bigger because he's, you know, unfortunately, it's part of his character. Um, and it's a shame because it takes away from what is a terrific NFL player. Like you know, oh yeah. But let's be honest. You, it, the guy is a special, special player, but, but he's going to be remembered for the for the crap. He's going to be remembered for the the, the nonsense stuff, which is a real shame. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think it's it's one of those ironies where getting the ring was the worst thing because mm. it, it kind of I think that was the incentive to to behave. Uh, I've, then, wa- then... I've watched some of his interviews since, and a lot of, it's a lot of rambling. <laughs> Makes no sense. He basically, he basically then throws Tom Brady under the bus, who was the person who defended him and basically reignited his NFL career. And he said, Oh, he can't do anything without me, and all this. And I just, you know, he's an individual now. He's burned his career. And, and people are saying, Oh, well, someone's going to take a chance on him. I just don't think they will. I just don't think anyone will. You know, if, if you're going to walk out on a playoff team, because by week 17, the Buccaneers had secured yep. their playoff spot. So you knew they were going into the playoffs. And you're sitting there thinking, like, it's the NFC. If you can get through the Rams and the Packers, you probably got a good shot. And like, hey, yeah, they they were a Super Bowl contender. For, you know, they, yeah. that's defending champs, and they'd already made the playoffs. Like, you're a contender. That's that's the yeah. way it is. I mean, but it, it's a crazy thing. If someone um, if someone is stupid enough to give him a chance, then they deserve exactly what they'll get, which is what the Raiders got. What eventually the Bucks. Do you know what I mean? Like. You know. And in any other year, that probably would be the one memorable moment of the entire year because it's memed, it's out there. Yeah, that barely scratches the top five. You know, there's a couple <laughs> more going to rattle through quickly because they're minor in the grand scheme of things, and we've covered them. And I kind of want to get onto other stuff. Um, the first is is Aaron Rodgers faking his vaccination status by telling the media that he was vaccinated. Um, and he used those words, uh, or no, sorry, he used the words, I have been immunized. Yeah. Um, didn't use the words vaccinated. He said, I, I am immunized, which any person in the world will interpret that he has had the vaccination. Yeah, he did course. not. He believed in a different uh, treatment. He said he was allergic to some of the things in the Johnson and & Johnson and, and some of the other stuff he couldn't have. Or whatever. Listen, by the by, I don't really care, but he broke pro- COVID protocols rather than getting fined, uh, sorry, rather than getting suspended like other players who faked vaccination cards, and rather than take the heat of people like Kirk Cousins, who were very vocal that they were not going to get um, vaccinated, he went around without masks, did not follow the rules, um, and put journalists potentially at risk. And this only came out when he got COVID and realized that actually he had to um, stay out for 10 days under the old COVID rules that changed. So that was one. The other, the, o- the o- overtime rule came up again in one of the greatest games in the NFL's ever seen, the the, pay, uh, the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, Josh Allen, and we'll get to Josh Allen in a bit, um, doesn't get the ball back. Chiefs win the game. 
I mean, that's a debate I think will end this year. I think they will end this debacle and, and fix the overtime rule. I really hope so. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, to be honest, I've hated this overtime rule since it was changed. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't... I, I never really understood the, the when when they changed from before where you could go to a double overtime. Like, that's what it takes to win to get a winner. Like, mm. let, let's do that. That just makes more sense. Um I think both teams should have the ball. I just that just makes sense. I don't I don't understand why that's such a big deal. No. That you know, um, I, I don't know. It seems like they were trying to trying to fix something and kind of overcorrected in the other direction. But let let's hope they see some some sense some sense now. But in regards to to the game itself, you you knew what the you know we knew what the overtime rules were going into that game. It's unfortunate, but you had other chances to win the game beforehand. Like it, that, that's just the mm. way it is. Like. Unfortunately, you just got to suck it up. But yeah. let's let's change it going forward so we don't get it again. Yeah, not if we're going to have a great spectacle like that. Absolutely. Exactly. But yeah, the last one, and this is the controversy that's been coming out in 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 the recent days. This broke um, just under a week ago, and and it's good that you're here because <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you can help. Is is this basically Brian Flores is suing the NFL now? Obviously, at time of recording. Um, we're recording this on Monday night. This isn't being resolved. I can't imagine this will be resolved before the Super Bowl anyway. It's too complex uh, a matter. Um, this is on the same day that it looks like Lovey Smith is going to get the um, the Tech. Houston job, which will turn the minorities, blank minority coaches, from I think it's, what, two to three in the NFL. It's Ron Rivera. Um most oh sorry um Robert Salah Mike McDaniel well offensive coordinator I'm talking about actual head coaches oh yeah because he's going to be hired he has been hired yeah okay so he, he, has he was hired he was hired late last night he's actually literally just touched down in Miami to sign the deal to get everything done okay so Mike McDaniel okay so we're going to see some more so it is changing there's still a couple of jobs but, yeah. out there but obviously Brian Flores is alleging that uh there were some processes that were uh heavily unfair uh due to him, due to race um which and he is claiming that's why he lost his job but also that he was not given a fair um interview uh, treatment at the broncos and at the giants now you're more to this because this is your coach <laughs> this is your guy than, than i am so what what is the fundamentals of his case and more importantly, do you think he has a chance of being successful? Um, it, it's it's really complex. Like, like I'm not going to pretend to be no. a legal mind, but the but the, the crux of it is he doesn't believe that he was given a fair interview by the Broncos before he got the Dolphins job, and he doesn't believe that the the interview process was correct in New York with the Giants before not getting the job. Um, in the last, what was it, 10 days or so, when, whenever Brian Dable was announced as, as a coach there, based on messages he received by accident from Bill Belichick, which is a bizarre situation in itself. Now, yeah. the, the Dolphin stuff is really interesting because it kind of sits in this weird space where he's not exactly alleging that he was let go based on a racial reason, but try, kind of tying it in because what he's alleging Miami have done is try to bribe him to lose games. Mm. But I don't believe that he's actually stating that that was based on his race. 
but he's saying that it's a, you know that's not right. You shouldn't be bribing a coach to to lose games. So yeah. I think it, it, there's there's some really tricky issues. I think the I, I saw his interview the other day on CBS. I mean, he he says that he tried to come out a week before to the news, um, and they weren't interested. After the the papers were officially filed, then of course he was doing the media rounds. Amazing how people take you more seriously once it's out, Involved. which you know, which is which is kind of crazy. I mean, I, I think he's definitely got a point about the the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule is is a, is a great rule in in principle, but it's very very hard to enforce people to take it seriously. And I can understand how this could happen, and it's wrong, but I can see how it could happen. You know, he's saying that the Giants may have interviewed him to tick a box, mm. and you can see how that happens because the rule is in place. But I can't force I can't force a team and ownership to take a candidate seriously of any race or, or any background, but the rule's got great intentions. I just think it's very hard to actually enforce. And I think he does have a case. But I think, I think, uh, do we really believe that the Giants have interviewed Brian Flores, who has led the Dolphins to back-to-back winning seasons? Do we really believe that he was there to tick a box? I, I just don't, I don't so, buy that. I think there's easier. We, we need to go back. There's easy, yeah, there's easy we, coaches. We to, yeah, we need to go back a little bit further, right? So about three weeks before the end of the season, I was told by someone inside the Dolphins organization, this guy's not long for this job because of the way he treats people inside the organization. Yeah, and that two prominent free agents for the Dolphins, maybe not prominent in the in the grand scheme of the NFL, but but big free agents, they said, we will not come back for any money all the time that guy is the head coach because of the way he was treating people. So he was, part of the reason he was let go in Miami was solely for the way he treated other people. It's a, it's a very bizarre, and that that was before he got fired. You know, it'd be easy to say that, mm. you know, trying to defend the Dolphins now. That's that's not it, you know. Well, that, and there's there's a lot of speculation out there in the public domain that, uh, the way that he handled the two entourage and, and two in particular, um, that relationship was heavily fractured um, between coach and quarterback that the GM basically had to decide, do we go with the quarterback who is under contract and who we've drafted and who we believe can be the franchise quarterback and who had played well in the second half of the season. We can talk about the strength of schedule and I, listen, I've ragged yep. on it that they didn't play anyone big, but you have to win those games to, you a still one have to win. Those, That's right. And to a one, those games, you know, as, as much as we want to sit here and say that he, he had an easier schedule. He still won the games. He's proven that he is at, at worst. He's a middle of the road. Quarterback. He's a capable NFL quarterback. Yeah, so he's, the... a to- he's a top. He's right. a top eighteen quarterback. So you have to say that he is there at the minimum, hmm. with the potential under the right system to potentially progress. Now, you can. You have to say, well, we're going to take that guy who we got under contract, who we drafted fifth overall, who we spent this draft capital on, and not just that, but picking Jalen Waddle, who is his wide receiver, and all of these things. You know, everything is pointed to the franchise are backed to her. Or you have the head coach, who on one side has led the team to back to back winning seasons, did not take them to the playoffs either time, but also has all these other things you mentioned with the with the free agents, you've mentioned with the quarterback. Yep. You know, you can't have both. That, it, it, I think it got to a point where you couldn't have coach and quarterback anymore. The Deshaun Watson, Tua not being a captain, you know, he was the only starting quarterback in the NFL of significance. And I mean of significance because a couple of teams 
don't have a court, they have a rolling captain. Yep. So that goes around. And a couple have people like, um, you know, rookies who aren't going to be captains. Some of them aren't going to be captains, like Justin Fields, who wasn't the starter, Trey Lansing, etc. So, you know, for the most part, he was the very, the recognized starter who was not a captain. He was, that was the list. It was him, um, which is unusual. So I think, you know, the decision to, people were really shocked when he went. You weren't shocked. I wasn't overly shocked. I was a bit surprised. Yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't have said it was like the most shocking firing. And I think for me, I think he's got I think he is standing up for the right reasons. And I think prehistorically definitely and maybe currently, there are issues here that need to be oh, drawn. For sure. And if he can trailblaze and, and iron them out, I'm all for it. Do I think absolutely terrific. If he if he can do it, mm-hmm. like he he has to be applauded. But, but but Steve Ross is very very clear in the in the post firing interview. Absolutely, that, that the problem was communication, and mm. we'd heard that weeks before. It's got nothing to it's it's not to do with him. I mean, the, the, this is this is where the where the legal thing becomes a little bit muddied because he's. I they were bribing me to try and lose games. Stephen Ross is mad because I I won games, but that was three years ago. Yeah. I don't think he's firing you because he's mad you won games three years ago. After you, you know that, that 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 doesn't really make an awful lot of sense to me personally. No, I don't know the the whole trying to lose games is a whole another matter. Yeah, I agree. That, I think I think they're separate issues, but I can understand why they've been put into into one legal case. Right, I, I see it as Brian Flores as a man who is trying to throw enough mud so that something sticks. And I think <laughs> I feel for him in a lot of ways. I do think that there is a case where he has been potentially mistreated. I think that the allegations yeah. of tanking um, is very serious. And I, and I think that that should be explored. Do I think that he was fired because he was black? Absolutely not. Do I feel that he was blackballed as a result of that? Absolutely not. We he was heavily talked about once fired that he was a heavy candidate on this coaching carousel. I think if anything, this case is going to make him very difficult to be hired because he, he could have been in consideration for the Saints job. He's probably not going to get an interview now with this process going on because you can't. And, and, he, and he was a serious consideration for the Texans. He was, you know, yeah. And like you say, I, I think good good on him he's he's doing he's doing yeah. what's right for the greater good rather than what's in his personal interest right now yeah i uh, listen i i still think the nfl has a way to go i look at david cully as a great example of this david cully was hired i i genuinely believe david cully was hired to tick a box that i do believe i believe david cully was a sitting duck the new structure with nick casario and everyone came in they didn't have any players. They had the whole Watson situation. It wasn't an attractive job to go to this year. No one knew what was going on. I know what we're going to do. We're going to hire a competent minority coach to get extra draft picks. That, for me, is one that I would explore 100% because David yes. Cully was fired this year. What was David Cully supposed to do? For me, overachieved. I thought he did a great job. Exactly like, that. Like you he said, overachieved. What came brilliant. out of what came out of the Texans this year with all the mess going on with the Deshaun Watson and everything else? What did David Carney do that warranted him losing his job? Absolutely nothing. And and also now we're looking at this is they've hired Lovey Smith. Now, if it was like, we're going to fire you, David Cully, but what we're going to do is we're going to hire someone who is 
our long-term vision for this franchise. He's, if they'd hired Josh McDaniels, I actually probably wouldn't have blinked. I would have gone, okay, so you've got Josh McDaniels. This was a long-term plan. Poor David Cully. He was a hire and fire job, whatever. But they've scrambled. They they fired Cully. They had no plan. They were like, well, we don't really, we didn't want him anyway, but he was here. He took the job. They've discarded him like a pile of rubbish. And then they've gone and hired Lovey Smith. Now, I've seen Lovey Smith coach a team. He's a nice guy. He's a lovely guy. I love Lovey Smith. Brilliant bloke. Good coach. Is he a generational talent that's going to take your franchise to the top of the mountain? No, because he's never done it. <laughs> That's right. Is he is he much better than what you've just fired? Like no. David Cully's learning and getting better. Like oh, and, and absolutely crazy. So but I do want to touch briefly on the on the tanking stuff because I yeah. I think going back to taking this all the way back to when we started this conversation like fifty yeah. minutes ago, um, this is one of those things that will get swept under the rug because. There's a lot of people out there, especially in the local um, South Florida media. Well, Stephen Ross is going to have to sell the team if, if he gets found that this is true. Mm-hmm. Right now, Brian Flores is saying he tried to pay me to lose games. Well, unless Brian Flores is saying he accepted money, all all Stephen Ross did was fail to cheat. <laughs> and, you, and you can't get in trouble for failing to cheat. Wanting no. to do it is, you know... It's bad. It shows a certain lack of morals. And if you go investigating, you're probably going to find something else because it, mm. I'm guessing it's not the first time you've tried to do something of questionable morality. But for this in particular, unless you're saying you took the money and tanked, he didn't cheat. And that's that's how they're going to say there's a Super Bowl next week. Then we're going to be into the draft process. This just going to go quietly away. Unless you report it at the time, then it's very different because you're See, trying to manipulate something that is a current event, i.e. the NFL draft, and then you've got a case. If you wait three years on it and then say, hey, this happened. See, now you're in a hearsay. You're now in a he said, she said. Most of the people involved are, are not privy to that conversation or have forgotten about it or have left or whatever. It's just a mess. And, and this is where Brian Flores is going to, I think this could upset the rest of his complaint is that why didn't if you were of high morals why did you not come out and say it if if the owner tried to force you into a meeting with tom brady which is the other part of this on his boat when it wasn't allowed and you Mm. say you walked away why wasn't that reported you Mm. walked away but you knew it was happening inside your organization which meant it risked it risked punishment on your team it's it, it's it, it's a it's a very difficult situation. Do you know what I mean? But I do believe this is one of those things that the NFL will say. Well, you didn't actually cheat because he didn't take the money, and you didn't actually lose enough games. So it is what it is. Uh, and can't this is, really prove it. It's... No, and, and this is why this season will be the year of the the controversies because we're fifty six minutes in, <laughs> and we've spent fifty five minutes talking about all the bad things that happened this year. We've got about ten minutes left, so let's review some of the positive storylines <laughs> of the season. And, and one of the things I thought was positive is we've talked so long about these up and coming quarterbacks. Um, you know, and in the playoffs, it shined through with Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and uh, Lamar Jackson's won an MVP recently and, and Justin Herbert and his great play. And, um, you know, that, this is why there's pressure on players like Tua because he's come out in a similar time of all these generational t- quarterbacks 
and actually if these were not not all knocked around two wouldn't be as wouldn't be the target of all these missiles because there isn't that many good generational talent and yet despite all of this the two guys that are going to battle it out for the MVP this week are 44-year-old Tom Brady, who's just retired, and 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's balmy to think that we've got all this young generational talent, all this amazing youthful talent, and you've got two guys with a combined age of 82 um, fighting and, it for the MVP. And if you want to throw an extra one in there, we could also have a Super Bowl winner in Matt Stafford. Yeah. You know, I know Joe Burrow's, you know, everyone's excited about that, but you could come out of this very seriously with Matt Stafford as the Super Bowl winner. Like you say, your two MVP candidates, a combined age of 82, you know. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. And, you know, we've, I I think that Rogers will win the MVP. I don't think he deserves it for me, but, you know, I am slightly biased, so (laughs) I I can't get away from it. But I, I do think it's interesting that you have these two players who have continued to play the game at such high levels of excellence that these younger guys still aren't getting a sniff. And it, it shows to me that the quarterback position, in order to be really successful, you have to have done it quite a while. Um, and it, that's yeah. why, you know, maybe we don't give up on someone like Tua because he is a couple of seasons in. And you listen, I've been critical. I've been critical of Tua. Um, and I'll, I'll be the first person to say I've been critical because I don't feel like he has shown that he's a franchise quarterback but now hearing about the reports and the environment it's pretty hard to be great if you're in an environment that doesn't foster (laughs) you a chance to be great right and I think that's the difference is I think we have to we all expect things and I'm I'm as guilty of this as anybody so I can say it that we expect people to be great now like you're drafting them that high you're paying that draft capital we expect them to be great let's just give them some time and let them be great um the NFL encourages us to do so because it it lets us see these players get drafted in April and then wait till September to see them play. You know, we get excited because there's nothing else going on and we build ourselves up and every team in the off-season, everyone's fans believes they've got a chance because given enough time, you can talk yourself into it. You know, I can see a path to the the Dolphins win the Super Bowl and I'm sure... And and do you know what helps foster this? It's a team like the Bengals making the Super Bowl this year. It just proves that it's possible to go from the middle of the pack or from the lower half of the NFL. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a quick rise to the Super Bowl and if if they can do it, well, hell, why can't it be the Jets next year? Why can't it be, you know, any team you, you want to pick? If you're a fan of that team, that's yeah. why we get excited and we put, like you say, we put this pressure on Mm. unfairly on, on players. Well, let's let's look at a player who, very similar uh, circumstances, came out the year before Joe Burrow, and that's Kyler Murray. You know, he takes the Cardinals to this amazing 9-0, 10-0 start. Um, they decide to really back him with some talent. You know, they bring in free agents. Um, you know, you, you get DeAndre Hopkins, you get uh, AJ Green, um, you really start to back him in a way that he'd never been backed before. Um, you bring JJ Watt in, you know, you really, this is a franchise that, that went all in hmm. to try and win now. And it worked for half a season and they, they were, you know, number one team in, in power rankings and very similar to the Steelers last year. And the fact that they just were blitzing everybody away. And then all of a sudden they barely scrape in the playoffs and their decline is, is just as quick as their, their rise and and I know Cardinals fans will be screaming at me. It's like, well, Kyler got hurt and Hopkins got hurt, and I think that's maybe half the story. But 
for me, they were a strange team because for me, they either played well over expectations or they, I don't know what it was, but it was never sustainable. I never looked at the Cardinals and thought (laughs) that's a team that's going to win the Super Bowl. I just thought that's a team that is going to get stuck, unstuck at some point and, and fall apart. And it's just a case of when and not if. So do we think Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are going to figure this out? and build a dominating franchise in the NFC? Or do we really think that this is like what we've kind of seen is the best it's going to get? Um, I don't think both of them see it all the way through, that's for sure. Okay. Um, I, I, I I always get the impression, and I know it's exciting because the offense can be exciting at times, but I always think Cliff Kingsbury looks out of his depth on the sideline. He looks like a guy who's almost surprised it's going as well as it's going when it's going well, when it's going badly, it's kind of like, just kind of like monitor. Like, okay. I don't know. I almost expected, like you say, like it's not a surprise that this isn't going as well as we thought. And maybe it's, it's not having enough experience, but let's be honest. If your team is able to play that way enough, you should be able to turn it into a sustainable model. Um, like you say, they, they back the quarterback and I am a fan of that because as a, as a, as a fan of a team who hasn't backed their quarterback, I think you have to, because otherwise you don't, you can't get a clear reading and, you know, people were upset when the Packers drafted Jordan Love because Aaron Rodgers needed a wide receiver. Tom Brady needed good players around him. Let's not take anything away from those players. But they need talent around them. Matt Stafford, put him on a team with more talent. Guess what? You get better results. What a surprise. You know, it's you have to back these players and build around them, the young guys, to help them. I think you've seen two really good examples of, of how far you can take this. Jamar Chase was, has been great because you paired him up with a guy he's played with. That can't be it can't be underestimated how much of a benefit that is. And exactly the same thing happened with Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle was great this season because he played with a player he knew. It helped him immensely because he can explain things in a way he knows how to work with Jalen Waddle better. That's it. It's yeah. not just the connection on the field, it's the explaining all the other stuff. And I think, hey, you've got to do that. But then your quarterback, you know, then your players have to reward you by actually winning. Like you say, they fell apart at exactly the wrong time. And yeah, they really did. They really fell apart uh, at a crucial part of the season. It didn't help the Murray missed games. It didn't help the Hopkins oh, of course. missed games. And, you know, it'd be interesting. I think next year's a really big year for the Cardinals. So I think they have to win that division next year to to cement their place. Otherwise, again, I think questions will, will be asked. Um, one team that did really fall apart again, quite spectacularly, so much so they missed the playoffs, <laughs> is, is the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I have more sympathy for them, you know, in the sense of they lost a lot of players. Like so you're many. talking about injuries, they lost their entire secondary. They lost their entire, uh, you know, they lost <laughs> the Mark Jackson. They lost a lot of their receiving core. They lost, you know, parts of their defensive line. They lost parts of their offensive. You know, they were banged up everywhere. They were, I don't even know how they feel as a team. Some weeks they were literally so, so banged up, and they were still in contention for so long. If, if you took that injury report, that, that list of players on IR, plus the rest of the players on their injury report, you'd probably win games next year in the NFL with that team. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a star-studded list, and, and that is unfortunate. I mean, 
the interesting one is Lamar Jackson because obviously whether we like it or not, quarterback is always going to be be polarizing. Missed plenty of games again. Is this another case of a mobile quarterback that's not going to to last physically? It's an Don't know. One. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it is it is or it isn't, but it no. you know it has to be in, it has to be in your mind because we've seen it happen too many times in the past, and he's now starting to miss games on a regular basis. Yeah, it, it, there's definitely some question marks around the Bengals next season, but it'd be interesting to see what they do. I don't agree with the firing of Wink Martindale. I thought he's been the best defensive coordinator in the NFL the last three seasons, so for me it was a, a massive shock. Um, Bengals, their huge resurgence is why we're going to be talking about them all throughout this this show, so I'm going to kind of leave <laughs> that, but it's, it's just amazing, you know, they win their first playoff game uh, since 1991, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and, and everything they've done, so uh, incredible to see them rise. Obviously, Detroit, they were kind of everybody's... It was strange. Everyone kind of laughed at the Dan Campbell signing, myself included. Um, everyone kind of thought, this is ridiculous. This guy has... He's been around the NFL, but come on, he's not how the proper coordinator's job. And yet here he is in Detroit. They, they get Jared Goff. We all knew it wasn't going to be pretty, but somehow they were the endearing story of the second half of the season with their spirited displays. And they really were an unbelievable team to watch at times, which was unexpected, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I mean, I'm insulted that he may not have had a coordinator's job, but he was a head coach of the Miami Dolphins very briefly, even how, if it was yeah, interim. How, but how briefly? It, how it briefly. was very briefly. It like was very briefly. Games, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. But, <laughs> hey, he won a game. What would you want? Um, <laughs> Someone but, I mean, Dan Campbell is the kind of guy that, I, I mean... If you get a chance to see him on when he was on Hard Knocks with the Dolphins and when he was the the interim head coach, like you can see why that's the kind of guy who would make you run for a wall, even if you're getting beat out of sight. Like he is the kind of guy who's going to get you on side. Like that is a, you know, again he would be another a great recruit in the army. Do you know what I mean? Like he he's that kind of guy, and they say. I think every, it just gave everyone a soft spot for the Lions. <laughs> you you just hope that their wins didn't come against your team, but you'd like to see them win the other weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, he really showed that he, he got them playing to the best of their ability. It's just a very talent-depleted side, and it's a huge rebuild there. It's going to take a long time, and I hope he gets some time to to improve that roster. Uh, but they didn't get the one pick. That went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who sensationally beat the Colts in week 17, but to deny them a playoff spot. Um, and then uh, because the, the Detroit Lions won, uh, the Jags held on to that number one pick. So they're picking number one again for the second year in a row. Uh, we've talked about the downfall of them a little bit. Um, tiny bit on Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons might be, might have put together the best. I mean, he's just won. Um, well, he hasn't won Defensive Rookie of the Year, but I assume he's going to win that uh, <laughs> award. Um, I think Jamal Chase won Rookie of the Year, actual Rookie of the Year, which I think it would have been close. Um, but um, Micah Parsons, for me, probably put in the best defensive rookie performance of any player I can recall in the last dozen years, at least. I can't think of a player who's had more impact in the NFL in the last 10 to 12 years as a rookie in on defense. Isn't he absolutely, I mean, it's absolutely fabulous to watch as well. 
Like I, I find him gripping. Just to, it, it's hard to just watch linebackers play, you know, without focusing on the ball. But you see him go to work, and it's it's mightily impressive. Yeah, he, he just he he reminds me a little bit of of Lawrence Taylor, just how he dominates um, and gets up to the line, and the way he shifts around, and you just can't do anything with him. He's just an unbelievable. Uh, talent, and I'm really excited to watch him in the next uh, in the next few years to see to see what he does. But um, I wanted to shout out him because he was just at the center of, of so many things. I mean, this 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 Dallas Cowboys defense was abysmal 12 months ago. It was literally <laughs> one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in football, and and now you know they were realistically a top three defense this year under Dan Quinn, and um, and what they did there. I mean, nothing short of an unbelievable turnaround. So do do we think that Dan Quinn pulled his name from interviews because he thinks he's getting Mike McCarthy's job? 100%. Because, <laughs> I mean, that just makes too much sense. Let's be honest. We, like, for, it's going to be him or Kellen Moore. It's going to be one of them. And for, you know, for all the, all the people that want to talk negatively about the way Jerry Jones, you know, kind of operates, look, he, he gives everything to that team. If you were a coach of that team, you're not going to want for anything. If you want a player, he's going to make sure it happens. Money is no object, and he's going to do everything he can. So, look, compared to a lot of other jobs in the NFL, if you get the chance of that and you have to wait a year for Mike McCarthy to fall on his face, which he kind of ultimately will, yeah. that's, a, that's a wait worth worth going through. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more appealing than some of those other jobs that are on the market, you know, like you say, like, you know, the Jags job right now. You don't get the number one overpick two years in a row because you're well run. No, and especially as a defensive coach, you know, I think the Jags job is quite attractive if you're an offensive coach to work with <laughs> someone like Trevor Lawrence and have that sort of clean slate. But yeah, a defensive coach, I think it's it's very different. It's not as an attractive job. A um, couple of things very quickly, we'll wrap this up. Uh, the rise of the AFC, for me, it's always been that the NFC was the Premier Division for the last eight, ten years. I think we've really seen this switch now. With the the elite quarterbacks, uh, you know they're all. You, you look at Aaron Rodgers; he could go to Denver and be the third best quarterback in his in his division, and he could be the two time MVP. Uh, I mean, the yeah. AFC is a tough, tough place to go play right now, and I think you know we, we haven't even talked about like Trevor Lawrence or uh, or Zach Wilson yeah. or or any of these other young quarterbacks who can really go. And, There's a lot of potential there as well. Absolutely. You know, it, it's strange because you've got players like Baker on his fifth-year option now, Baker Mayfield. He's going to find it very difficult. Or fourth-year, maybe he's coming into now, fourth-year. He is going to find it very difficult now to not just keep his job, but also to get paid because there's so many better quarterbacks in the AFC. He's yeah. going to find it a real struggle. So amazing to see the rise of the AFC. I think the AFC is going to dominate for years to come um, when you look at the, the games and the overall talent split, I think you're going to see more teams in the AFC dominate for years than, than the NFC. But that, that makes sense. Like you say, the NFC has been so strong for so long that that means those teams are getting higher picks in the draft. Then yeah. that's the sort of natural evolution. You know, it'll be the other way for a little while before the NFC will come, come back because they would, they're taking all the, you know, the premium talent in the draft. If, yeah. they're, if they're sensible enough to pick it, you know, see Ab- the Jags. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the coaches that left. Talk about John Gruden, Urban Meyer, Mike Zimmer lost his job. Uh, Dave Kelly, we've mentioned Joe Judge, Vic Fangio, uh, Matt Nagy, Brian Flores, who talked about the length. 
Um, and Sean Payton has uh, stepped away. Anyone wants to say retiring, he's not retired. <laughs> I think and that's another name you could throw in the Dallas job, by the way, because I know yeah. that, that he's been linked with that in the past. I mean, that's a lot of coaches. You're talking about uh, nine coaches left, their roles. That's obviously a, a lot. Eight of them were terminated, one left of their own accord. That's a lot of change. I think a lot more than most people were expecting this year. Yeah, and I think this is hard to say, but for there's not a lot of standout games when you look back through the season and say this is a this is a year full of teams playing at their absolute best. Mm. So I think the the turnovers maybe not as big a surprise as you would think. Mm. Um, it just makes it exciting for the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there was probably. And when we look back at this, 14 teams make the playoffs. I thought both seven picks were as bad as seven pick, seventh seed teams as could be. Neither of those teams were competitive. Both got blown out. Um, then you look at, so you eliminate that down to 12. I thought the AFC side, I think you could look at the 12 in the AFC and go, or the six in the AFC and go, yeah, they're, they're, they're six very good teams. Um, even the Raiders, with everything they've overcome, maybe you want to cast them off and say there were five really good teams and one good team in the Raiders. I could get on board with that. But in the NFC, really, you were looking at the winners of the NFC being the Packers, the Bucks, or the Rams. And then for me, there was a tear down too. And that maybe 49ers fans will say, well, that's not fair. We beat the Packers. Yeah, I I just think the Packers are the Packers always built to lose. I, I just think you, they lose every year in the playoffs. Like they're like the Saints. They're kind of yeah, they're good in the regular season, but when it when it comes to business time, that they're, they're not good. Uh, they never have been. So yeah, I think you know there were, for me three teams, and one of them is the Packers, who I expect to check. So really, I thought it was only ever going to be the Rams or or the Buccaneers that were going to win the NFC. I didn't see another winner there. I really didn't. I didn't think that. Um, I didn't think another team would, would win the NFC. I thought the winner of that game would be in the Super Bowl, and, that, and that's what's happened. Um, I think so. You're looking at maybe eight, eight, seven, eight teams, nine teams, maybe max. You said were good, and and even then, I think the AFC teams. I mean, they really made hard work of it. Let's be honest. Like that game was hosted in Arrowhead, but that's because the number one seed got themselves knocked out. Like the Bills should have been hosting that, but they went through a rough patch. I mean, they played some bad games in the middle of the season where you're just like scratching your head. Like, is this the same team that we saw at the start of the season? I mean, even in a loss to us, they got booed off at halftime because they were awful. They won the game. But when you look at you, like I said, I got a, a friend of ours of mine is, is a Bills fan. I said to him, you're not going to the Super Bowl because you've just shown that you can get beat. Like, and that's by a, at the time we hadn't we won one game like, and we were awful and like you've made that look way too difficult if you think you're a real Super Bowl team I think that's kind of how it played out you know Buffalo should have been playing that game at home they didn't the Chiefs were lucky to be playing at home because the Titans managed to make a mess of it like they came good in the end and we, and we were we will remember the, the one game at the end of the season but yeah. they at different points like we got to remember, people were worried about the Chiefs in the first half of the season. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't pretty, you know. But they they came they came good at the right time. But yeah, I, I think this is this is one of those years where people will look back and say 
we should we should have done better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there will be a lot of teams that will look back and think they should have done they should have done better. The, the only teams that looked really strong in the in the regular season were the Packers, who we know just no disrespect don't do anything in the in the in the in the postseason. For the Buccaneers, I mean, they lost to the Saints twice. You take them out, and they lost two games. Um, you know, and you can sit there and say that they had their challenges and injuries, but they they still put put up good scores most weeks. Uh, the Rams look good through the season. I don't think anyone's overly shocked that they that they're there now. They probably would have been shocked at the start of the season with Matt yeah. Stafford would he last, but I think as if you look at it, I think for me the the Rams through the season, I would argue, were probably the best team. Um, to this point, I think the Bengals Bengals couldn't string wins together, but in the playoffs, they've been on this run since week 17, beat the Chiefs. They absolutely deserve to be where they are, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they've had this most unbelievable season. They're similar to the Bucks, really. Their season is so parallel to the Buccaneers' season last season when they had some high points, some low points, couldn't string it together, then went on a run, confidence went high, and then they, could, they blew everyone away on the road, and then... Um, and did the job. Sure. So I think, you know, that's how I can parallel the two. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, Tom Brady retiring, obviously massive news. Uh, we'll get more into that in, in the show, but obviously he was in your division for 20 years. Very um, good riddance. <laughs> I mean, the best, the best to ever do it. Um, that will be forever a, a moment that will be remembered from this season. Um, all the way down to the way that he had to retire. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is madness in 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 the end, and and un, unfairly so. Um, it didn't it didn't need to be done that way. But yeah. like you say, if anything, I'd be giving him the MVP just because he decided to retire. Like it's just a perfect way to sign off. If it can't be a Super Bowl win, then an MVP for me. Retiring might be the tiebreaker between the two of them because you could make a very good case for him or Rogers to be the MVP. I think you know if you're in neutral, if you're not against Aaron Rodgers, you can make a. Well, it's case. not about against Aaron Rodgers. It's just that no, Brady, Brady led every every category that counted yards, touchdowns. Exactly. Um, I mean, it, it'd just be such a fitting end. Yeah. Like you know, it, uh, not that not that he needs more awards, but. Don't know. It, it just seems just seems right. <laughs> I I agree. I'd like to see him get it. I don't think he does, but I would like to to see him get there. Um, I'm going to tap you for your Super Bowl prediction. Um, mine will come later in the show. Although those of you that heard me live last week will know what it is, unless I've changed it, and that can happen. <laughs> um, but who who is going to be lifting the Lombardi Trophy in LA on um, Sunday? It'll be the Rams. Okay. I think we, we, we've waited all this time for, for a team to play in home Super Bowls. So your Bucks did it last year and then won it. And I think we're going to get the same again this year. I, to be honest, for me, it comes down to head coaching. I think McVay will outcoach. Uh, I think he will learn from what he, you know, he said last time when he got beat by the Patriots that he was outcoached. And well, I think they were that's, both there. That's it. You <laughs> know, Taylor and, was there. He was there on that coaching staff with McVay. That's right. I think. It's easy. It's, yeah, I think this is his first time making the decisions. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah. it's difficult, but, that, but that's just for me. Um, it's, cool, but, oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Let, let's go okay. 28 21. Okay. Nice. Just, um, thanks for joining me. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you and 
talk dolphins or conspiracy <laughs> theories or flying saucers or whatever else that people want to chat about. Yeah, we, we can talk a lot of dolphins. That's 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 for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm a five yard Lee on Twitter, and you see me around five yard rush as well, obviously. Uh, but hey, let's just talk football. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and um, stay tuned. Plenty more to come on the show. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Now we've reached the part of the show where I'm going to read through some interesting uh, stories of the tape here, I guess, for for both teams when it comes to some interesting facts uh, and statistics, just to get you all warmed up for this Super Bowl. And then eventually we will go into some further analysis uh, with Coach Reinbold, with Nat Coombs, and uh, the other guests that we have on for this show. So the HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Let's start with these uh, interesting breakdowns and statistics. So we had for the first 30, uh, 54 editions of the Super Bowl, uh, no home team had ever played in its home stadium. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did this last year. Now the Rams uh, are doing it again this year. Um, this is going to be the first time uh, in the last seven years that there's been two number one drafted quarterbacks facing each other. And it's actually only the second time ever. So for the first 49 games in the Super Bowl, there was no um, two number one quarterbacks facing each other. And then Peyton Manning took on Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. And now we've got it again with Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow taken first overall in the 2020 NFL draft. Matt Stafford first overall in the 2009 NFL draft. And that makes you feel old if you remember him being drafted. When it comes to the Bengals, they've never won the Super Bowl. Um, they've been in the game three times now. This is their third uh, appearance. The last uh, appearance they made was in 1988. Whereas the Rams did win three NFL championships, uh, with the last one being in 1999 with the greatest show on turf. Um, so, you know, it's been a while since they've won it as well, although they have been in the Super Bowl much more recently, as recently as 2017, uh, 2018. Sorry. When it comes to 
these two head coaches, uh, Zach Taylor is 38, Sean McVay 36, uh, with that combined age of 74 years and 299 days. They are the youngest combined age of opposing head coaches in Super Bowl history, and they have taken the record away from Mike Tomlin and Ken Wissenhunt um, that took place in 2008. Now, if McVay wins the Super Bowl on Sunday at the age of just 36 uh, years and 20 days old, he will edge Mike Tomlin, who was 36 years and 323 days old, um, by being the youngest head coach to win the Super Bowl. Um, In terms of McVay, he becomes just the fifth individual in league history to advance to two Super Bowls within his first five seasons as head coach. The other examples of that are Mike Tomlin, Jimmy Johnson uh, at Dallas, Joe Gibbs of Washington, and Tom Flores at Oakland and the LA Raiders. Um, Zach Taylor, as I've mentioned a few times now, he was on that coaching staff uh, in uh, 2018 with the Rams. It was his last game with the Rams, and he became Bengals head coach uh, after that. When it comes to um, his history in the playoffs, he has won his first three postseason games, and he became just the third. In, he became the third individual over the last thirteen years to do that, matching the feats of Doug Pedersen and Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, and if he wins the Super Bowl on Sunday, he'll become the third individual over the last three decades to win each of his first four postseason games, where he joins Doug Pedersen, who did it with the Eagles but then also with Brian Billick in 2000 with that Ravens team. Um, This is the first time that a Super Bowl does not include at least a number one or number two seed. And it's also therefore the first Super Bowl in which both teams are seeded fourth or lower. So lowest ever seeded Super Bowl, but these teams are exciting. It doesn't necessarily matter in that way. Um, For the 17th consecutive season, the NFL will have a new Super Bowl champion, which uh, is extending the longest streak without a repeat winner. The last team to win consecutive Super Bowls was the 2003 and 2004 New England Patriots, Um, including Cincinnati on Sunday. Five of the last 12 teams to appear in the Super Bowl missed the playoffs the previous season. That is the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the 2019 San Francisco 49ers, 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, and 2016 Atlanta Falcons, who all reached the Super Bowl uh, prior without making the playoffs uh, the season before. In terms of uh, going from worst to first, which is what the Bengals are, they're the fifth team since the year 2000 to finish worst in their division and then come back the next year and not just win the division, but also then make the Super Bowl. Um, three of the four prior teams that did that, uh, the 2017 Eagles, 2009 Saints, and 2001 Patriots, won the Super Bowl. So there is some history on their side here. Um, the other example of that was Carolina uh, in 2003 in Super Bowl 38, uh, who did not win that game. They lost that to the Patriots. Now, Joe Burrow here is set to make history. He'll be one of only two players ever in the history of the NFL, if he does win the Super Bowl, to have won the consensus college football national title and a Super Bowl. But he will also only be the first quarterback ever in history to have won both of those and the Heisman Trophy. 
Burrow, who was the number one pick, as I mentioned, in the 2020 draft, is expected to become the first quarterback ever drafted first overall to start a Super Bowl within his first two seasons. He's also the third quarterback selected in the first round of the NFL draft to start a Super Bowl within his first two seasons. And he joins Dan Marino and Ben Roethlisberger. Um, only two quarterbacks have ever won a Super Bowl in their first years with the teams. That was Trent Dilfer in the year 2000 uh, with the Ravens and Tom Brady, who obviously did that last year. So Matt Stafford is in line to be the third person if they do win the game on Sunday. Um, Stafford has at least two touchdown passes in each of the Rams' three postseason games. With two touchdown passes in the Super Bowl, he will join Pro, for, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, Joe Flacco, and Tom Brady as the only player in NFL history with at least two touchdown passes in four postseason games with the same team. That's Tom Brady from 2020, by the way. Jamar Chase is looking for another rookie record. So he holds the record for most receiving yards ever by a rookie with 1,455. He's followed that with the postseason record of 279 yards by a rookie uh, wide receiver uh, in his first three playoff games. So the only one left is to beat Tory Holt's record for most receiving yards by a rookie in a Super Bowl. That mark is set for 109, so 110 yards above, and Jamar Chase will add another record. As for Cooper Cup, we know he led all three of the major receiving categories, which was receptions, yards, and touchdowns. And he's the first player in league history to lead the NFL in those three categories for a team that advanced the Super Bowl. He is the third player to lead the league in receiving yards and appear in the Super Bowl in the same season. That is with Jerry Rice, who did it twice in 1989 and 1994, Andrew Pearson in 1977. Uh, Cup has totaled 25 receptions for 386 yards and four touchdowns during the postseason. On Sunday, he can surpass Travis Kelsey, who had 31 receptions during the 2020 postseason for the most receptions in a single postseason all-time and become the second-ever player to reach 500 receiving yards in a single playoff run. And that was Larry Fitzgerald in 2008 with 546. Um the Bengals have a, a plus five turnover ratio this postseason on the strength of six Bengals interceptions by six different players, including Von Safety, uh, Von Miller, Von Miller, Von Bell, whose overtime interception of Patrick Mahomes set up Cincinnati's game winning field goal for the AFC championship game that led them to the Super Bowl. Trey Hendrickson is ranked fifth in the NFL with a career-high 14 sacks this season. He's one of two players with at least 13 sacks in each of the last two seasons. And linebacker Logan Wilson, who led the team this season with four interceptions, had an interception against Tennessee in the divisional round. Uh, he also led the team with 98 tackles. So a lot of things in this team point to this defense being a lot better than expected, and they've really turned up in this postseason. But then if we look at the um, the Rams, Aaron Donald is the uh, Associated Press Defensive Player of the Year for the third time, um, and he's seeking his first Super Bowl victory. Um, the Rams have been ranked sixth in rushing defense with 103.2 yards per game allowed, uh, and ranked third with 50 sacks. Donald had 12.5 sacks in the regular season, became the fourth player since 1982, uh, when the individual st- uh, sacks became an official statistic to register at least 
eight sacks in each of his first eight seasons. He also has 1.5 sacks during the two 2021 playoffs. And Von Miller is making his second Super Bowl appearance after registering two and a half sacks to earn Super Bowl 50 MVP honors with Denver, including the playoffs. Miller has a sack in six of his last seven games. So quite a amazing uh, run of results and statistics there to, to review. Uh, so many, so many interesting notes in this game. So both of these teams came from behind. Um, Bengals overcame an 18-point deficit uh, to advance to their first Super Bowl appearance since 1988. The Rams overcame a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to pass uh, the San Francisco 49ers and make the second Super Bowl in four seasons. Um, Matt Stafford is ranked second in the NFL with 41 uh, touchdowns. Um, he's ranked third in passing yards, 4,886, and sixth in passer rating. Um, unbelievable record from him. But then also Joe Burrow has set franchise records, passing yards, 4,611, and TDs, at 34. He ranks second in the NFL with a 108.3 passer rating. So both these guys are in sight of um, significant records. So the records that they are in sight of uh, are passing yards in the postseason. Eli Manning holds that record at 1,219, followed by Kurt Warner and Joe Flacco. Matt Stafford has thrown 809 yards this postseason. Joe Burrow at 842. So the record is within sight for both these players, but we need to have uh, a heck of a game. As I mentioned, Cooper Cup with the receptions record, he needs six uh, to tie uh, Kelsey and seven to win. Uh, and pass and become the most received player in postseason history. Uh, he's also in line for the receiving yards record. He needs 160 yards to tie Larry Fitzgerald, 161 to beat them. So um number of things in play here for uh, both these teams. And um, when we look at the when we look at some of the uh, the numbers behind which can shape you know the, the numbers that can shape this game here you know, there's a lot of interesting statistics here. So if we look about um, one thing to talk about with, with Coach Reinbold is, you know, this ability of the Rams to get to the quarterback and, and is this going to be a bit of a mismatch? Um, you know, the, in terms of the, the Rams, they just have this amazing ability to win at the line of scrimmage on defense. Um, they have the best pass rush win rate, the best run stop win rate, and the best uh, pass block win rate in the NFL. Um, so when you're looking at what they do to predict, you know, to get to the quarterback, but then also protect their own quarterback, uh, have done an amazing job, uh, this season, but they are facing a quarterback in Joe Burrow, who has continued to exceed expectations. Um, so much so he actually statistically is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL because his completion percentage is six percent over expected, which is the largest mark uh, in the NFL this season. When we look at the defenses, we obviously are talking about the Rams, uh, fourth uh, in DVOA against the run and the pass. As the Bengals have mentioned in the regular season, not as statistically hot, eighteenth in DVOA uh, against the pass, twentieth um, or eighteenth overall, twentieth against the pass. 16th against the run. Obviously not amazing statistics, but as I've mentioned earlier, they have really come to play in this uh, postseason and they're not to be underestimated. Um, 
Rams, very potent offense, eighth ranked offense according to DVOA. Um, the Bengals are 18th, but again, just don't necessarily worry about that because the Bengals know how to get it done in tight situations. Um, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, when it comes to explosive plays, Joe Burrow has completed 12 passes over 50 yards this season. That's a most by a QB in the last 20 years. Um, but as I mentioned previously uh, on another podcast, both these players are very good against the Blitz. Um, Matt Stafford better than anybody um, in terms of expected points against uh, expected points added per play against the Blitz, 0.64 points. Um, that is the highest mark of any quarterback in the last three years, um, as well as also Cooper Cup, because that's his outlet for the Blitz. 636 receiving yards against the Blitz, which is the most by a wide receiver in the last 15 years. Um, but having said that, Joe Burrow is just as good against the Blitz. He is sixth in expected points against the Blitz. And in terms of in terms of the struggles in terms of man coverage, they don't struggle that often. Um, Matt Stafford first against man coverage, 0.51 EPA. Burrow, 0.27 EPA. That ranks Burrow fourth. That ranks Stafford first. The one thing about the blitz, and this is something I would not expect the Bengals to blitz too much on Sunday. Um, so even though I've mentioned about Stafford's amazing ability to beat the blitz and score a lot of points, the Bengals were actually the third lowest uh, blitzing team in the NFL this season. So these statistics are telling you we're expecting a lot of zone coverage. It's going to be down to will we see Lou Amarulo drop eight uh, more frequently and try and pick his spots and reduce Cooper Cup to just catches over the top uh, and screens and just limit the amount of yardage you can get. And also, how are they going to limit um, Odell Beckham Jr. in this? Um, because it's obviously a very, very difficult set of lineups. Both these teams have three unbelievable wide receivers that they can use. Um, the one thing that a lot of people will be talking about is this matchup between Chase and Jalen Ramsey wouldn't expect this to be too frequent. Uh, I think you'll get some spots where they will try and target Ramsey, but that will be hard. I think they'll try and scheme Chase to try and go to the other side uh, and try and get him up against the weaker corner side. But also, I think with zone, I don't think you're going to see too many instances where you're going to get a lot of one-on-one with Chase and Ramsey. So uh, expect Chase to maybe get some double coverage, maybe Ramsey to even get some help, but also expect to see a lot of zone where they might let him uh, drop deep to get a shorter cart yardage and avoid being beaten over the top. Um, so again, I've been watching for the Bengals to maybe drop and get those eight um, eight defenders back to try and limit what the Rams can do. And they did this against the Chiefs. Um, according to the next-gen stats against the Chiefs, they dropped eight, 35% of, far, of pass plays uh, in that game against the Chiefs in the AFC title game. Mahomes went 7 of 13 for 59 yards with an interception and two sacks. So um, something to definitely keep an eye on is watching and how they adjust. And I think you'll need to see the, the Bengals sort of keep it close in the first half and then try and win it in the second half. Um, one thing we'll see is definitely a lot of conservative play calling when it gets tight. Um, so both of these coaches are well-renowned and well-known for their conservative 
play calling here. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of uh, timeouts and game management, um, there's been some accusations thrown at Taylor that his game management isn't the best. Uh, I think he's done pretty well in the postseason, but then he's been playing from behind quite a bit. Against McVeigh, McVeigh actually wastes the most amounts of timeouts per game. Uh, between 2018 and 2021, he wastes on average 2.9 timeouts per game, which is half of his allotment. So it, uh, a waste of timeout is where they're taking a timeout either because they don't have enough men on the field, too many men on the field. Um, they don't feel ready. They don't clock in time. They don't get to the line of scrimmage in time. Uh, the time's about to expire and they don't want to take a delay a game penalty, etc. cetera. So, um, there is some game management pieces that we will see from McVeigh that could swing this. So something to keep an eye on. Both these teams don't give up too many penalties. So we're hoping not to see too many flags in this one. Um, both of them giving up around about 36, 37 yards in penalties per game. So not too many um, in terms of turnovers. Uh, both of these teams sort of average about one turnover a game. Um, just slightly over 1.1, uh, 1.2 turnovers per game. So, again, something we can expect is to see a couple of turnovers is who's going to take advantage of those turnovers. And more importantly, a team's going to be able to force a second or third turnover because I think that will be a key difference in, in the game. But you'd expect a turnover aside at least because that's what these teams have given up uh, this season. Um, but they've also been able to create a turnover a game. So it says on paper that they are likely to balance out that both teams will give and take away, which would make sense, uh, a turnover every game on average. The Rams slightly better, but it's really marginal. In terms of the balance between pass and run, uh, the, the Rams are more likely to give up the run a lot quicker. They actually pass 61% of the time. Uh, the Bengals tend to pass a bit, a bit more balanced uh, 56% of the time. How that breaks down, and I've used uh, NFL Savant for this, is that the Rams tend to, on first down, pass 52% of the time, rush 48% of the time. So very, very even split on first down. Second down, that jumps up quite significantly at 66% on uh second down 34% uh, running on second down. So they pass quite a lot more and third down, as you would expect, especially on those third and long situations, they pass 74% of the time and only rush 26% of the time. How that matches with the Bengals. They're more likely to rush on first down. They rush 56% of the time on first down versus 44% of the time uh, passing uh, tend to take some shots on second down. It's a 60, 40 split in favor of the pass. Uh, but third down is 82% in favor of the pass, 18% just rushing. So um, we're likely to see through this that the Rams will probably give up the run first. The Bengals will need to establish the run and need to do this um, quite considerably. So let's keep an eye on on that. I think if the Bengals give up the run, it could be a long afternoon, evening for them. Um, shout out to Kevin Huber. Kevin Hubo is, is the is the punter uh, for Cincinnati, and he has been in Cincinnati his entire, pretty much his life. He grew up in Cincy, went to high school in Cincy. Um, he went to college in Ohio, and then he is back uh, with Cincy. He's been on the team, I think, 12, 13 years. Uh, he's never left, and he is now in the Super Bowl. It's an amazing story. So, Kevin Hubo, you know, uh, kudos to you, and I hope you enjoy uh, your evening, a bit of punter love there. Um, Time of possession is really interesting here. So the Rams have been very successful, 15-5 and five this season, but their time of possession is actually under 30 minutes. So they are more explosive as an offense. They don't need as much time 
uh, with the ball. And this also explains why they don't manage games very well, um, why they can get in front and then all of a sudden teams can come back to them because they don't dominate that time of possession. I think a real key shift they'll need to make on Sunday is to try and get over 30 minutes and dominate the time of possession. If they can get themselves away from sort of this 27, 28 minutes they get now, get to that 34-35 mark, I think they'll easily win the game. So some slightly longer drives, some more time on the ball. Don't establish, you know, don't quit the run too quickly. I think it's a key uh, piece. I think for the Bengals to win the game, they have averaged over 30 minutes time of possession. I think they're going to need to do this as well. Um, they're going to have to, the time of possession battle is going to be really important because we associate the Rams with this explosive, or the Bengals with this explosive offense. They fire quickly. They score quickly. Uh, with these big explosive plays, and that's true. But also, if you give the Rams too much of the ball, they will just stifle this game and take it away from them. So Bengals need to dominate time of possession. They need to keep with the run, need to go on long drives, uh, keep ticking the scoreboard over. Um, so time of possession battle is going to be really, really, really important. Um, in terms of the Rams' D, they've only given up 17 passing touchdowns uh, this season, which is the second least in the NFL. Um, but they have given up 18 rushing touchdowns. So they've actually given up more rushing touchdowns than passing touchdowns, which says, again, need to run, need to get Joe Mixon into that secondary and let him do some damage. Um, the reason we might see the Rams give up the run much quicker is that actually the Bengals have the fifth best run defense in the NFL. So we're likely to see them potentially give it up very quickly. Um, so... There wouldn't be a surprise if we see Stafford throw this ball 35, 40 times in this Super Bowl. But I think it's really interesting to see how they try and break this down uh, and go away from there. So a couple of other final quirky notes and statistics here. Um, The Bengals became the first team to win each of their wildcard divisional and championship games by seven points or fewer. And the third team ever since 2003 to go from first to worst to make the Super Bowl, um, which I've mentioned. But also they're the fourth team ever to make the Super Bowl after recording four or fewer wins the previous season. That was San Francisco 2019, the Rams in 1999, and themselves, the Bengals, in 1988. Um, Yes, that will cover everything from a sites and statistics uh, perspective. Uh, last thing to look for is the Super Bowl records. Um, so these are records that could potentially be broken during the Super Bowl. Um, I'm just going to lay these out here. So quarterback uh, with the most passing yards is Tom Brady through 505 in Super Bowl 52 for New England. Steve Young has thrown the most passing touchdowns with six in Super Bowl 29. Uh, most rushing yards was Timmy Smith of Washington in Super Bowl 22, 204. Uh, most rushing touchdowns was Terrell Davis with three in Super Bowl 32 for Denver. Um, most receptions in the Super Bowl was James White, believe it or not, with 14 in Super Bowl 51, that incredible comeback against the Falcons. Um, 215 receiving yards by Jerry Rice in Super Bowl 23 for the 49ers. Uh, He also has the most receiving touchdowns uh, with three, which he did on two occasions in Super Bowl 24 and also Super Bowl 29. Um, Most sacks in the Super Bowl is three. The last player to do that was Grady Jarrett. 
in two thousand in um, Super Bowl Fifty One with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, that will do it. That's all the statistics and everything. Uh, look forward to introducing you to the next segment of this show. Uh, going to be a cracking one, as you met. There's some statistics. There's some records to look for, and uh, so the tale of the tape uh, with all things statistic wise. Um, I will be back with an amazing guest in just a moment. Also, don't forget if you're listening to this on the audio form. We are doing a giveaway, but it's going to be YouTube only. So make sure you tune over to the YouTube uh, and find the giveaway in there because uh, that will be a very, very special giveaway. We're giving away a very, very special prize. So make sure you do that. But I will be back with another guest in just a moment. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Now we move on to one of my favourite guests joining. It's been far too long um, since I've had uh, this brilliant person on the show, but I thought it's Super Bowl week and I'm really keen to hear his opinions on how he's going to break down the season as a whole uh, and also the game. So going to be very busy man Sunday because he will be hosting the BBC coverage, also hosts uh, basketball league coverage uh, for Sky Sports and he writes for the Times and Squawker. It's Nat Coombs. Nat, welcome back. How are you? Murph, good to see you. What a lovely introduction. I mean, forget these intros that teams and players get in the Super Bowl. That's all That's all you need in life, an intro from Murph. I'm just going to bag that up and just carry that around with me. When I'm entering a shop, when I'm going out for dinner, before a difficult interview I've got to do, I'm just going to play that in my ear. <laughs> you can hire me as a hype man. I can just come with you anywhere you can. Hey, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> uh, how's things been? Like, uh, obviously, busy week for you. You're prepping for, for Sunday. And, you know, congrats on fronting the, the Super Bowl gig. It's, uh, it's going to be amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be. I'm thrilled to be fronting the coverage, and I, yeah, I can't wait for it. It's going to be uh, uh, the usual suspects: Jason, uh, OC, FA Abad is in the studio as well. Uh, so it's going to be a great lineup in the studio. And uh, as it's always a pleasure working with the guys, and I'm really looking forward to working with FA because you know he'll have a lot of up close and personal experience with a lot of the players we're going to see on 
on Sunday. So to get that insight from players is, is always a privilege. And however long I've been uh, in love with the game and, and covering the game professionally, uh, I'm always learning something new every day. And so I'm very much looking forward to that aspect uh, beyond anything else. Absolutely. And I think I think that's why I love the sport. Because when you look at, you know, Premier League football or any other, you know, sport, you kind of feel like you're seeing... Every few years it goes through a revolution, but you feel mm. like you're seeing quite a lot of the same right. things on the pitch. Uh, you can identify the formations. You can identify the style of play quite quickly. Whether it's with the NFL, especially with these two teams, and we'll get to mm. them in a minute, it's just going to be like any... Uh, it's going to be a completely different Super Bowl to what we've seen in, in previous years. Because although they've both got playmakers on defense, both these offenses are, are highly exciting. So I, I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. It's such it's a good just... point you make, actually, just on that. I, I agree. I think there are certain things that happen. And look, I love, you mentioned basketball, football. So it's not to say that one is uh, better than the other or that necessarily the NFL is more sophisticated. But there's no doubt that the complexity of strategy and the continuing development of strategies and uh, you know counterbalancing is is really intriguing and even to the point on the show this week uh, my my pod Ollie Connolly the brilliant Ollie Connolly was mm. on and he's you know one of the best X's and O's guys in the game not least because he can illuminate and articulate in such a simple way and he makes very complex things seem quite straightforward but we were talking about this Bengals in the second half against the Chiefs, the Bengals mm. dropping eight, which you know everybody's talking about, and uh, and you know Ollie was saying this is not a new thing, that but they were doing it on every play for a start, and that's what was confusing Mahomes to a degree. But that was my my question to him. This is not a new. Th- it's not like Lou Anaruma developed this in the locker room at half time. This has been around for a while. So why did that confuse a quarterback as brilliant as Mahomes and an offensive mind as? developed and advanced and experiences Andy Reid and that's what we love about this game just trying to understand that this is something that sh- shouldn't have happened in theory but it did happen and how the Bengals pulled that off and so yeah in almost every instance you know every game this season there are there's detail and there are nuances that you can scratch down as deep as you want to go and if you're not really into the X's and O's uh, uh, and to that level that's fine too because the sport has you know something for everyone I think and I think that's a great point is the fact it does have literally something for anyone. You've got people who perhaps are quite new to the game. You know, I did an event with Jay Bell and Hannah last week in London. Oh, and I was nice. to people who literally have been getting into the game. There were people there who didn't have teams. Yeah. And they came out to me afterwards and I spent some time and I wanted to talk to everyone. So, and they say, how, how did you pick your team? I was like, well, mine's pretty easy. I lived in Florida. I picked the local team. It was it was quite straightforward. I said, but I speak to people all the time. And there's so many different ways you can pick a team, whether it's Madden, um, mm. you, you know, one of the guys who I've got on who's going to preview the Rams. He talks about how he finds his team. And, and you know, it's so many great ways you can pick a team. And, and you know, whether you're a lover of offense or defense or both or the strategy, mm. I think that's why the audience grows so much because it's fireworks, it's, it's literally got everything you could want. And I think that transitions nicely to this season because mm. I know you're like me. You like to think about the the season as a whole. We've just watched it. And if someone was to ask us five years from now, tell us about the 2021 season. What would you say are like the, the, the story of the season? What would you say is like the the underpinning current of, of, of how we've got through this season and some of the headlines and memories that you have from it? Why well, it's That's fresh in our minds. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I have a very, very bad short-term memory situation. Uh, well, I think there are a couple of things really stand out. The first would be how wide open it's been. And again, if we're talking about things we love about the NFL, that is not something that is unique to this season. It's always wide open or typically wide open in the sense that at any stage of the season, you could make a case for a number of teams going on to a deep playoff run yeah, you know, and, and potentially the Super Bowl, right? But I feel that that has been more open than I can remember this year. So if I look at the the starting field in the playoffs with one or two exceptions, you know, probably Philly, Pittsburgh, mm. you could, I, I feel you could have made a case for any of those teams being there on Sunday. And actually, if you look at the two teams that have made it, neither, I think, would be considered uh, at any stage of the season uh, favourites or serious contenders for the, for, for the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I, I've been quite supportive and protective of the Rams. You know, one of the big themes, if we're talking about themes of the season that, that's wound me up on a negative, um, mm. has been how quickly we are to write teams off, to overreact. Mm. Recency bias, I think, is getting out of control. So I wrote a couple of pieces this year when that was happening with the Chiefs, you know, because obviously the Chiefs were struggling this season offensively yeah. for, for a chunk of time. But that doesn't stand to reason that that's the end of the Chiefs dynasty, as we were hearing. And, you know, this is it. And they're not going to probably not going to make the playoffs. It's nonsense. It's just simplistic overreaction, hot take nonsense. And similarly with the Rams, there was a lot of criticism flying around about about them. And whilst I caveated this by saying, look, I'm not suggesting I think they're a heavyweight contender. At the same time, I, they are clearly going to be a contender. You can't write mm-hmm. this team off. Everybody suddenly was suddenly suggesting that McVeigh is no longer a good head. What? What are we talking yeah. about here? So I think, um, I think going back to, to to my initial point, I think it was a wide open season, and I mm-hmm. think that was really, really intriguing, particularly with the playoffs. A lot of criticism about the expansion of the playoffs and whether it was a good thing. And I know there were a couple of games that uh, you know were potentially underpin that point that mm-hmm. you know the expansion of the playoffs doesn't necessarily make for an altogether competitive wild card weekend but i'd counter that by saying i've got i can remember some god awful wild god round games right so i don't think that's necessarily down to the expansion so wide open season for sure i suppose the other thing muff i'd say is just how clearly the game is developing in terms of particular positions uh, being able to hit the ground running and acclimatize quickly so you know back when if you go back 10 years certainly Mm. And absolutely longer than that. The big risk with drafting a wide receiver was uh, you're probably not going to get a huge amount of pro- productivity year one. It's a complex jump up. Certainly, that's true with quarterbacks, uh, and I think that's changing and, and changing mm. for lots of different reasons. But I think we're now seeing players that are go now hit the ground running, and the, the, the evolution of NFL offenses is allowing for that. Um, but I think that's really, really exciting. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's amazing. The last couple of years, you've had the rookie record broken by wide receiver first by Justin Jefferson and then by mm. Jamar Chase. I mean, how amazing we're going to get to watch these two guys for the next 10 years or so, uh, or certainly at least the next seven or eight of their absolute peak barring yeah. injury in touch with that doesn't happen. But, you know, even guys like Jalen Waddle, you know, Jalen Waddle yeah. uh, had a terrific season. Devonta Smith, and I know that was a difficult situation, still had by regards a, a good rookie season. So I think, I think you're absolutely right that wide receivers now are coming into this game and this, this class coming in now, there's some great wide receivers coming in in 2022. So mm. I think that trend's just going to continue. And, um, you know, Jamar Chase is going for the uh, the rookie 
triple crown, I guess, uh, on Sunday because he's got the rookie uh, receiving yards record in the regular season. He's got it in the postseason. Now he just needs 110 yards on Sunday and he gets the Super Bowl record as well, which is held by Tory Holt. So we'd love to see him get that. In terms of, for me, I, I asked this question to a few people and the one that I keep coming back to is controversies because mm. there's been a lot this year. I think for me, more than any other year, there's been a lot of controversies, some avoidable, some not avoidable. What do you think about the the role of, you know, coaches, the controversies that have occurred with a couple of coaches this year, but then also in terms of player controversies and, you know, it just seems to me that we, we spend almost as much time talking about them as we are about the, the product on the field. It certainly felt like that this year from a number of perspectives. I mean, that, that, that's kind of when I think about this year, I think that's where I'm at. What about you in terms of these controversies and, and your memories of them? Yeah, I think it's a good point. Uh, you know, I think there are lots of different examples under that quite broad church, right? So mm. there are things that are deeply tragic, but not new to the NFL. So Henry Ruggs in that situation, mm. for example, you know, for... As far back as I can remember, players have got in trouble off the field of uh, various different kinds and uh, often with tragic consequences and there are no um, no winners there. And oh, just on that note, actually, one of the things that really stood out in terms of enduring memories of this season and somebody who I've always liked as a player, but I really respect beyond what he's doing on the field now is Derek Carr. I mm. thought his reaction to that situation was first class and mm. uh, testament to what a smart and um, s- sophisticated leader he is. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. So uh, I think, you know, there are, there are those types of situations that sadly uh, keep reoccurring. I suppose one of the things that is potentially happening, which it will be interesting to see how far this plays out is, which we're seeing in so many sports, I guess, is, is, is the increased impact of player power and that mm-hmm. can be for good or bad right so last summer i'm just trying to get my maths right here but last summer with a lot of the social activism that was happening mm-hmm. globally but but uh, particularly in the states that was a great example of positive player power mm-hmm. where uh, and and I, and I hope that the nfl will continue to facilitate real change as opposed to paying lip service to these issues but mm-hmm. you saw when a collection of players got together and force the issue the nfl reacted and i think that will continue to happen um the flip side of that i guess is that player power will uh, if it will the nfl be one of those leagues where individually players will gain more and more um have more and more power to uh i guess arrest the core construct of it being a team game and no one individual is bigger than anyone else the nfl maybe more than, again than any other league in the world and again you compare this to to football in the premier league is mm-hmm. um it is built on that and i wonder if that's going to change and if controversies that are flaring up are not necessarily ones of the legal variety or criminal mm-hmm. situations but but beyond that where players if there is an equivalent say of antonio brown where a player is frustrated about the situation and behaves in the same way where he walks off the field, maybe not as dramatically as Antonio Brown did, but, but he walks he walks off the field. Is that the kind of thing that now probably, certainly a few years ago, that no one carries that and, and that player is going to get cut? I wonder if that's going to change down the line. I guess it will often always depend on who the player is and how important he is to the team, right? But I think wonderful we'll see more of that. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point because we're seeing 
I think the Tom Brady move to Tampa and getting his friends together and mm. building a winning team and having a player effectively build a portion of the franchise right. to win a Super Bowl. There's people looking on like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. They're thinking, that's pretty cool. I want to do that now. Right, because, right. And they don't have that power. And I think we're at this crossroads now where Tom Brady, and, and rightfully so, is, is the best to ever do it, earned that respect and power to do mm. it. It'd be interesting to see now, will other players do it? And more importantly, will we see it on the other side of the ball? Will we mm. see the likes of maybe someone like an Aaron Donald, if he ever hits free agency or gets near it and wants to test the market, will he be allowed to do something similar? Mm. I think it's going to be fascinating. But well, We're seeing that a little bit, aren't we? With I mean, Donald's a great example and the Rams are a great example. So the whole, the whole Von Miller situation, and there's no doubt that they're leveraging, NBA star leveraging players to say, hey, come here, come hang with us. And the Rams are a great example because they'll win now. But... I think that is happening more and more. The NBA ization, we'll go with that, uh, yeah. of, of the NFL, the, the star power. And of course, the, the salary cap and all of the egalitarian construct means, well, it's not necessarily uh, a game plan that's going to be prevalent and in, certainly not enduring. But will we see more teams do what the Rams are doing, which is, all right, this is our window. We're going to go all in. Yeah. And then on the other side, on Sunday, they've got the Cincinnati Bengals that have built this team through the draft. You know, they picked one overall two years ago. They mm. picked five overall this year. And now all of a sudden they're in the big dance. They've, um, you know, built a lot of these players through some free agents like Trey Henriksen. Yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But they have drafted well and shown that the front office have to be patient. And they're a good model now for teams to saying, give it time, give it a few years. You know, they could have, they could have, Sacked, sacked Taylor last year. Yeah. And they probably would have been within their rights to. I think people were surprised he kept his job. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they stuck with him. He has, you know, paid that faith back. What do you make of this matchup on Sunday? You know, this is an exciting game. For me, one of the, one of the most neutral friendly games because I don't mm. think anyone is that unhappy that these two teams are, are in here. Right. I, that's a great point. The God, so many interesting interesting matchups. And obviously I'm in full-on prep mode for, for, mm. for Sunday. I, let's let's start with the obvious things. The offensive line of the Bengals has to attempt to hold up. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be able to neutralize the, the Rams front, but they've got to find a way of limiting the damage. And that's, I guess, partly what they do on, with the right-hand side of the line in particular, what support they bring in there, how quickly Burrow can release, uh, whether they can establish the ground game. All of these things I, ha- I think will have a factor in being able to yeah, not neutralize, but certainly limit the havoc that that incredible front can wreak. I think if they don't, if they're not able to do that, I think they're in deep, deep waters. So that's that's really key. The flip side of that, of course, as well, is how much pressure the Bengals can generate. Because I think you mentioned some of the Hendrickson, obviously, but some of the the players that they've picked up in free agency, particularly defensively, are either players that have got a high had a high stock historically or initially but haven't really played out as they should or kind of under the radar players that are not in contrast to the rams and not these superstar names but have performed pretty capably i mean i think their their past defense is underrated i think they've had mm. some uh they, they they've had some really smart acquisitions there the, the safeties are heavyweights i mean so i think that they are an underrated defense and i think they can everyone's focusing on as i led with can the bengals protect burrow can they get their offense going despite that pressure? But actually, I think what's one of the as interesting battles is going to be, well, can they force Stafford onto the back foot a little bit? I, I think looking at um, 
other key matchups that are interesting for me well how will the rams deal with with jamar chase there are obviously different schools of thought but putting Jalen ramsey on him is a logical play but as we know ramsey is such a capable corner he can kind of play anywhere so maybe they double chase and they move ramsey round to neutralize higgins or, or tyler boyd uh, you know and because ramsey can play slot corner so i wonder uh it'd be interesting to see how they tackle that and there'll probably be a mixture of mix it up a little bit too uh and then most importantly of all murph i mean i think it's down to the battle of the kickers right I mean, yeah absolutely <laughs> everybody's big understandably i'll never mcpherson Matt Gay's an ice man as well, as he proved. He didn't blink to shut down Tampa. You know, no. That was this revenge. And, and to do it, don't forget, that's the team who drafted him, the team that right. cut him. Right. All the emotion. And that's a difficult place to kick. He found that himself. Mm. Um, but I think Evan McPherson, I'm lucky enough, I'm a Florida Gator fan. I watched him in college. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the video of him released just before the draft of him knocking the bottle top off the Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottle. I've seen it. I mean that man is is unbelievable. Um, I mean I've I've made a prediction uh, involving Aaron McPherson for some. Oh yeah, well MVP. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean I'd love to if he got MVP. <laughs> um, I do think he, I do think he kicks the winning field goal. That's where I think it, it does go. Um, I think it's close. That's interesting. Think it's I, I do tight. think it's close. Mm. I think it's I think this is going to be a high scoring but cagey affair. Mm. Um, and I do think Evan McPherson will be kicking. Uh, you know the Bengals to a Super Bowl crowd. I just think that this D is so special. They're coming together at the right time because people don't mm. understand. It's like okay, they were bad in the beginning of the season. Of course they were. They were a new unit. <laughs> it takes yeah, time to right. gel and, and get going. Six right. turnovers in the playoffs. I mean that that says mm. everything. It, it, you know this team is clicking at the right time. Yeah, I'm going to press you now because I know a bunch <laughs> of the time yeah. for your score prediction and mm. your uh, Super Bowl MVP. Who's lifting the Lombardi on on Sunday? God, I, it's not going out till Saturday. This, by the way. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's obviously going to be a really close game, so make sure you tune in. I, <laughs> I, I hear you with the Bengals. I, I love this team. I love how fearless they are. I really, really feel Zach Taylor is wholly underappreciated. They're hearing lots of, well, this is a one-dimensional offense, and it, you know, it's a little bit like any head coach that's working with, uh, you know, Rogers or Brady. You know. Uh, uh, latterly, anyway, Brady, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel that Arian suffered this last season with the Super Bowl. Oh, Brady won the Super Bowl. Brady was obviously instrumental in it, but let's not forget, <laughs> forget. there's quite a lot more to it than that. And and I think we're seeing the same thing with, you know, with the Bengals. It's this underrated defense. It's the Burrow Chase connection. It's all of these. No one's saying anything about Zach Taylor, which uh, maybe there is an argument that his offensive play calling is a bit one dimensional or at least limited, but the fact that there is this belief in, in the camp to the degree that we've seen has to come from the head coach. It has to come from him. So he's clearly a really strong leader. Uh, so anyway, uh, on that uh, note, I think they will be disappointed on Sunday, the Bengals. I think it's been a brilliant season. I think they've overperformed. I think they have built up for uh, a contending run for the next five plus years. They've got a lot of cap space. I mean, it's a really interesting time for them. But I think this Ram side, it's it's going to be too powerful. I don't think the line is going to be able to contain them. I think that is where this battle is going to be won. Uh, I I think because the run D is strong as well with the Rams, I think they'll they'll stifle Mixon. And I just think it will be too much uh, for them. So I like the Rams to win. And by association, my MVP is going to be Cooper Cup. Uh, wow, and I hope okay. it's not a quarterback. I, hope it's, I mean, you know, no knock on Stafford or 
Burrow if the Bengals win. But I, I like it when it's a player other than a quarterback <laughs> wins the MVP. I think Julian Edelman was the last one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Von uh, Miller, of course, won it back. Uh, yeah, Super Bowl 50. Yeah, right. There you go. So maybe Von doubling down. How about that? That could be no, that, that would be a story uh, mm. for sure. He'd be catching Brady with his MVPs. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> That'd be something to go. Well, look, I really appreciate the time. Tell everyone where they can interact, find you, and uh, also watch the game with you on, on Sunday. So on Sunday, we're on. We're starting on BBC Two, actually, 11 o'clock for build-up. Then we flip over to BBC One just before kickoff. So make sure you join us from 11 on 2. Uh, yeah, at Nat Coombs on Twitter. Uh, I'm kind of on Instagram, but I don't really use it very much. Actually, I need to, I've been keeping told I need to do better at that. So I need to work on my Insta. And the Nat Coombs Show, our podcast, which we've got a lot of great content this Super Bowl week. Ollie Connolly, I mentioned Brilliant X's and O's guy. Iron Mike, of course. Uh, who else have we got? Shane Vereen, who's been there, done oh, it, got the man. rings. Uh, lots of really, really good stuff. So check that out. Uh, the Nat Coombs Show available uh, on all good podcatchers. Perfect. Well, look, uh, appreciate your time, Nat. And we're going to flip over to our next guest in just a second. Murph, good to catch up, man. Look after yourself. Enjoy the game. Thanks so much. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling in my style, as big as I want to grow, because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. That's shopify.com slash free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today now reached the part of the show where we are giving away a signed jersey i've teased this uh before if you're listening to this on the podcast version we're not doing it through the audio you have to watch the youtube video and there will be information on where you can find uh the details on that in the actual video what we're giving away what are the conditions to to win so um, if you're listening to this on on podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Really appreciate you downloading it. Um, please also do leave us a review. This is uh, an amazing show. 
and we've got an amazing audience and, and people who listen and really appreciate every single person who has downloaded and subscribed and listened to whether this is your first show, whether this is all, you know, your, your 550th show. I don't, don't know how many we've done anymore, um, but I really appreciate you uh, tuning in and, um, we just want you to to view because uh, you know with the guests that we've got is some amazing visual uh content so do tune over to youtube and uh find the giveaway details and do get involved that way but anyway back to the show so we've arrived at the part of the show where we get to talk to somebody who will be having a vested interest in the Super Bowl, who will be supporting one of the two teams in the Super Bowl itself. And it's someone from the Five Yard family. So it's nice that the Five Yard family gets to get some success. Luckily, it was me last year. But this year, obviously, with no Buccaneers, I thought I would get my very good friend, uh, part of the Five Yard family, co-host of the Five Yard DFS uh, podcast, but also, probably more famously, an Adam PT lookalike, but you can't tell with that hat on. <laughs> it is Nick. Oh, Nick, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me. How excited are you for uh, for Sunday? Oh, no, thanks for having me, Murph. Um, excited beyond the scale. I think I'm more excited this time around than I was when we played the Patriots, and I remember how excited I was at the time. Um, but the closer it's getting to Sunday, the nerves are now starting to to neutralise the excitement a little bit. So, but yeah, I cannot wait. Because you mentioned the Patriots, so that was 2001? 2002? Well, I'm I'm thinking more the most recent Super Bowl against oh, the Patriots. 2017, so there we go. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the other one was way before, well, I say way before my time, not quite, but it, it was a couple of years before, but I've never actually seen us win the Super Bowl. I know we won it against the Titans in 2000, 2001, but I, that was a couple of years before I started the fandom. Yes, 2001, great show on turf, Kurt Warner, that was Isaac Bruce. And 2002 made it back, lost to Tom Brady uh, in the Super Bowl. Yes, of course, there was 2017. Um with uh, the Gronkowski touchdown, Jared Goff, and the defensive metal between the two. In, in this, I, you know, I've, I've talked about that, that game quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and then somehow today it's completely escaped that that was <laughs> that that was a game because obviously thirteen three wasn't quite. Um, I loved it, by the way. Like I, I thought it was an amazing game. It was twenty eighteen. It was an amazing game to watch from a defensive, if you're a purist of the game and you actually like oh, the, yeah. the strategy and the coaching and you, you, you see why the coaching staff earn the money that they earn because they earned it in that game. Yeah. Um, it, but obviously if you're there for touchdowns and celebrations, yeah. you were, you were starved of some, some serious acts. I think Julian Edelman was Super Bowl MVP in that one. Yeah. It? it was, the thing is it was, it was like you said, it wasn't one for, you know, if, if you were expecting, uh, a, a forty to thirty kind of game. It's it wasn't that. It was a chess match. It you know, and I think that watching that Super Bowl live, as devastated as I was, I think that is the first time I'd, I'd probably truly appreciated how good of a coach and how good of a schemer Bill Belichick actually is. Because the the Rams had ripped through everything in that season in the playoff run, and the ev- every good bit of the offense had just been completely neutralized. Yes, Todd Gurley's knee going didn't help things, but 
Um, you know, they still brought in CJ Anderson, who still had really good games in the run up to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and he was he was non-existent. So, yeah, it was a big learning curve, I think, for McVeigh that one. Um, but he's just come up against a defensive masterclass in in Bill Belichick, which is what he's known for. Yeah, and so you know, Zach Taylor was also there, and uh, on that coaching stuff, that was his final game as Rams offensive coordinator before he, in fact, he was an offensive coordinator. He was a quarterbacks coach. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. Um. So you know, for him to then take the Bengals job afterwards, we'll get into the Super Bowl matchup and what what that means. I want to learn a little bit about your your fandom story. So how did you end up supporting? I guess what would have been at the time the St. Louis Rams, but now the the LA Rams. So it's quite um, quite an easy one for me, Murph. It's almost a bit of bandwagon jumping. So the very first Madden game I had was Madden 2003. So I'd been, every time I went to my uncle's, he was always on Madden. So I just pestered my mum and dad at the time to, can you buy me? Can I, can I have this game? I've no idea what I'm doing, but it looks good. Um, and on the front cover was Marshall Falk. Um, and I'm trying to pick a team in the season mode, franchise mode, whatever it was called at the time, and I'm thinking, who do I pick? Who's good? I looked on the cover. I thought, well, this guy says Rams on his jersey. We'll go with the Rams. Um, What a poison chalice that turned out to be for the next about 13, 14 years. Um, So I'd missed all the good stuff, the greatest show on turf, like you said, but... Yeah, I blame Madden for for 13, 14 years of absolute turmoil supporting this team. It's amazing because, you know, Stocks, his story is is almost identical to yours about why he picked Denver. And he picked Denver because he only had the demo mode and it was a (laughs) Super Bowl 50. So (laughs) he could only pick two teams. And so he picked picked Denver to play with and then that's how he became a Bronco. So it's amazing. Like the story is a parallel. And I think Madden brings a lot of people to to the game. And it is a shame you missed the greatest show of turf. I got into Mm. the, the sport properly around that time um so 2000 the ravens won the super bowl 2001 great show on turf 99 um the rams uh beat the buccaneers um i think they went to the super bowl in 99 they beat the buccaneers in a 9-3 uh real poor <laughs> i mean that was a bad game and uh, i know that was dungy's sort of best chance um probably to get to the super bowl um, and I think it was this it's sort of first run in the postseason, and then he, he never got it there in the end. But that team with with Warner, with Isaac Bruce, with Tory Holt, with Marshall Falk was I, I just I, it's still now I still get goosebumps thinking about the talent of yes. that St. Louis Rams team. Like I don't, they're like the equivalent of like for me that Barcelona team. Um, under Pep, when they just entertained and just won everything, yeah, in the sense of they were the real league entertainers. They just made football fun. It came from an era that was very defensively minded. The Ravens won their Super Bowl was very defensive minded. The Buccaneers were um, in the NFC and they were, you know, a very strong defensive unit, pretty average on on offense. A lot of those teams around that time were very defensive minded, and then you just had the Rams just going. <laughs> It's all right. We're just going to blitz it. And it's kind of what we've seen under McVeigh is I wouldn't say it's the same because it's a different league. Now there are more offensive teams um, and maybe McVeigh gets a lot of credit for being this great offensive minded coach. And, and a lot of it is very deserved Two super bowls in, uh, in four years, obviously goes a long way towards that. But 
I think um, you know he has had the luxury of having a great squad, and again we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But in terms of for you getting back into your Rams fandom, so you got into them two thousand three. When was the first time you sort of really got into watching the games and and like obsessing over the the team? So I think probably from around two thousand and four, two thousand and five. So they just moved on really from the greatest show on turf there was still a couple of hang-ons from that so Tory Holt was still there but on the, the sort of decline of his career um Kurt Warner had moved on Mark Bulger was was quarterback you know serviceable oh, but not not Kurt <laughs> Warner by any stretch yeah, yeah. um Stephen Jackson was just just on the brink of you know breaking oh, yeah. through and, and and he's probably my favorite ram ever if I'm being honest and okay. he's one of the main reasons why I am such a supporter because when I started really supporting them and watching the game and appreciating the game, Scott Linehan was the head coach at the time. Um, three or four years of him, plus then Jim Hazlitt, I think, after that, and mm-hmm. Steve Spagnolo, maybe. Um, enough to put anyone off the game and off supporting the Rams, but Stephen Jackson, throughout all that, was the bright spark. He, he came out, he played hard week in, week out, put the team on his back. Um, it's so unfortunate that we weren't in these kind of positions whilst he was there. I, you know, if we had a Stephen Jackson now, as much as I love Cam Akers, but if we had a Stephen Jackson at running back now, mm-hmm. I would just say, you know what, just just hand us that ring. It, it's it's over. It's game over. Um, but yeah, that it, it was around oh four or five onwards. I would say is when I, I truly started watching and appreciating the game and getting more of an understanding of it. So yeah, we're, we're looking at seventeen, eighteen years. It's a long time. And you mentioned mm-hmm. you had the Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, but it has been a bit snarfed. I mean, this is the Rams' um, second appearance in the Super Bowl in that time. Um, but there haven't been that many playoff appearances. There haven't been that many runs. So what was, for you, what kept you going? Because I've been there. Um, what kept you going as a fan? Like, is it, was it just, I'm a fan, that's it, I'm just sticking with it? Or, you know, like, what, what gets you through? Because... I know how difficult it is and you know, my fandom has gone like that. And I've had times where I found it very difficult to watch the team and, and I'm appreciate you probably have had the same. So what, what keeps you going to go? Yeah, I'm just, this is it. I'm just sticking on the ride now. It's going to be, it's, it's all going to be good one day. Maybe for those like Detroit who are listening like right now. I think, um, I mean, this NFL is, is a league and American football is a sport of cycles. Um, and a lot of American sports are, are very similar in fairness. They do go on a cycle. And I think a main reason of that is how important free agency is and how important y- your draft can be as well. And I think that's probably what kept me coming back for more and more and more every year is that because we sucked so bad every year, it was like, well, we've, we've got a high draft pick to invest here again in every single round of the draft. Um, you know, it can't stay this bad forever. And it felt like it did, but it did turn around. And I think sometimes it can just be small things like coaching changes, personnel changes, culture changes. I think moving back to LA has actually helped the franchise. Yes, they're re-establishing the fan base there, but people want to come and live and be in LA. It's it's Hollywood, it's bright lights, Um there's just a better feel around the place. I think uh, as sad as it was to see them leave St. Louis and the history they'd had there in that short space of time, um, you know, ultimately LA were deprived of that franchise when it moved to St. Louis anyway. 
and I think it had, it had sort of not overstayed its welcome, but you know the, the the fans weren't showing up because the product on the field wasn't there. Um, the stadium was dated, it, you know. But it is a sport of cycles, so you know any of the anyone following teams like the Jets, Detroit Lions, and you're new to the sport, and you know if you've been a Lions fan when Megatron was there with Stafford, and you've you've seen them move on, and the team is struggling. All I would say is. Just, just, just keep with it, because you know what you will. Your teams will make mistakes along the way. You will have busts. You'll have things that you think will pan out and don't. Mm-hmm. But it is a sport of cycles. You know, we're seeing the Bengals in the Super Bowl. That never happens. It, it, <laughs> it you know, but it, it's literally took them a few years of gutting out, rebuilding, getting the right mm-hmm. personnel in, getting the right coaches in, and look where they are now. They're at the Super Bowl at the SoFi Stadium with the Rams. So. You know, it, I think that's that's all it is, Murph. I, I just understood when I started educating more about the game, understanding why some teams are better at certain times, why some teams. I mean, New England are the outlier. They are mm-hmm. they, they are the franchise, aren't they? They've been so successful for so long. But even now, they're going through a, a, a phase in their cycle where they're competitive, but they're not the New England that we're accustomed to seeing. And I think that that's what keeps you coming back is it's that hope that kills you that you think, do you know what? This team cannot be bad forever. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and it does get better. And you do have days and there's days, there's ways you can do it. You know, we're looking at our two teams, the Buccaneers and, and the Rams, and they did it through free agency and acquiring good players through trades. And, um, you know, the Rams basically went all in and decided they're going to trade the next 20 years worth of uh, first-round picks. Um, it seems like, I can't remember, I don't even know the next time the Rams are going to pick in the first round. It's a long time. Um, but it doesn't matter if if you get a ring. If you win on Sunday, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, the whole all, thing, all that's gone, it, it's worth it. It's, it's 100% it. worth it. Like, um, And I 100% with you, if you win the ring, everything is justified. And that's that's what people will will remember. What was the first Rams jersey you bought? Who was who was the name on the back of your Rams jersey? I always hesitate with jerseys because the first two jerseys I had were actually brought home from America. Friends of family went over to Florida, I think, and they brought me home a Tory Holt jersey, the blue and gold oh. one. I, I, I love the blue and gold, um, but oh. it was the Reebok jersey, so it was the one where, at the time, if you had a number printed on the front, the holes were actually in the number as well. I've got um, one of those. Yeah. It's like an all-Scott Reebok jersey, similar, yeah. but it's black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the, the downside to the gold was uh, it didn't survive very long in the wash, so the gold went green. Um, I also had a Leonard Little jersey, which was the white with the blue arms, <sighs> gold stripe. Um Following that, the first jersey I treated myself to was a stitched Sam Bradford jersey. So you can see why I'm a little bit hesitant to buy jerseys. Um, The last ever time, I don't even own that jersey anymore. The last ever time I wore that jersey was to the Rams and Patriots game at Wembley. And as I was leaving the stadium, an American guy patted me on the shoulder and he said, great game, Sammy, nice game. And he'd had an awful, awful, dreadful game. Um, I've the only one I've had since has been gifted to me, and it's an Aaron Donald blue and yellow throwback <laughs> jersey. But I think I'm safe. I think I'm yeah. safe with Aaron Donald. <laughs> so, seven all pros in a row. Yeah, I think you, yeah. can, you can sleep with your Aaron Donald one. Yeah, that's Sam Bradford. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised you got rid of it. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I'm I'm not one for getting rid of jerseys. I've got some old like Arsenal jerseys with some players who um left in controversial circumstances, but still I just put them in the back of a drawer and just pretend I don't have yeah. them. I, I still genuinely have them. <laughs> you know, that's that yeah, Sam Bradford, that might be uh, probably the worst draft pick of, of all time. Um pretty pretty catastrophic. But you can understand it at the time. If you watch the college game, you it it made sense. It just didn't yeah. happen. But yeah, no, I can see why you hesitate. Yeah, next time just uh, just say Tory Holt. Uh, yeah, I think I think if I buy another jersey, it will absolutely be an established player. Um, you know, Holt and Leonard Little were great jerseys to have, but I got them at the time where they were they were at the end of their careers. So I think my next jersey, if we win on Sunday, I think my next jersey will be. Cooper Cup. I think I'm safe there again with Cooper. Yeah, Cup. I think you you got a legend, a legend there in, uh, for sure. Um, have you ever seen? Um, have you ever been to St. Louis or LA and seen the Rams, or is it just in London that you've seen them? No, I've, regretfully, I've not been to St. Louis. Um, just just from opportunity, that more than anything. But I would have liked to go there. Yes, Missouri is not the you know tourist spot number one, but it would be nice to get out there, see the St. Louis Arc, see the Cardinals as well. You know, big big baseball team. Um, I have seen the Rams in London, so I've seen them at Wembley twice. Uh, once against the Patriots, once against the Bengals, and I have seen them at Twickenham against the Giants. So the Bengals game's the most recent one and that we that's the only time I've actually seen us win. We lost the other two. Was that like uh, 30 to to nothing? It was a, it was Yeah, it was like it wasn't it wasn't a, bit, a close game. It was a dull game. It was like 28 points to yeah. 3 or something like that. It, it was a bit of a dull one. Um you know, great if you're a Rams fan and some good touchdowns again Cooper Cup. But um yeah, the the other the the other two games the Patriots game at Wembley started really well. I remember the first play of the game was a big 50-yard bomb to Chris Givens. Um, never seen ever again. And we didn't score again in that game. And the Giants game was a come from behind, but it was we, we took a lead and we just didn't hold the lead. I think it was 20 points to 17 in the end. But it wasn't, again, a pleasing game to watch. But it was it was actually a spur-of-the-moment game that I wasn't going. But then the morning of the game, the missus wakes me up at 9 o'clock and says, get changed, we're off to Swickenham. And that was that. Amazing. <laughs> you got a good in there, that's for yeah. sure. Um, I do remember that game. Yeah, I, I was in kind of two minds of it. The, some of these London games, unfortunately kind of merged together and and like I remember being there and I remember watching the game and I can remember some of the touchdowns but I struggle with the scores when yeah. they're so one-sided. Um I had to try and recount someone the other day the Saints uh Dolphins game that I think was 20 to nothing and I think it was 20 to nothing at halftime and there was no scores in the second half and it was a ton of I've never seen so many flags. I think there was like <laughs> it felt like there was a flag on every play. It was just like ridiculous. So yeah, I I with you on that. Let's, let's talk about this season. So, obviously, with the Rams, they've been knocking on the door a few years. They've won they've won the West um, a couple of times. This year was obviously slated to be a very difficult year in that division. The Cardinals had invested. You know, the Seahawks are always one of those teams that can just do things. The 49ers as well, you know. One of the toughest divisions in, in the NFL. What were your sort of feelings at the very, very start of the season? Obviously, bringing in Stafford in that trade in January. Um, I know it didn't officially go through till March, but it was done on the 31st of, of January uh, 2021. And th- and then so where you were sort of at the start of the season, 
obviously there was a little blip in the middle there and then go, sort of your overall regular season experience and, and what the journey that the Rams have been on. Yeah, so I mean, I was really excited to get Stafford on board because that to me was a huge quarterback upgrade on Goff. I know not everyone felt that at the time, but and I'm thankful to Goff. You know, we did get to a Super Bowl in spite of Goff. Um, not you know, people say, "Oh, we got to a Super Bowl with Goff." I think it's more we got to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff, I don't think was a big part of that. I think we we got there in spite of some of Goff's play. Stafford has been an absolute revelation. He's had his moments. Don't get me wrong. He's had his, his some of his throws are in, his, in his turnovers are like, what have we, have we actually got Jared Goff back at quarterback here? <laughs> or have we got Matt Stafford? But the, the, the talent difference, the arm talent difference, the way he reads the game, completely different. So I was so excited going into the season. I actually have somewhere in this pad to my right was a season prediction for the Rams and I wrote down all the games and what I think we we, we would win and lose um, and I actually wrote down 11 and 6 so I wasn't too far off in fact I don't know if they were 11 and 6 come the end 12 of the season. and 5 I think they finished so the the yeah, um, they could have been the 2 seed going into the final weekend they dropped to the to 4 the seed because they lost yes. to the Niners which allowed the Niners to get in yeah um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of the season, I was cautiously optimistic as the season went on. Bringing in OBJ when you know Robert Woods going down was a big low point, and I'm gutted that he won't be playing on Sunday because mm. you talk about players who deserve to be in in the game of that magnitude, and Robert Woods is definitely one of them. You know, one of the nicest guys in in football. I'm a massive um, fan. He's my yeah, favorite. He's him. my favorite Ram. He's my favorite Ram by a country mile, and I, I I'm going to go on record here if the Rams win the Super Bowl on Sunday, I will purchase at some point a Robert Woods jersey. Because there's a yes. few players on other teams. Josh Allen goes in this category for me, but Robert Woods is my by a mile. It's not even close. Is my favourite Ram player. I think and he's, he's terrific. The sad thing is he, he could, in reality, he could be gone after this season. And I, mm. I truly hope he, he, he I truly hope he isn't because he's, he's one of those leaders. He, he, a lot of the work he does goes... Um, goes under the radar he's the chain mover he's one of the leaders on offense um you know he's been there throughout this mcveigh period for us we brought him in for next to nothing from the bills where he was not a bit part receiver but he wasn't wasn't exactly lighting the world up he puts together consecutive really strong seasons with us so you know i, I love robert woods and it's sad that he won't be playing in that game but we brought in obj at the right time who has probably exceeded expectation. I think he's, he's shown that the problem isn't necessarily with him, but with the Browns or Mayfield. Careful. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 would have said similar, I would have said similar things about Antonio Brown 12 months ago. That's yeah. what I'm going to say. <laughs> Careful um, what you wish for or say here. But, Asterisk. You, you know, bringing Von Miller in as well, I think, has... Mm. has helped because a lot of pressure on that line falls with with Donald and Leonard Floyd um, and bringing in another edge rusher there is something I think we we really needed we'd we'd invested a little bit of draft stock into some edge rushers you know I think we got uh, Terrell Lewis from Alabama and he's not really panned out his his health has continued to plague him like it did in college so those are, you know, the high points, the low point, like you said, was was the Woods injury, the dip in the middle of the season. We, we had three back-to-back losses against the Titans, 49ers and Packers. And that, I think, was 
a point in the season where it was like, right, we've had a nice, comfortable schedule up to this point. We've got a comfortable schedule after this, but how do we, how do we do against these teams that are going to test us? The teams that we're going to come up against in the playoffs, and you know, we struggled and we lost those three games, and it was like, oh, you know, is this going to be a winning season where we make the playoffs and it's one and done? Is it heartbreaking in the? Um, in in the divisional or conference games, you know, where, where does this season take us? Um, I was absolutely dreading the Niners game this past week because you know the story there, lost six in a row to them, but I'm, you know, so thrilled that we were able to right that wrong in LA. Um, but yeah, oh, I mean, overall, I think we've exceeded expectation for myself personally. Did I think we were going to get to the Super Bowl at the start of the season? No. Um, I would have put the Bucks and the Packers before us. So to go on the road to Tampa and then to come back to Levi South, as the 49ers fans keep mm-hmm. calling it, and, and beat them in their home territory, um, you know, I, I was absolutely thrilled with that. And you know, say what you want about McVeigh, and I, I'm I'm one of his biggest critics at times. So I do think he gets a little bit cute with his play calling and tries to overcomplicate what isn't always a simple game, but uh, you know, almost tries to outsmart the game of football mm. rather than just trusting Stafford to get the job done or trusting his running backs. Um, you know, some of the plays he draws up are crazy, but credit to McVeigh, he's been here for you know five six seasons now we, we've had winning seasons in four or five of those seasons and, and this is our second Super Bowl so you know thanks very much Sean McVeigh and, and the personnel yeah absolutely and um I, I'm with you I, I'm with I, I think Sean McVeigh is an incredible play caller who designed some fantastic schemes and gets guys open and really makes the most of the weapons he has his game management you know he is the coach over the last three years who has wasted the highest amount of timeouts he wastes 2.9 timeouts per game on average for unnecessary timeouts. That's, um, you know, too many players on the field, not enough players on the field, um, not getting a playoff uh, in time, um, not managing the clock properly, or just not even being able to pick up the coverage and, and having to call it. And, you know, it's those situations. Like I, I look at that Bucks game, you know, and the, the Rams are out of timeouts going into the fourth quarter and you're lucky because I think, and, and this is for me, that game determined why Matt Stafford is worth the price that was paid because Jared Goff would not have done what Matt Stafford did. Uh, at that stage of the game, you go behind, there's about a minute remaining, there's no timeouts. And at that point, if it's not even a minute remaining, and you think, right, with Jared Goff under center, he doesn't make those plays. Bucks win that game. And I know what you're saying, and I'm with you on Stafford. I kind of fought Stafford with his back and everything. I've been saying I'm not convinced he can play and carry the team on his back if there's no run game. And, the, the you know, the Rams are very quick to give up the run game. But he has continued to defy physical expectations because they're not ability expectations. I, mm. If Matt Stafford is 100% bill of health healthy, if this is Matt Stafford of five ten years ago he's arguably in that offense an, an mvp candidate but we know he's not because we know he's physically limited with that back with other injuries but i do think he has won games for the franchise and that bucks game in particular i know it was very comfortable pre-half and i know he was responsible for some of the mistakes that allowed the bucks to get back into it you know the bucks did this to teams last year in the playoffs but when the game was on the line he won the game yeah, that that is the difference. You know, you're getting a guy 
who can make the plays when it matters and isn't phased. He's not afraid to take the risks. He's not afraid about making that mistake. Yeah. Which I didn't think he still had. And that, that for me is where Matt Stafford has shown he is an elite quarterback, probably mm. one of the best to never have won a ring. He might correct, you know, he might correct that on Sunday and leave himself away from that group. But um, yeah, I think uh, he definitely has shown the fr- and, and th- th- you know, this is where we got to give some credit to to Les Snead, right? Yeah. Les needs, you know, he gets a lot of stick for the, the traded picks. And, you know, it was a meme and it was funny. And there's the Sky thing, uh, the Nike thing, which was, you know, F them picks. And, <laughs> you know, and it's funny. And I, and you know, I'm, I've always been the proponent that I would always rather have the, the draft picks than the players. And some of the trades that they pulled off were crazy, skeptical, not necessarily right. But, you know, you bring in Matt Stafford to upgrade the quarterback room, which is massive. And, yes, you take a massive hit on cap and, all those sorts of things, right? If you win a ring, doesn't matter. It's worth every penny. Yeah. You know, OBJ, uh, when you lose Woods, again, could have been seen the risk, but you know what? It's paid off to get you to this stage. Von Miller was just an absolute dynamite. You might not be able to re-sign him, but you know what? Again, if you win a ring, it's cost you, That's I don't know what it cost you, a fourth round pick, fifth round pick. wasn't a lot. Um, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it. And you might re-sign these guys. And that, that's yeah. the other the other you know, shield of the coin. So, um, yeah, I think I think Les Need and what he's done to continue to go all in. There's going to be some bumpy times ahead in the next year or two because we don't know about Stafford's situation, how long he's going to go, and then a lot of these players are going to fall off the roster. You know, Cooper Cup is approaching thirty. Um, you mentioned Robert Woods. You know, you've got a few of these players. So this is, you know, you you've got maybe one year, one year after this. Uh, before yeah. it gets a bit uncomfortable. So you have two shots at the bullet. But, you know, I think if you win the ring, it doesn't matter, you know, free yeah. money next year and free money for the next two years. But you have to give credit to, to Lesney because he's done it in a very unconventional manner. Yeah, Instead of finding the manner, you know, find the talent through the draft, he's gone, well, the draft is a risk. We'll take proven players. Yeah. Uh, and done a great job. Almost, almost sort of changed changed the game in a way doing that, and I'm I'm done second guessing Lesney because of the success I've seen from where the franchise was to now and how he's built the team and what he has sacrificed in terms of the draft picks, and actually establishing some of the talent in the later rounds in the draft that have come in next man up. You know, you saw Nick Scott has been flying around the field at safety mm. for us for the last couple of weeks. Prior prior to that, he was playing special teams. You know, he's a, he's a sixth or seventh round pick. And to find those guys, them them rough gems in the draft, where they've then been able to coach them up to game standard in the NFL, is you know credit to them. Yeah, especially when you're wasting second round picks on Tutu Atwell. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's uh, I give him one more year. Jury's out. <laughs> well, I mean he's not in games, but yeah, it's yeah. fair. Enough. But then you got Van Jefferson again. He's a player I've always had. Uh, a lot of time for it, Florida. He's he's starting to come good now, and it's it's yeah. great to see Van Jefferson make an impact because I I always thought there was a talented player in there, um, mm. and he's got the heart of a lion. Yeah. He really has that desire to win. It's just that there are some vis- you know some physical things where he gets out muscled and out jumped, and yeah, it he, takes some coaching to to get that out, and it takes time. He is Cooper Cup light. That that yeah. is that is Van Jefferson to me. He's Cooper Cup light. If you got if you're drinking Budweiser, you know you're drinking Budweiser. If you're drinking Bud Light, it, it's okay. But you know, yeah. and, and it's the same kind of thing. So let's talk very very briefly, very quickly here about this game now on Sunday. Just a small little 
um game you know a few hundred million people uh, are going to watch it you know they got a few a few sort of uh, older uh, older generation stars like Eminem and Snoop Dogg appearing at half you know nothing <laughs> nothing nothing major just a, been, like a, like a little scrimmage it's almost yeah. like a, a, pre- a pre-season game right um no we got we got the super bowl big event you got the bengal's probably not a game not a single person as well probably would have predicted this would have been the super bowl um for for many reasons where do you think you're looking at the Bengals now, and I mean, you could have had Mahomes and the Chiefs. You could have had the Titans, who you know the Titans did beat you in the regular season. Do you feel happy that it is the Bengals? I mean, obviously, you know, any team that's in the Super Bowl is a good team. But I mean, like, do you think if you could have picked some of the other options there, you must be pretty happy it's the Bengals, given how you would match up to to them. Yeah, and I've flip-flopped on this in my head for the past week or so. When we beat the Niners and I knew the Bengals were already there, I'm thinking to myself, we're not going to get a better opportunity than this. This is in our our stadium, in front of our fans. Um, you know, it is going to be a fairly neutral crowd, I would have thought, because that's just how Super Bowls are. Um, but like you said, the matchup is perfect. Every strength of our team in terms of the pass rush, the secondary is almost designed to neutralise their their offence. But on the flip side of that, this is their first time there. No fear. Joe Burrow, we know know exactly what Joe Burrow is now. We've seen it in college, wins the Heisman, comes to the NFL, has a rough season, gets the injury, comes back, absolute star. You know, it's no fluke anymore, I don't think. And the teams that they've beaten in the run-up... I think it's that no fear aspect. You know, they they go out there. They are the underdogs with uh, with Vegas. Um, there's nothing to lose for for the Bengals. The fact that they're there in itself is almost an achievement. I think, it, despite a few analysts I'm seeing are now picking the Bengals. In fact, I think I saw five of eight pick the Bengals this you know a couple of days ago on ESPN. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking that they're sort of seeing the tide turning a little bit now and people are saying, well actually it's you know, could could the Bengals do this? It's Joe Burrow, it's Jamar Chase, it's Joe Mixon. Um but I I'm still I think I would still rather have played this team than play the Chiefs or play the Bills hmm. in this game. And I and I get that for a lot of reasons. I think with the Bills, I don't think the Rams match up well. Um, I think the way that, that Josh Allen can pick his spots and the way that he can, uh, you know, the offensive and defensive fronts. I think you know that that defense for me, the Bills are the best defensive team in football. I think they would have hurt Matt Stafford quite considerably. I think they yeah. would have really been quite opportunistic and, and picked his pockets uh, mm. at times. And I think it would have been tough for them to get out of a spot if they went behind and went behind sizably. Um, the Chiefs are great just because Patrick Mahomes is capable of, of anything. I think that would have been a great matchup, but it is a strange one because as you say on paper, and as I say on paper, it makes a lot of sense, but there is just something about the puncher's chance. There's just something about the team that probably in week 16 of the season, absolutely no one would have predicted that they would have probably even made the playoffs or they'd have been a very low seed in the playoffs. Um, You know, you look to their remaining schedule, the Chiefs week 17, you think, yeah, well, they'll probably lose to the Chiefs and then they need to win and in. 
And if they're lucky, they might get in at the wild card. Um, and yet, you know, they they end up pulling off, you know, the Raiders. I think, you know, I think everyone, I don't think anyone was shocked in particular. That, I mean, I picked the Raiders. I just felt that there was some tide with them. Um, but I don't think anyone was shocked that they picked off the Raiders. And then to do what they did um, against the Titans was impressive. And then to see what they did here against uh, the Chiefs was, was you know, especially in overtime and, and, and everything they did was, was great. So yeah. I think it's it's one of those things they have. I think they have the momentum. Um, I think maybe more so because they've been quite dominant for the most part, except for a half against the Chiefs where they were blown out. They've been pretty dominant in games. Um, but having said that, you know, Aaron Donald from Miller against uh, an, an O-line that's basically as, as, as wafer thin as your notepad. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, and the thing is, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people say, you know, well, they, they, they managed to get to Burrow. The Titans got to him nine times. You know, he st- they still found a way to win, which which does ring true. But we we've we've got better guys getting to him. We've got guys like Aaron Donald force mistakes. He's 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 a he's a game wrecker. He's a game destroyer. Mm-hmm. You know, Von Miller coming off the edge. He's played really really well in the run up to the playoffs and in the playoffs. And you know, you, you, and this is before you even go into the backfield, the likes of Jalen Ramsey and people, you know, you're coming up against some of the best guys in their position that you will have seen this year. And I think what I'm clinging to a little bit as well is the times when the Bengals have come up against good defences this year, they have struggled. Um, and that is what I'm clinging to. Where would you say is the weakness for the Rams? Glaringly, it is the linebackers. Um, I'll keep it nice and short on this, Murph. They cannot tackle. Uh, Troy Reed has missed so many tackles in the playoffs. Um, if he lines you up, he's got you in front of him. He's, he's, pro- he's probably going to get you down. He's, he's probably going to hit you hard. But actually going sideline to sideline, I'm really concerned about our tackling. Um, and I don't know if, I hope it won't, but I don't know if the injuries... Uh, you know, to the safeties will catch up to us. Eric Weddle's played really well, actually. He's been our top <laughs> tackler. Um, and Nick Scott, like I said, has been a revelation. Taylor Rapp back there was, was having his struggles. He's back this week. I'd like to see him probably more in a bit of a, a hybrid role where he's maybe lining up alongside the linebackers and dropping back in coverage. Or, or, or you know, Taylor Rapp's a good tackler. So I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him in those kind of roles rather than just playing as an out-and-out safety where he sometimes gets caught out of position. But that, I think, is where the weakness for us lies, especially when you're matching up against the Bengals who, you know, Jamar Chase versus Ramsey. Am I concerned there? Chase has had a great season, but Ramsey's a very, very good cornerback. T. Higgins probably concerns me a little bit more because Darius Williams is smaller and has had... um, a down season on last season, shall we say? And it's the little, it's the short yardage over the middle. The Tyler Boyd's, the CJ Uzomas. That's what concerns me a little bit with this team is how the linebackers cope with situations like that. Yeah, because it's an interesting one because both these teams are, are very, very similar. Mm. Both very good against the blitz. Um, Burrow fourth uh, expected points against the blitz. Um, or averaged against the blitz. Um, Matt Stafford is actually the best against the blitz. Um, in fact, he put up the highest expo- uh, expected points 
uh, average against the blitz um, of any quarterback in the last 15 years. Cooper Cup put up one of the highest wide receiver marks against the blitz and that we've seen in records the last 20 plus years. Um, but both these quarterbacks are very good in man coverage. So mm. I think we're not going to see a lot of man. I think we'll see some man, but I think it's going to be a lot of zone. I'm intrigued for me, the matchup for me, where if I'm a Bengals fan trying to exploit or a Bengals coach trying to exploit this, this is exactly what you're saying. Taylor Rapp, the linebackers, and thinking about how do we get the mismatches where we can get Chase open on the weak side, but how do we get T. Higgins in open space? Because he has proven that if you can get T. Higgins into the secondary, he's going to hurt. He's going to hurt the Raps. And I think that's what, I'd be looking at where you can get Mixon involved in the blocking game. I'd be looking at where you can try and get some men downfield. I actually think Tyler Boyd is a sneaky uh, watch in this game because I think he'll be able to exploit um, the space that might be afforded to him. So I I think it's a really intriguing matchup. But I, I do think that the Rams match up much better against the Bengals than I think they would against the... Uh, the the Bills in particular, but maybe also the Chiefs. So it's it's going to be a, a, a really exciting game. Um, I really hope it's not like a nine six. It was it was annoying. <laughs> Surely it won't because be. not Surely with all the talent be. on display, um, you would expect this to be um, to be a great game. Where so come on, I'm going to ask you to. I know you're going to predict a, a Rams victory, right? And I think anyone listening to this is is, is knowing you're going to predict that. I want to know what you think the score is going to be. I am yes, I am going Rams victory, and I am gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit wider than the odds makers have it, and I'm gonna go Rams twenty eight, Bengals seventeen. Okay, so you're going quite a widespread. Okay, um, and do you think they're going to be in control of this throughout? Do you think it's going to be? I'm not. I'm not going to say it's a comfortable night because it, it's never a comfortable night, and not with Joe Burrow on the other side. But do you think this is going to be one of those cases that the Rams kind of open up to a lead and then kind of manage the game and then maybe just get an icing score late and kind of just withhold a barrage? Or do you think that the Bengals are going to go up first, get a bit twitchy, and the Rams are going to plough through and, and, and take the win? I I think it'll. it's hard to say because we've started fast in some games, like against the Bucks, and then started slow in others like we, we did against the Niners. Um, but that stat and the the Niners are the only team to do it and that stat is that if McVeigh is leading at half time I think in his if there's only one team that's beaten the Rams when McVeigh leads at half time and it's the 49ers and they shrugged that that monkey off the back last week and they they righted the wrong there usually when he is up at half time he will manage a game out what I want to see from us is stick into the run game, stick to what works, establish play action off that, because I think that's where we work really well. Find the gaps between uh, the linebackers and the secondary, which I think is where we'll hurt the Bengals, where other teams have hurt them. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I do think we will control the game because I think it'll be a cagey, cagey start, but I think the experience will tell in the end. Well, I wish you all the luck on Sunday. Um, I have a Rams fan on Monday's show, so we will see how happy she is <laughs> or unhappy she's going to be at the game. So, uh, oh, is it Hannah? Uh, I'm going to leave that 
till Monday. Ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I know she's out there, but yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave that till Monday for people to uh, just to, to tease. Um, but tell everyone uh, where they can find you and interact and uh, uh, yeah, can talk Rams, can talk football, can talk DFS, can talk uh, golf because you're big on, on fan team golf uh, right now and, and golf betting. So where can people interact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Nick of Wigan. Um, I will, well, as the golf season has started now, Murph, like you said, we've branched out and, and we're starting to cover the golf on fan team as well. We do a golf podcast, which is normally Tuesday nights, sometimes Wednesday nights, depending on uh, Wigan's fixtures. But yeah, you, normally on Tuesday night and it's normally either around 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. So you can catch us there. But during the season, no doubt you'll hear plenty of me again uh, when it when it comes to next season, talking all things DFS, NFL. Yeah, wicked. And uh, yeah, like I said, mate, Best of luck. Um, you know, it's going to be... How are you watching the game? How are you going to watch it? Well, I've made the mistake of not booking the day off after because I've no annual leave left. So, um, absolute schoolboy error. I completely forgot that there is uh, there were 17 regular season games, so it's pushed everything back a week this year. Um Normally, I would. I'm normally on a late the day after the Super Bowl, so it's not too bad. But I'm actually on an early, so a little bit of an admin day. Um, I will be watching it at home, and the missus normally doesn't stay up, but she's pledged to try and stay up as long as possible and have a bit of a Super Bowl party, given that my team is in there. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'll be watching it. I'm too nervous to watch it anywhere else, Murph. I can't be around other people. I was on my knees on the rug watching it the other week with my head down. I I can't, um, yeah, I've got to be... Because if it's a bad night, and I hope it it really isn't, I'd, I need to not be too far away from my bed and away from civilization. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel you. I did mine last last year on my own because of COVID, and we couldn't go anywhere, and nothing was open. And uh, I feel it robbed me of of a great night. I mean, it, the one thing I will say is it was quite a comfortable night. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> didn't have that. They didn't have a big sweat going into the fourth quarter, like yeah, uh, that's it. Would yeah. normally, so I, you know, if you if you do get a win, that's uh, I definitely recommend it as a Super Bowl experience. You know, get 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 up about twenty three, twenty four points, and then just sort of put your feet up and just enjoy yeah. the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And make sure you get your your WhatsApps open to you, uh, any mates that are, uh, absolutely. are fans. So, so absolutely, I'll let you go, my friend. Good nice luck, on, Murph. Thank you and, very much. Uh, thanks for joining, and thank you. Um, Coming up next, got another amazing interview, so stay tuned for that. It'll be on shortly. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So joining me now, uh, very, very special guest, very popular guest, probably my favorite guest that we can get on to help us all get a little bit smart and look at how we can uh, get ready for the game. Uh, I've got with me the excellent coach, Jeff Reinbold from Sky Sports Coverage and CFL, uh, very successful special teams coach, been in the game a long time. Coach, thanks for coming back. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk ball with you and uh, have school in session. It's my pleasure, Murph. <laughs> well, look... Um, very, very special Super Bowl uh, this year. Two teams that match up reasonably well. I mean, very similar strengths, very similar weaknesses. Talk to me about and talk to everyone listening about where uh, some of the keys are for... Let's start with the Bengals. Uh, obviously, a, maybe a surprise at the start of the season to be here, but have certainly earned their way into this Super Bowl. What are some of the things that they will need to do if they're going to lift the Lombardi Trophy on, on Sunday? I think the obvious one to everybody is they're going to have to find a way to protect Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, you talk about a guy who got hit or sacked nine times, hit 13 times, you know, two weeks ago mm. or three weeks ago now. And then last week had to scramble around and make plays out of pressure. Uh, you know, he's facing a dynamic group of defensive linemen and, and you know, unique scheme. I mean, this is a scheme that is not at all suited uh, you know, for the Bengals. It's not at all, you know, what the Bengals want. When they play their five-down look, and when I talk about five-down, you know, most teams in the National Football League play four defensive linemen and two linebackers, a nickel, typically. Uh, but the Rams are different. And what they do to you is you have Aaron Donald and you have – uh, Greg Gaines playing nose, and then you have Ashawn Robinson as the third, quote, down guy. But you have to, in protection, you have to count Floyd and you have to count Vaughn Miller as defensive linemen because you cannot put your back on those guys. So that five-down look forces them into a protection that we refer to as 5-0 in the coaching world. And that means that every one of those offensive linemen is matched up one-on-one. -on -one. And those are premier pass rushers, or at least three of those guys are premier pass rushers. Gaines is better than people think he is. And Ashawn Robinson is a big, strong guy too. So, you know, they're going to be in really a tough, tough deal because Cincinnati is going to have to make a decision. Do we keep a tight end, two tight ends in? Do we chip with our back? What do we do? Because we're not going to be able to protect the quarterback against that look. It's just too difficult. And they're frankly not good enough on the offensive line. So I think that's the number one place everybody's talking about. I think there's a couple other areas too. I think Joe Mixon and even Samaji Piran are going to have to have some sort of impact on the game. And, you know, it may not be running the football per se, but they've got to run it some. So the Rams just can't, you know, you know, just 
divorce the run and get, you know, go out. I mean, it'll be ugly. There's a potential for it to get ugly that way. If they can just nibble away with the run. And, you know, we saw P. Ryan had a touchdown on a screen. Mixon did a good job on a screen. They're going to have to screen some, too. Now, where the Rams are a little bit, um, I, I, I think where you'd say they're a little suspect is at the second level on defense. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the corners, but I'm talking about their linebacker play. That mm-hmm. That's a place where if they can get Mixon one-on-one with the middle linebacker, they've got a chance. Um and then again, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Rams do coverage-wise uh, with Jalen Ramsey, how much he's going to actually go around and shadow uh, Jamar Chase. So that, those are the things I think are the really key matchups. And then the two quarterbacks are going to have to perform well. And, and I think for the Rams, Stafford just has to stay out of, you know, disaster plays. And for Cincinnati, Joe Burrow's going to have to make some plays, some dynamic plays. So, you know, it, it's going to be a great football game. So with both of these quarterbacks, they're absolutely elite against uh, the Blitz. Um, pretty good in man coverage. Um, both of them sort of top five in each area in the league from quarterback ratings and statistics on each of those coverages. Do you think in this game we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of zone D to try and uh, basically force some of these plays and knowing that how well both of these quarterbacks can exploit uh, a blitz because they're very quick at getting the ball out of hands and, and, and quickly, you know, developing play and, and to stop some of those um, deficiencies that each side has at that sort of that secondary level. Yeah. I think, you know, you look at them and, and um, you know, certainly the Rams have Jalen Ramsey and, you know, they have Eric Weddle, who I think for a guy that's been out for two years, played extremely well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would kind of, you know, just from the initial look at it, you'd probably give the Rams a little bit of an edge in the secondary. But then you look over at that other side, and the Bengals' defensive backs have played really pretty well this this playoffs. Now, there are some guys that historically have given up some big plays over there. You know, Apple's a guy that's been exploited his whole career since he came into the league at New York. But – He's also the guy that made that great tackle to, you know, to keep Tariq Hill out of the end zone at, at, on the last play of the first half of the last week, which really opened up a window for Cincinnati to climb back in the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Hilton's done some amazing things. Right. Bates is, yeah. Jesse Bates is really, really playing well at, at, uh, at safety. So I would give the edge in the secondary right now as a group yeah. to the Bengals. And then – you know, Lou Anarumo, I thought, did an amazing job last week of mm. scheming in the second half to really confuse and take away Mahomes. And so now it'll be interesting to see what he does to Stafford because if there's one thing that you could say about the Rams, right, and the one area where if I'm a Bengal fan, I feel I feel like we've got a chance, is the Rams have not been a team that has shown that ability to – when they get ahead, finish a game cleanly. Mm. In every one of the games we've we've watched them in the playoffs, they've gotten leads, and then they can't hold the lead. They have to come back and fight at the end to win the game. Joe Burrow's not a guy you want to give opportunities to, right? So no. I think that's going to be another one of those areas where we talk about you know how, how this game's going to unfold. 
you know, when you look at that 5-0 scheme that, that you know, that the Rams force you into, that does come with, with, a, with one caveat, if you will, is that now you, if you're going to play zone, you've got to give up one of your zones because you've got five guys rushing, normally four. And if you play man, again, are you good enough against three really fine receivers like Cincinnati has to uh-huh. hold up? over the course of the game because Burrow, you know, like you said, Burrow will hang in there and let a receiver come open, you know, against, against pressure. And you got to consider the five man pressure that they run as a blitz because it's normally an extra rusher. And so with, with this, so two things, one, just going back to Lou Amarillo, because one of the things he did against the chiefs was obviously he, he dropped a, and made sure that he basically made Mahomes. He made it very difficult for him to find an open window. They looked at where they could attack men, move up, made adjustments, and you know he deserved the game ball. Didn't get a lot of credit in the post uh, post game analysis, um, but he did an amazing job, as you say. But I find that he can't kind of do the same trick again because you've got Cooper Cup on the outside who can make so mm-hmm. many plays, and you know you have Odell Beckham Jr. who this season in that, you know, in that Rams offense has been potent. So how do you, how do you get with this Rams team? You know, no one has done it all year. No one's been able to keep Cooper cup quiet. If you were, if you were scheming against the the Rams, how would you try and manage Cooper cup to have a, a, a sort of marginal day and then try and find ways to just sort of nullify that offense because this is something that not anyone's done all year. Well, where it's so difficult against him, now that OBJ's in, in the mix, is that, you know, they typically build an awful lot of what we call three-by-one formations where the tight end, Cup and Jefferson will all be on one side of the field, all right? And on the other side of the field, you'll have OBJ. And... If you, you know, tilt your coverage to the three-man side, and it's typically in a bunch formation, then OBJ is exposed one-on-one on the back side, and there's really nobody at Cincinnati that can handle him the whole night one-on-one. So then you go back and balance up your coverage. Now you're one shy to the trip side where you've got Cooper Cup against zone. Now, he is great against man, but he is he excels against zone coverage. So if Cincinnati is going to play a lot of zone coverage, they got to really mix what they do and come with zone exchanges where normally, let's say in cover three, the strong safety is your flat player. All right. Well, you're going to have to, and they did, they did this to Holmes, make your corner, the flat player, drive your safety to the high, you know, so things make different things so that, Stafford, who's who's seen everything that there is to see in the game because he's got experience, comes in and, and, you know, you try and just get him to hold the ball a little bit in hopes that Hendrickson and that crew can get there. Yeah, I I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how they do that. One of the things is obviously we've got Jamar Chase on uh, Jalen Ramsey, which is going to be a fascinating matchup and, and not one that, I think the Bengals will want to have too often in a one-on-one. They might prefer to try and get Chase over on the other side and exploit. How how can the Bengals really get Jamar Chase? Because I feel like for the Bengals to win, Jamar Chase needs to have a huge game. 
in order for them to be able to win this football game. Well, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Raheem Morris does with that because as good as Ramsey is, it's not been his history, and I'm talking about Raheem Morris, to travel him a great deal. When we when I say traveling, Murph, what I'm saying is that where he will travel with the number one receiver and then everybody else plays off of that. Um, you know, if they do that a lot, then you got to see that, you know, T. Higgins has got to come up big, right? Mm. And like I said, Mixon's going to have to come up big. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do some things with, you know, the other guys on the field. And, and I think what's going to be really important for the, for Cincinnati is let the game come to you, right? You want to get your star involved early in the game. I think that's important, but you also got to understand you can't force feed him if the coverage isn't there. He's got to, you know, Joe's going to have to understand if I have to come back to my second option or my third option, I've got to do that because I can't hold the ball. This will be really interesting as I, as I think about the game, I, I can't hold the ball. He's got to speed up the clock in his head because those those five down guys are coming and they are going to be coming from the very start. That's why I think Mixon's got to, you know, got to factor early in the game some in the screen game and, you know, throwing the ball out of the backfield so that Burrow can get started. And then I think Chase can come into the game later and impact the game later as they start to see what they're going to get. Mm. So for you, then the key to this, if, if, if we're looking at a way for the Bengals to win this game, try and keep it close early. Don't lose it early. Establish the run. Get some time on possession on the board. Try and convert. Get some points, even if they're field goals. Hang in there. And then in the second half, try and attack the Rams. Absolutely, Murph. And I think, too, that you know, belief has such an impact in a game, right, on a team. And certainly the Bengals believe in what they're able to do. They've been behind in every game since Kansas City, I believe, you know, in in the regular season. And they've come back, you know, in some case from double-digit deficits, they've been able to come back. So if they get behind early, I don't think it's going to affect them. Joe Burrow doesn't seem to be affected by that. We saw he's down 21-3 to Kansas City, and there's, there's no stress in his face and in his eyes. He just goes back to work. And, you know, so they're they're – they're a team that believes that they can come back against anybody because they've proven that they can. So this is, again, the fascinating matchup. You've got a team that has a history of getting out on top but can't close, right? And you got another team who's got a history of being behind and, you know, you can't, you can't finish them. No. So it's going to be an incredible matchup, I think, on Sunday. So if you were calling this right now when we're recording and, you know, behind the curtain, this is on Tuesday afternoon. So we still got some injury news to the tight ends on both sides mm-hmm. and a few other players. Which way, who do you think is going to be lifting this Lombardi trophy on, on Sunday night? Well, I think the logical choice would have to be the Rams because they've got a better team, right, on paper. Mm. You go through them, they're a better team. They've got a better offensive line. Uh, I give the nod to Cincinnati at running back. The tight ends, we don't know because we don't know who we're going to have on the field. I think the the receivers are a wash, right? I think the mm-hmm. quarterbacks are very, very, very close. I'm a little concerned about Stafford's, you know, kind of 
propensity to make disasters out of you know plays he should just let go mm. um the kicking game you got to give an edge in terms of you know the field goal although both the field goal kickers are you know outstanding you know the guy the shooter is like on fire for Cincinnati uh, yes but I think it, you know it's a very very close football game the defensive line you give the edge to uh the Rams linebacker I'd give the edge to Cincinnati and then mm. you know DBs if you look at the totality of it and the way they're playing right now, I still might give the edge to Cincinnati. So mm. it says everything says very close football game. I, I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to watch you on Sunday uh, breaking down as we're watching it. Uh, any surprises that you can share? With us? This isn't going out until the weekend, but any surprises you can share of who might be on uh, this weekend on the Sky coverage? Uh, we're going to have Warren Moon. We're going wow. We're going to have Clayus Campbell. Uh, we're going to have Kay Adams. Uh, Baldy will be on the pitch, and Sean and Sean and I will be in the in the studio with Neil. And so we got to cast a thousand. So <laughs> it'll be fun. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, tune in to Sky Sports this weekend. Listen to Coach Breakdown during the game. The keys to this game, and uh, telling us how this Super Bowl Fifty Six will be won. Coach, thank you so much for joining me on this and. Uh, enjoy the game enjoy the coverage and, and thanks for everything you do here for the game in the uk hey my pleasure murph it's always great to visit with you thank you for having me on oh well thank you for coming look forward to speaking soon all right brother aloha mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner well, everyone, unbelievable knowledge there from Jeff Reinbold breaking down for us the uh, X's and O's and everything we need to look for for this game. I know I'm going to have my eyes peeled and I feel definitely a lot more prepared for this Super Bowl. We've heard from Nick. We've heard from the Rams fans. We've heard from Nat Coombs. We've heard from Jeff Reinbold. And you've heard from me. So we need to balance it up a little bit. We need to get uh, a Bengals fan on. And I'm pleased to say I've got a good friend of mine, patron of the show, supporter of the show, uh, his name's Dave. He's a brilliant uh, individual. Dave, first time ever. Welcome to Five Air Russian. Congratulations on on making the Super Bowl. Thank you very much. Cheers, my family. It's it's brilliant to be on it. Uh, obviously, listen to it all the time. All of the really good pros that we get from you and the guys and all your guests. But yeah, the Super Bowl. Who would have thought? It's very brilliant. It's it's unbelievable, really, isn't it? If you, if you think back twelve months ago. Um, Bengals had finished four, four, eleven, and one. Uh, there was calls for for Zach Taylor to lose his job. It was quite strong. It was very much touch and go if he was going to keep his job. Picking five in the draft, everyone kind of thought, well, you're going to get. You got no offensive lines. So you're going to get Ben Isuel. Um <laughs> Fast forward, fast forward twelve months. Taylor <laughs> keeps his job, wins the uh, the AFC North. Doesn't take Sue well, but instead decides to, to go with Jamar Chase, who ends up winning Rookie of the Year, setting the all-time record for um, receiving yards in the season by a rookie and also the most postseason yards 
by a rookie. He is going for the triple count, crown on Sunday. Uh, 110 yards will mean he will have the all-time leading receiving record for a rookie uh, wide receiver in the Super Bowl. So that's the one that we'll keep an eye on uh, for him on, on Sunday. I'm sure he's going to break that. But talk to me about your fandom because you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, let's you know, not be around the bush here. It's been a very difficult, I want to say 30 years, um, with the exception of uh, that little spate kind of uh, around about um, 2015 with, with Andy Dalton, um, where, you know, the Bengals, did a, I think it was a 15-1 season or 14 season. It was a big season anyway. Um, but, you know, I remember some Bengals quarterbacks. I remember John Kittner. I remember Carson Palmer when they drafted him one overall. Um, obviously, good quarterbacks who just never obviously took Bengals to the promised land. No uh, playoff victory since 1991. And here we are in the Super Bowl. So how do you, as a as an Englishman, get to support the Cincinnati Bengals? Because they're not really on TV, don't really no. do much. Like I'm curious, like how, how did this happen? It's an absolute it's it's a ridiculous reason to support a team as well. Because like you were saying, being from the UK, I've got no kind of uh, tie to the area. I've never been to Cincinnati. I've been fortunate enough to go to quite a lot of uh, states in America. Um, I've never actually watched a an NFL game in America. I've watched a couple in the UK. I, that's that, that's a dream of mine to to one day to go and watch. Ideally, the Bengals, but anything. Um, but <laughs> it all stems from a couple way 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 back uh, in the mid nineties. A couple of friends of mine they were big Bears fans, loved the fridge, things like that. I think Gridiron used to be on Channel Four early in the morning, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'd watch that, and it was literally, and it's the same reason my wife would choose, and I don't mean to marginalise it in any way, but I just I just couldn't get around the uniform, the outfit, the helmet. So it just they looked the coolest guys out there. They looked like they meant business. So that was it, the Bengals, and uh, wow. and it was still a Bengals fan. That's amazing because yeah, I, I I always ask this question to people who um, get into teams, especially over here in in the UK. You know, my story's pretty boring in comparison to others. I lived in Orlando, therefore um, picked local team. Really, who was on TV in, in in Orlando? It was the Bucks. It was kind of halfway between there and Jacksonville. Jacksonville, quite a new team, weren't very popular. Um, I know some like Stocks and Nick, who was on earlier. He um, Picked his fandom due to uh, Madden, the video game. Uh, yeah, Stocks yeah. picked spot, Stocks picked Denver because of um, uh, the, he got a demo version of of Super Bowl uh, of Madden. It had Super Bowl Fifty, so you could only play as the Carolina Panthers or or the Denver Broncos. <laughs> so that's why he ended up supporting <laughs> them. Nick Nick picked them for a different reason, um, just based on who was on the Madden cover the year that he bought it. Uh, and was obsessed with it. So um, it's amazing stories. Uh, people picked by fantasy football players. It's, it's why I'm always curious. But the uniform doesn't shock me because, you know, the one thing with the the Bengals is the uniforms do stand out. They are striking. They're unique. Um, black and orange is not a combo you see too often, except for maybe if you're a Blackpool uh, supporter. That's probably about the only kit I can kind of liken um, to, to the Bengals. My brother's actually a Tangerines fan as well. So. Oh, well there you go. <laughs> so it all kind of plays in. Um, great. So, I mean, when when did this happen? So you, you mentioned, you know, you watched Gridiron in the 90s. Was that when you 
uh, started following them, or was it sort of a bit a bit later on? So, so it was kind of initially, and that's why I think I should be afforded a bit of clemency for choosing the team on the on the colour of the helmets because I was okay. then young. But, but really, it was it was kind of I, I got back into it big time really in the early nineties, about two thousand two, two thousand three. Started working with a couple of Broncos fans and a, and a Seahawks fan and a Chargers fan. And, uh, and they got me back into it because I'd been a little bit in the wilderness with my NFL watching. Hadn't really paid much attention. And, uh, and yeah, and that was when I properly got back into it. Just because there were people around me that were. Um, other than that, I can't, really, I can't really put a finger on a particular match or a player or anybody that really got me into it. But, yeah, it was, it was around that time. And so who was the first uh, Bengal you had on the back of your jersey um it was uh, it was uh, rudy johnson i've always oh. been into running backs yeah i i, I like it i've got mix mixing top on now that's good to say um and yeah i i like the running backs i like defensive players as well um my surname's hilton so really i should have a mike hilton um jersey as well definitely but he he stood out for me it was as i was really getting back into it the running backs are—they really are the grinders. They're the, you know, five yards, seven yards, the dirty miles. They're the not the beaten heart. I mean, you look at quite a few teams like CMC and Derek Henry players like that. The whole team is around them while they're healthy, and and they're a real focal point. Uh, so yeah, so Rudy Johnson, and I think still he holds the franchise record for most yards in a season. So I've probably changed quite a lot. Absolutely. So would you say he's your favourite Bengal of all time, or do you have uh, another favourite? AJ Green's probably my favourite Bengal of all time. I know it's quite recent, but he just, he was just something different, you know. And to choose a wide receiver when I do love running backs, it was it was uh, difficult to make that call. But yeah, no, AJ Green's probably my favourite. I, I mean, I still look out for now, even though he's playing cards. But uh, I, I, I I'm a big fan of him. It's got to be a bit of a kick in the teeth for AJ Green. The year he leaves is the year that the Bengals make the Super Bowl, considering how many sort of bad teams he played on. And I, you know, I, I can, I can definitely think of um, some players. I, I know from the Buccaneers, uh, I can think of Joe McCoy is the one that springs to mind immediately of a bad player who left and then the team got good. And you're just like, oh, you feel for them, but. You know, it's part and parcel of the business, and he had an opportunity to to try and get a ring this year, and, and maybe next year if he stays there. So um, we'll see what happens with him. But yeah, I can understand the the love for AJ Green. I mean, he was um, he was definitely a franchise lifting talent. Like the, I remember some of those early Bengal teams he was on that weren't brilliant, um, and then even afterwards, and then it was like, okay, but AJ Green's there. So you always knew that they were in with a game. He could win games on his own uh, at, at the peak of his powers. So I, I, I definitely appreciate that. In terms of then, have you seen the Bengals in London? You mentioned you've not seen them before. Have you ever seen them in, in London before? No, but one of the guys I was talking about, a Chargers fan, he actually went to see the Bengals-Rams game in London and he got me a scarf, bless him. But I couldn't, I couldn't make it out of work. Um, I've been quite unlucky with the way that work falls. I, I've been twice to see NFL in London. I went this year to see the Jets and the Falcons. 
And um, being a Bengals fan, obviously, you know, I like a kick in from time to time when I support the underdog. So I've got a bit of a, an affinity for the Jets fans as well, because I feel the pain. Um, and in 2018, I went to see the Seahawks uh, destroy the Raiders. Oh, very, God, very yeah. Yeah, that was, that was very one-sided. Um, that was brilliant. I, I, I do quite... I, I like the Seahawks. I think I think they're my AFC team, if you like, in a way. Uh, Legion of Boom. Uh, I've got a Earl Thomas jersey. Um, mm. I, I just I just saw the way they played football back then. Uh, it doesn't really mean me much to my um, to my uh, Broncos fans and friends <laughs> as well, because obviously you know that's supposed to be their Super Bowl. But yeah, now, of course, and, and it's one of those things, isn't it? With always a second team, as you know, I I have an an AFC team that I always like. Mine the Bills. Just Josh Allen for me is just. Someone who I can stick and watch all the day, all the day long. So I, I, uh, you know, it's, it's about players and the way the start, as you mentioned, the style of play is so important. That's kind of why. I mean, you can't just jump on bandwagon and go, "Well, my mates like them, so I'm going to go and spot." If I had that problem, I'd end up. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've got somehow I've got a lot of Jets mates, which I don't quite understand, but <laughs> um, you know that's fine, and I, I, I wish them well, and I hope they do win games, but. You know, yeah, I can't, I can't go through that um, trauma every single week. I've done that as a Buccaneers fan, gone through that. So, yeah. uh, know where they're coming from, and know where you're coming from. Much rather be on the side that the Bucks and the Bengals are on now. That's for sure. Um, let's talk about this season because, again, we talk, I, I've talked about this already. 2021, the Bengals weren't really scared. We were expecting them to take a leap, not a huge leap. Um, I think there weren't many that were t- uh, tipping them for the playoffs in. What was a tough division? You know, three teams made the playoffs in this division last year. The Browns, the Steelers, and and the Ravens all made the playoffs last year. (laughs) Yeah, all made the playoffs last year. So, you know, you were in a tough division as it was. You are a former MVP, um, a former two-time winning Super Bowl coach, and and then you've got the the reigning uh, coach of the year um, in, in the division. So it's tough. So what were your sort of feelings when you drafted Chase, when the draft, the free agency, because signing players like Hendrickson and Hilton uh, came on board? What were your sort of initial feelings to the season and, and about Zach Taylor staying? And what were kind of your expectations? And then talk me through your season in your eyes as a, as a Bengals fan. Because, I mean, I've watched the games, but I didn't live it in the eyes of a Bengals fan. Like, <laughs> Talk me through what, what it was like to go through the 2021 season as, as a Bengals fan, starting from, from start to the, the playoffs. So so initially, uh, the, the free agency of Hendrickson has been massive. I think that's, you know, maybe overlooked because it doesn't hit the, uh, the tabloids or anything like that. That's been enormous. Him with, you know, working left to right, you've got Apple, Hubbard, and then Hendrickson and Ouzier. They're, you know, they're, they're key to us. They are really, really important players they're as much uh, a part of the reason we're here as Zach Taylor is as Burroughs incredible kind of accuracy is and as, as much out season I, I think really important um it was a it was a toying cost maybe between um Devonta Smith and, and Jamal Chase going first receiver uh, I'm so pleased that we went for Chase because he just you know there was a lot of he, he drops quite a bit Maybe he's not 
not great in coverage. He's done everything. He's done everything this season with him and Higgins together. You know, I expected a better season, like you were saying. I was hoping for like seven wins, something like that. That would have been that would have been a good watermark to hit with the way Burroughs before his injury was looking last season. I thought that's somewhere where we could get to, and. Uh, and yes, just it's just carried on and carried on. Uh, it's been unbelievable. You did mention earlier that we can't, we couldn't get any consistency. We kept like dropping games to the. I think we dropped one to the Niners. We haven't been great against the Browns, bizarrely. Although we've done a double over the Steelers and the uh, and the Ravens, which they're highlight to put forty one points up against the Ravens both times we played them. That's that's insane. That, that's like obviously getting to the Super Bowl. Two, two comebacks against the Chiefs, going to Arrowhead and coming back again. Just just incredible. But but score 41 points against the Ravens both times. That's that's huge. That was a, a big part of the season for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I kept waiting for the wheels to fall off. I've got to be honest. You, you just you just expect it, don't you? I, mm. I, I thought getting, getting smashed by the Chargers, that was probably a low point. Particularly from final, final, particularly from a fantasy football perspective, because uh, big fan of Mixon, he's in my lineup. He fumbles, the game changes, literally just like that. He gets that hit from the side, fumbles the ball, and they run away with it. We we chase the game, intercepted, another score, done and dusted, and that was the most worrying point of the season for me. I thought that this is where we find out what we're about. Uh, and we dusted ourselves off and went for it. Very next game, kind of, you know, fearless in a way. And that's that's the way Burrow's been playing. He, he just he just doesn't care what he's up against because he's got belief, but a likable kind of belief, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. So so kind of that's that's the season. Even when we were getting closer and closer, then there was that ridiculous uh, talk about if we win the final game, we get number one. Uh, even to that point, I was still thinking. Something's going to go awry, but it didn't. And and as we progress through the playoffs, and so now actually, I, I believe, I believe we can. I believe we can do it. Yeah, I, I, and you got every reason to believe. You know, the coverage in the press will all talk about um, the Rams and the Rams defensive front. They'll talk about all these amazing things that the Rams can do. You know, I, I point to last year. Right, and, and and I don't just do this because a Buccaneers fan. I'm reveling in it. I'm, I literally see so many similarities in the narrative of last season and the narrative of this season. Last year, in the coverage and the build up to the, the the Super Bowl, very few team, very few pundits actually gave the Buccaneers a chance. They're like, yeah, it's Tom Brady, it's amazing, yeah, and the D's good, and Tom Bowles has done well, but yeah, they're the Chiefs. Like, you can't beat the Chiefs. Like, who's beating the Chiefs? You know. Like, wasn't even close. I, at the end of the day, you can do all the analysis. People are going to talk about, and rightfully so, they're going to talk about Von Miller. They're going to talk about Aaron Donald and their exceptional defensive players. They're going to talk about bringing five and and getting home. And, and Burrow's going to get sacked in this game. Like he's going to get sacked four to eight times in this game. Like that's going to happen. That is going to be a thing. But it doesn't phase Burrow. The difference between a quarterback who gets sacked like a Daniel Jones and is at risk of losing the football every time he goes down and someone like Burroughs, he just dusts himself off the next play and goes, 
all right, I guess I'm just going to throw a 20 yard bomb and we're going to, we're going to move the chains. It's not a problem. And he just dusts himself off. And, you know, he's so good against the blitz. He's so good about how he brings that pressure and, and gets rid of the football when he's got a great array of talent. So if I'm a Bengals fan, I, I would be optimistic. I, I think it can be disheartening when not many pundits are picking your team. But I also think, do you know what? They get it wrong quite frequently. I think it's fine. Um, I, I would revel in it. And, and these playoffs, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the defence in this team. In the season was... You know, it was challenging at times. There were some times where you mentioned the Chargers game and there were a few games where, you know, serious amount of points went up. But, you know, there's some there were some signs early on that this D was improving. Uh, run defense, fifth best in the NFL, um, was consistently good at stopping, at stopping the run. You know, teams might beat them at the corners. They might beat them in the secondary. But, you know, they weren't getting much up front. They were forcing teams to really think on the fly. And that allowed... Burrow to to take an advantage when he got the ball, but this D has been building every every week. It's got better. It's a new unit, lot of new players on that D line in the secondary at linebacker. You know, all over this D, there's new players, and I think now that they're gelled, you can see they're gelled. You can see that they're playing well. Six turnovers in the playoffs so far, making big plays when they matter. You know, if I look at these D's and I think, okay, who? If I'm breaking this down, I did this with Jeff Reinbold earlier. I think the secondary, you give it to the the Bengals. The linebacker core, I'm giving it to the Bengals. The D-line, obviously, I'm going to give it to the Rams. But it's, I don't think it's as far apart as, you know, hearing the chat of, oh, this, this, this Rams D is unbelievable and they're going to put... Yeah, do you know what? The, the Bengals D is pretty good too. And Matt Stafford's capable of making a few mistakes. I think it's going to come down to who takes advantage. In terms of for you... And, you know, first time you as a fan to seeing your team, what is your Super Bowl ritual normally if you get to watch the game? And then what are you going to do differently this year now your team are in it? Um, so my, my, my ritual, um, since my kind of um, renaissance with the NFL around the early noughties, there's a group of us, there's actually eight of us, and we get together every year and we watch it. It's brilliant, but we, we take it in terms to host. We go, you know, full tilt American. We get dogs, we get ribs. We do our own semi kind of um, a, a, a bit like a, um, just, just a massive kind of feast, uh, beer. We even decorate. We've got those helmets that you put snacks in. You know, we, we, we go to town. It's brilliant. We'll have a quiz that's based around NFL music and bits and pieces. Uh, there's only six of us going to make it this year because a couple of guys are away with work. But it's, it's brilliant. It's like it's on one of the first days on my calendar every year. Um, and I'm going to be there with the Chargers fan, um, a couple of – in fact, the two guys that aren't going to be there, which kind of suits in a way, are Chiefs fans, but they're away. <laughs> I think they've made excuses, personally, but they're going to be away. Um, the, the, it's the too painful. Of, <laughs> it, is, it is. I mean, they were there. They, they had it, didn't they? But, yeah. but you know, you can't be a, a good team down. The ritual, the, the, the difference I've, I've done this year is, uh, is I've bought them all hats. And I've even, I've even bought a Bengals hating. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, a look Bengals at that. 
But he said, sorry, he said if we got there, he'd wear it. So he's going to wear it. Um, and he's got to wear it. He's got to wear it all postseason. He's not allowed to wear his Colts top until it kicks off again. So I'm happy. Oh, my <laughs> words. So he's a Colts fan. So not only has he got the indignation of wearing a Bengals jersey all through the Super Bowl, but he has to live with the fact that it was the Jacks that knocked him out of playoff contention. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> word. Oh, yeah, that's the... Uh, I feel for Colts fans. Um, I really do. Because I, I think they could have had a chance. And then, yeah, the Jags came along and went, nah. Um, yeah, crazy. Um, so let's talk about the game. Obviously, it's going to... Biggest game of your fandom. Biggest game of... You know, for you in, in 20 plus years of, of watching football, how do you see this game going in terms of from the Bengals perspective? Where do you think the strengths are for the Cincinnati Bengals and, and the keys to victory for them if they're going to win this game? Um, I think I think the way that the playoffs have played out so far I think the key's in there to be honest I think you look at all three games you look at the Raiders and we didn't play very well it wasn't a great game it's probably our our worst performance in the playoffs there was a lot riding on it you know there, there was a lot of focus on it like there will be with the Super Bowl but we were expected to win that one and it was going to break the duck of you know the, of, of the amount of time it had passed since winning a playoff game. Um, but we still managed to win. And then and then moving on to the Titans, I think Reader was, was probably one of our most underrated, one of our most important players. The amount of times he got to Henry at the line, it, it was it was enormous. And if mm. and if Henry can if Henry, sorry, if Reader can do that now and keep Akers in check, well that, that forces Stafford to throw. We know we know that he can be picked. Now, he's going to throw to Cup. No one can guard Cup. Seemingly, he is sensational this season. But I think we've got enough. Like saying, I think we've got enough back there with Apple and Hilton and Ouija. I think we've got enough. And Von Bell. I, I think, I think that's where we need to apply the pressure and try and steer them into playing the game that we want them to play. It's not going to be easy. They're an incredible outfit, you know. They have got their who's who, aren't they? Basically, mm. uh, I think OBJ has come alight and he's really fine his feet. I wouldn't be surprised if he re-signs for him next year because he, he just looks happy. The, the way they're talking about him in the dressing room, he's, he's a big player. Um, but but Burroughs' belief, like saying, you know, he could be third and 22, he still thinks, oh, that's makeable. He, he'll uh, he, he'll do push us. He'll push us. Get Mixon involved enough, wear him down enough. But I, I, I don't think the key is in the offence. Because we've got the offense, I think it's in the defense, and I think it's out. I think it's making Stafford play the way we can handle. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I think if I'm Lou Amaruno, I think this is where the, the game is so important because I wouldn't be worried about rushing um, and bringing the pass rush too often to Stafford. He's very good against the blitz. I've talked about this earlier in the show. Um, there's no one better in football right now against the Blitz than, than Stafford and, and Cooper Cup. So don't feel the need to rush too often. Maybe sometimes to keep them honest, don't make them feel like they've got all the time in the world. But over rushing, you know, we saw it in last year's Super Bowl, Todd Bowles 
bought extra men to the line, and he just constantly put Mahomes under pressure. Very, very different game. That's not going to work in this particular game. It's going to be more about dropping back eight-man coverages, seven-man coverages, making sure that there's no easy completions, no big shots. You know, you'll give up the steady yards over the middle, but I, I think stop the big play. I think you're right. D's massive because I think you've got to keep this close. I think if you if you can keep it close, I look at the two teams, the overtime wins that the Bengals have gone through this season, and there's been, what, five? Five overtime wins? It's been a lot. Um, I just think that ability to do that kicks in. It's like It's like nature. It's like, okay, we know if it's a close game late, we're going to win this because that's what we do. So I think that's, I think you're so right. But let's flip it to the other side. What are the areas of you as a Bengals fan? Are you worried about when it comes to the Rams and what they're able to do, where they might try and take this game away from the Bengals early or throughout the game? Um, I think, I think obviously, you know, their core is, is massive. Uh, it's huge for them and they've just been unstoppable. But I, I think if we take our eye off the run too much, then we'll we'll get unhinged. Like I say, if if we can if we can keep their run in check and then we make Stafford go through his reads once, twice, three times, then then potentially we can we can we can pinch it. But that's gonna depend on actually getting to grips with their O line. And their O line is just outrageous. That's that's where I feel that they're going to win. It's Stafford as well. I mean, like like I said earlier, Murph, for a neutral, it's a great game because who wouldn't want to see Stafford win the Super Bowl? I would, just not this year, um, <laughs> because you know he's gone through those he's gone through those hard years at the Lions, and I think he deserves a shot at it. Uh, he is he's to be underestimated at the parents as well. He is such a quality um, quarterback. A lot of picks he's thrown. It's just not that big a deal. It, he he's he's too good. He's gonna not be rushed. He's gonna take his chances when he sees them. Uh, and that O line, you know, they're gonna give him all the time in the world for it. And and I think if we can keep Burrow on his feet as well, that's really important. But I don't think he's gonna remain on his feet all game. I think he's gonna be. I mean, it, the way the way that he scrambled against the Chiefs was unbelievable. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was like um, it was like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson in their heyday. You know, he was really moving well, really well. So, so I think I think it comes down to their two lines uh, and ours as well. But I, I do think they've got the edge on us on that one. I mean, do you, yeah. No, do you think, in terms of the Bengals? So obviously, they're not just playing in a Super Bowl, which is a big enough occasion. Well, they're playing in the Super Bowl in the Rams stadium in their own backyard. Do you think that's a, a massive advantage for the Rams? Or do you actually think that's a distraction and something that the Bengals can exploit? Because there's a lot of distractions there for players. They're at home. It's not like the pandemic. You know, it's very different from last year where players were still quarantining and, you know, they weren't doing much. Do you think this year there is even a slight advantage to the fact that the Bengals are playing in a in in their venue in their yard, or, or do you think actually the Bengals are significantly disadvantaged? I think, I, and I don't really know why, but I think it's better that we're playing at the Rams 
Um, I, I don't think, like, like you say, there was no kind of advantage gained last year because it was such a peculiar year. You know, it, it, it was just a place. It was coincidental that it was for Tampa. Um, but I don't think really the books gained anything from that. Not over, not over that they just they just totally lost the Chiefs this year. Um, I think it brings pressure as well. I think it brings pressure to the Rams. I genuinely do. I think because we are just about still, although people are getting a bit carried away, I think we're still the underdogs and we're the away team. Um, I, I think in a really funny kind of way, the way that we've ground results out that we have this season, um, I, I think it suits us. I don't think it'll give us an advantage per se, but I think it suits us. Yeah, I, I, I think it's massive. I think... You know, traveling there, you'd be able to be in your own little camp, not going to get caught away with the distractions of, of what's going on in the big city. I think um, it's going to be important. Uh, and I think when you're at home, you can't isolate people in a hotel for seven days when they live five miles down the road. It's, it's almost a bit unnecessary. So I think I think there is something there that, that, that could be a massive advantage. What about Joe Mixon? Because this postseason, he's not been vintage Mixon. He's flashed and he's had a useful role, but he's not been the game wrecker, game winner that we kind of have expected of Mixon in previous years. Obviously, there's been some injuries, uh, not so much this year, but especially last year, the year before, he had a significant amount of injuries. How important is Mixon's role in this game? And do you think Mixon can make a lot of difference in, in this game? It kind of depends where we are with the score. Obviously, um, but yeah, I do. I, I think he can make. I think he can make a difference. I, I know what you're saying. He's been. There was a um, a couple of weeks productivity, and he was hitting paid two, three times um, again and again. He was he was scoring, but it just seemed to be the way that we were moving the chains on those weeks. We were getting close down to the to the um, the, the um, end zone, and. We had a fresh set of downs and we brought him in. He he hasn't broken off a lot of big runs. I mean, he's churned up the, the yards for us. He's chewed through those. He's he's had another great season. I I think he is still important, even if he do, doesn't play massively into it. My, I'm, so I'm a big fan of, of Jenks. I've got a, a, a mix of top on because the, the last what, three or four, apart from a really weird uh, Andy Dalton top, which is the only quarterback top I've ever owned. But it was um, uh, Cedric Bankson before then, and then, like I was saying, before Rudy Johnson. So it's always been running backs. But digressing, sorry. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, really, he's really important. Uh, but he's not the best blocker. So he, he tend, And that's why we see P. Ryan in a lot of the third downs. Mm-hmm. If he was a better blocker, and if he was that in there for, if he was a, a true three down back, then. I think the game would um, revolve more around him. We started the season, you know, grinding out the ground game. But as Burroughs has kind of, as they've taken the train wheels off Burroughs, and as he started to really open his arm and throw and, and control the way the ball went, there hasn't been much need. He's, he's still been important. And I think he will have a big play, a big uh, part to play. But I, I think I think this game's going to be played through the air on both sides. Which the neutrals will love. <laughs> the neutrals will, will absolutely love it. Um, so we've come to that part now where I'm going to press you 
think I know which way you're going to go in terms of picking a winner, but I want to know what your score prediction is and who you think will be the Super Bowl MVP for Super Bowl 56. Um, I, I, I think, I genuinely think that the way that both teams have got here, um, whoever the quarterback is on the winning team will get the MVP. It kind of stands to reason, really, in a way, because, like we were saying, Ch- Chase has been superb. Mm. As a unit, our D-line has been superb. But there hasn't been a real standout. Hendrickson has, definitely, but he hasn't mm. been head and shoulders above. Like, if you looked at the Browns or somebody like that, you know you, you, you know who you're talking about when you're looking at their D-line. Um, this kind of obviously sort of alludes to the fact that I think, I think we're going to win. So I think we're going to have the MVP, I hope. Um, as far as the score, um, a mate of mine was asking this morning, actually, was saying, go on, you never, you never bet on the Bengals. You always go against. So there's always something for you to, you know, some silver silver lining. I, yeah. I think, and I had to pick, a, I had picked like a, an arbitrary score out that painted us as a winners. So I went 25-22 um, because... That again, talking about the, um, the the games that have happened throughout the year, the overtime loss to the Packers, twenty five twenty two, when Crosby was missing kicks left, right, and centre, mm-hmm. and then McPherson stood up and he missed, and he celebrated, thinking it had gone through, and then yeah. we realised that we missed, and, and 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 they walked away with a win. That was that was one of the the, the worst. I say the worst games, but I think we. Learned a lot from that. So I'm going to go with that as a score, 25-22. I mean, he's on my jersey next year, definitely. He's just been fantastic. Love the kids. What a kicker. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm going to go with Burroughs as MVP, 25-22 win. There we go. Well, you've, you've, heard, you've heard how I think this game ends, and it, it, I think it ends with... McPherson kicking it so I've got a lot of love for this kid as well and think he's absolutely superb so um, I have all my fingers and toes crossed for you um, for Sunday um, we've got a couple of Bengals in our Patreon chat not just yourself as Hannah as well um, so I know there's more Bengals fans than there are Rams fans in, in the chat um, so I will have all my fingers and toes crossed for you tell anyone who is listening who's a Bengals fan um, where they can find you if they ever want to interact and put Bengals fans together. Because I, I know I've met a couple, but they're, they, they're not a lot. So it'd be good to good to have <laughs> some connection. There isn't a lot, and that's for a good reason as well. But, you know, we'll grow, and we'll start to grow, I think, now as well. I think it. so. Um, I, I can't. It's, it's not that I'm particularly elusive, but I can't really be found. I'm not on Twitter. I don't do any of that kind of thing. Re- really, all of my uh, all of my chat is is through yourself, Murph, and Five Yard Rush. Obviously, you know it, it's superb. Anyone that isn't on there, anyone that's, that's listening to this, watching this casually, get yourself involved. It's absolutely brilliant. Hannah, as well. I know she's going to be really, really excited. We've been chatting. Um, so, so really, you know, if, if you want to talk to a couple of really good, honest, excited, involved Bengals fans, look on Five Yard Rush and you'll find us there. 
Yeah, so there you go. Join the Patreon. There you go. That's a better yeah, advert than I can come up with. So I'm going to clip that and take it. But yeah, I, absolutely. It's all sorts of fans in the Patreon chat. Um, but absolutely brilliant. Um, love chatting in that group. And I think it's quite special. Um, we come through the season and we all got better as as fantasy players uh, just by connecting and sharing. So um, appreciate you joining. Like I said, all my fingers, all my toes are crossed for you. I really hope that, um, you know, it's, it's a great game for one and that, you know, you'll be celebrating with your, your crew. I I'm slightly disappointed. I haven't got an invitation to the, uh, amazing feast, but you know, I'll let you off. <laughs> I'll let you off. Maybe, maybe in the future I might get crashed one year. <laughs> we, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. That'd be brilliant. Every, anybody is welcome. Absolutely. Uh, we're just a bit too far North. For, for a lot of you guys as well being up this end. That's true. But, you know, I, I, I was swayed with wings. <laughs> 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 wings will get me going a long way, I promise you. But no, uh, as always, really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you joining in and and everything you do with the Patreon and, and just getting involved. But just, you know, like I said, best of luck uh, on Sunday. And fingers crossed, uh, McKixon kicks it and uh, he says... <laughs> We're going to lift the Lombardi trophy. That's uh, that's what I'm praying for. But yeah, best of luck. Uh, best of luck for, for Sunday, David. Cheers, man. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. And we're getting ready to come towards the end of this show. Uh, be there with just an announcement in just a second from now. So don't uh, don't hold back. He's got his Bengals hat. <laughs> so don't go away. Uh, stay right there. We'll be back after the break. Well, there you have it, Rush Nation. You have heard the tale of the tape. We've had supporters from each side, knowledgeable supporters from each side. We've had amazing guests. We've had Jeff Reinbold break through the analysis of the game, where this game's going to be won and lost for both teams. We've had Nat Coombs summarize the season and the feeling of the game and just giving you his general opinions and feelings for the Super Bowl itself. We've had Lee and I talk about the 2021 season, revisiting all the controversies and everything that has happened uh, with some current event insight as well. You've had me talk about the statistical side of the game, where the stats line up and the differences where this game can be won or lost based on those. So you've had everything. Uh, We're giving away a jersey. Don't forget to sign in. Um, All you need to do is log in and uh, to your YouTube account, subscribe, and then leave a comment in there of who you think will win the Super Bowl, and then also the team you support, just out of curiosity. So team you support, and also the team uh, you think will win the Super Bowl. And we will close this up in about a week or so. Um, So, you know, get entering. And, you know, it'd be great to give this away to... Uh, a well-deserved fan. So there's got to be a minimum amount of entries. All the details are here in the show. Uh, make sure you get entering if you're listening to this. On the audio version, we're only giving away, as I've mentioned previously, on the YouTube channel. So make sure you get over there and uh, go give that a watch. Now, all that's left to do is is play the game. So take it away, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford. It's time to shine. It's time for you to make your country and your teams and your uh, towns proud. 
So good luck, fellas, and enjoy the game. Actually, I'm not done. <laughs> uh, as like any good uh, concert, music concert that goes on, probably a little bit too long and people think, oh, that was amazing, time to go. Uh, there is an encore, and uh, it's an encore. I'm uh, very proud and happy to introduce, and I'm looking forward to this one. You know, like the last 12 months, um, being a supporter of a team that has won the Super Bowl has been incredible. Uh, you know, second time for me experiencing it. Definitely enjoyed this one a lot. And what will be a new tradition in these shows is to reflect on the team that won it all last year and talk about that team and what it's like. But this one is a little bit different because the quarterback who was the MVP just 12 months ago has left the game, has retired, has gone down as the all-time greatest quarterback, probably player this league has ever seen. Some might debate that. Seven Super Bowl titles. So I felt it was important to tell that story while we can and uh, share that experience. So stay tuned for a very, very special interview with a very special individual who... Might you might not know the name, but you certainly will be familiar with the work, and you'll see what I mean when uh, it comes through. Of course, if you've seen this from the start, you'll know exactly who it is. Uh, but I'm very humble to spend some time with this individual who took some time out with a busy schedule uh, just to talk to me about the impact of uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and Tom Brady. And it's an incredible story. There's a lot of great a- anecdotes in here, even if you're not a Bucks fan, uh, if you're just curious about how these guys in the media get these stories and how they work them and the impacts and and what it does but also the legacy of one of the greatest players if not the greatest player ever to to do it so um stay tuned <laughs> you're not done uh and enjoy this very very special interview and i promise you this will be the last so thank you so much for tuning in thank you so much for everything that you do for this podcast and keeping us going and this uh, last segment is for all of you out there, but especially you Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. Enjoy. You didn't really believe that I was uh, I was done, right? After four hours of this show and not much Buccaneers talk, you can really believe that I was going to let it go like that without a last finale. Well, you're not disappointed, and I have an amazing guest, someone who I met luckily a few years ago when they came over here, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to uh, London and we had a beer and we covered the game and it was great to get to know him. Um, I'm pleased he's on uh, someone I've wanted to get on here for a long time, but it seems fitting with Super Bowl week to have him on. He's a writer for the Tampa Bay times. He covers the Buccaneers. He's broken some of the biggest stories in the NFL, not just this year, but especially this year, uh, but we've also years past, and you'll know a lot of his work, even if you don't recognize the name. It's Rick Stroud. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? What's up? It's great to be with you. I know uh, we had a couple of false starts there, but it's been a little busy with Brady's retirement and so much going on here. And now here we are, Super Bowl week. I know, Super Bowl week. It's a shame that Tampa aren't in it for the second year in a row. It was, it really just came down to one game with the Rams. Uh, I really genuinely believed if 
if we beat the Rams, I genuinely believe we would be here. I really felt that game was the winner of the, the NFC. I thought that was the NFC title game. Did you kind of get the same feeling that that was the case? I do. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it, it was disappointing. You know, the, the injuries, I think, caught up to them. Obviously not having Tristan Wirfs. Uh, Tom was hit 17 times. And yet, through all of that, you know, they, they were so resilient to come back and only Brady could bring you back down 24 points, right? And they scored the touchdown, and, and I, I looked at my colleague, Joey Knight, and I was like, he's going to do it again. You know, like, this is unbelievable. And then, you know, you had the unfortunate – really, two plays on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, the first uh, completion of Cooper Cup, because they're out of timeouts, you know, Sean Murphy Bunting actually steps on him and, and falls down. And, and Cup, because of that, is able to not only make the play, but gets out of bounds. And so that extends the clock. Um, which and then then they hit the big shot play on the on the you know zero blitz, which I think Todd Bowles will be questioning for life uh, why why he played that particular coverage. They didn't play it well. Um, it wasn't executed to say the least. But yeah, I would agree with you. I think that if um, you know and 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 really the Rams would have been almost a Falcons like collapse. You know they did it in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, but we'd be talking about how the Rams had um you know such a big lead and they let tom brady do it to him and i I think a home game in the nfc championship in tampa against the 49ers and jimmy garoppolo um i think the bucks would have handled that and they'd be in la this week but wasn't in the cards and um you know tom brady still decided to go out and and i think he goes out on top because of the kind of year he had and um the top of the charts you know in, in passing yards and touchdowns and certainly nothing to be uh to be disappointed about what he did no, absolutely not. We'll, we'll get to Tom in, in a moment because it's one of the key reasons I wanted to get sure. you on. Um, but I just want to talk about you because you, you've had a phenomenal year. I mean, I've followed your work for a very long time, but some of your stories this year just were absolutely, I mean, they just caught fire. I, I hit, I'm, hit, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm like, oh yeah, Rick Stroud, it's happened many times. I'm like, oh my God, I know this guy. It's amazing. But I mean, yeah. you broke, um, broke the story with AB and his chef and the vaccination card. Uh, Urban Meyer and um, the story with Josh Lambeau. I mean, obviously, it, it's your your job. It's what you you get paid to do, and you've done it a long time. And one of the more seasoned writers out there. But what's it like when you catch one of those stories, and then breaking of it, and that process of having to deal with the phone calls and the lawyers and <laughs> and the social media aspect? Because I know when the AB thing came out, you got a lot of heat for that. Yeah. Yeah, that that was an unkind 15 days until until the league uh, actually suspended AB, um, and then and then a lot of people were upset about that. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you never know. You get a lot of bleeds. And having done this a long time, I'm obviously well connected with the team and 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 people outside the league. But um, the one about Antonio Brown, and of course, we live in such a weird time with COVID and you know, the league deciding and changing the protocols all the time. And, and their idea was they wanted as many people vaccinated as possible. And so um, they had to show proof of that. They were doing vaccines, uh, vaccinations at the facility. Uh, and, and so, you know, they would send these cards up to the league from the teams that had to document the authenticity. And really, how do you document that, right? Because so much of this stuff is private medical information. You can't really cross-check a lot of it. Um, but be that as it may, uh, I got a tip. There, there was a disgruntled former employee of Antonio Brown's who was a chef. And, and let me tell you, the, the list is long for formal disgruntled employees of Antonio Brown, who has a habit of not paying guys. Um, he was suspended 
essentially over a dispute like that where you assaulted a, a moving van driver. So it was one of those deals where I was like, do I really want to dig into this right now? I don't know who these people are. He clearly has an ax to grind. Um, you know, and, and I and I let the Bucks, the funny thing is, is I let the Bucks know everything I knew while I when I found out about it. And um, I called them right away and I kind of asked, hey, do you do you have like a, a vaccination, like a fake vaccination card problem? And they're like, don't know that we would. How would that be? I don't know how that would even be possible. And I said, well, why wouldn't it be possible? He goes, well, I would think we'd have a ton of, uh, of guys with COVID. And I said, well, you've had, you've had a couple, but you've had one in particular right off the start, which was Antonio Brown. But they didn't think it was anything. And um, as we dug further, the story got a little weird. Um, but, you know, everything I checked with this guy, um, the chef, Stephen Ruiz, he had, you know, it, 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 it checked out and he had receipts. You know, he had the email exchanges with um, AB's girlfriend and you know, the things he told me um, that occurred and when they occurred. You just do more reporting. And, you know, the one thing I'll say is that, uh, you know, I was very careful with that story. It was, it was one that and I haven't done this much. We, I spent an hour on the phone with lawyers making sure we were being fair and um, you know, could, could document everything we needed to. And yet uh, it was disappointing because I think the Bucks were in such a sort of protective mode that, um, you know, it, it, it kind of went sideways with them a little bit, you know, and, and, and not with BA and, and, and the people that I, that I usually deal with daily, but some of the front office folks were not happy with me to say the least. And I don't think some of the players were either. Um, but for 15 days, you know, the social media thing was, was, was kind of live. And then, um, and then they, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Bucks, they suspended three, two players, um, Mike Edwards, uh, who was still on the team and, and, uh, Antonio. And I really think that in a weird way, uh, it changed Antonio. Now he, he would not have played in two of those games cause he was hurt. Um, but he would have played against the saints, which we know they just needed it really. It was a nine to nothing game, but it was six to nothing for the longest time. He would have made a difference in that game. But when he came back, even the coaches recognized that, it, that something was different about AB, that he was, uh, he felt, I don't know what the word would be, but he, he didn't feel the love from the organization. He had asked them to pay him forward with some performance bonuses that they wouldn't do. And, um, you know, even though he went to Carolina and had a great game and, and, and they needed him and he won that game, um, you know, the episode that happened with the New York Jets was really sort of almost inevitable in a way in the, you know, after two years with him, there was going to be a, a blow up and it played out publicly and it was ugly. And you know, I don't think it was a distraction all that much for how they played, but yeah, that's, that story was, you know, was one that you just keep relying on your reporting and, and uh, you follow the trail. And then the Josh Lambeau thing was really a little fluky for me. I don't cover the Jaguars um, per se. I do the NFL uh, mostly I do the bucks. That's my full-time job. And, uh, I happened to have a contact that was very familiar with this story that brought it to me. Uh, I didn't know Josh Lambeau personally. Um, but he certainly had a story to tell and spent a lot of time. That was a quick one. That was maybe 24 hours. Um, when I started writing it and let the Jaguars know at eight 30 in the morning, um, they went through their legal counsel. We went back and forth. Urban Meyer was still coaching. He coached that afternoon. And then eventually, um, you know, got a kind of a threatening letter from his lawyer, uh, talked to one of the other players that were involved. And uh, eventually it came back that um, 
you know, we wrote the story because it, it was true. Uh, and then at 1240 something our time the next morning, um, I had gone to bed and I realized that the Jaguars had in fact fired Urban Meyer after that story was published. So, um, yeah, I, in the state of Florida, I think the Dolphins were glad I didn't walk through the door because I had gotten one player suspended in Tampa and helped get a coach fired in Jacksonville. So, yeah, Miami didn't want to see me anytime soon. Well, they have their own issues with Brian Flores and this legal lawsuit <laughs> that they got to deal with. So if you've broken true. that, you'd have had the state crown and the trifecta. But I yeah. somehow think that the Jags organization, especially the Jags fans, probably thank you for <laughs> having an excuse to get rid of Urban Meyer. I, so, I, you know, I attended the University of Florida. I, I Just before Urban Meyer was there, yeah. um, know people who were on Urban Meyer's teams. And yeah. There's not a lot of positive things that people no. say about that man. So, uh, but you know, I'm not gonna. I save that for another day. People know how I feel about Urban Meyer, so I can't say that I was sad to see him uh, go. But let's talk about the the Super Bowl champions. At least the current yeah. Super Bowl champions. We're recording this on Thursday, mm-hmm. couple couple of days uh, before they get dethroned. Um, obviously, everyone talks about well, Brady came and then you know won the thing um, with with the Buccaneers and. That's not really giving enough credit to BA and Jason Light and the way that these teams were were built. I mean, obviously Brady was a very large cherry on top of a cake, but you know he wasn't the only piece. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Because obviously you've been reporting the team for a number of years. I I've followed the team for over twenty years, and it was a rough patch there for a good twelve years. You know, there was some bad players and bad teams there. What was it like with the momentum building prior to Brady, and then when Brady came, and then it taking the rocket ship all the way up north, like to supersonic levels. Well, when I saw you last in London, um, that that was the beginning of the end of Jameis Winston. And so we mm-hmm. went through five seasons uh, of, of this organization, drafting a quarterback number one overall. It was a, a polarizing pick because so, some of the history he had at Florida mm-hmm. State. Um, and I'll say this about Jameis. He worked hard at it. Um, he was passionate about it. He still is. Uh, he went to the worst football team in, in, in the NFL. That, that's what number one picks do. Uh, that's what Trevor Lawrence did. And that's what Joe Burrow did just a couple years ago. So it's hard to come in and, and, and kind of be put up there as the savior of a franchise when you really don't have a lot of great players. I mean, Mike Evans was here. Some of the offensive linemen were here. They weren't completely without talent. But they certainly got better the longer Jameis stayed. Um, but he didn't get better. And he had, you know, the big coaching change. And I think Jameis really would have made it. At one point, he was 7-7 seven and seven in his final year. Um, and he had just come off back-to-back games where he threw for like 460 yards. And I said, you know what, if they if they finish 9-7 and seven or he plays well these last two games, I think he's going to be back. And then uh, really the, the, two, the last two games, they should have won both of them in his career ironically ended with a with a pick six which Mm -hmm. is how it began you know his first pass in the nfl was a pick six against the titans and his and his last pass for the bucks was also a pick six and i i recognized coming off the field that 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 was it for bruce arians and i know he only had one year with him i think byron Lepwich and clyde christensen the quarterbacks coach would have liked to have had more time um but he wasn't going to get any and then you know they they go into free agency Jameis is sort of in the mix um, they're looking at guys like Teddy Bridgewater and, and I was at the Super Bowl in Miami when the 49ers were playing Kansas City and I talked to Clyde and he says I'm sitting here watching tape of Tom Brady can you believe this and I was like well 
he's a free agent, but I, I can't imagine he would leave New England. He goes, neither do I. He goes, but I'm telling you, I'm watching this guy. And he goes, he hadn't lost anything. Like, his last, I've gone back four years. His arm is still strong. Um, you know, he, it's remarkable at age 42 at that time. Um, and as they went through the process, by the time we got to February, you know, B.A. was talking about the one quarterback he would pick up the phone for would be Tom. They had a good football team where Tom doesn't come. I mean, Tom was very calculating about where he wanted to go next. I think being on the East Coast was a factor um, simply because his son is in New York. Um, and But he did his homework. And even having said that, they added to it, right? Whatever Tom Brady wanted, I don't think the Bucks ever said no, you know, starting with the trade for Rob Gronkowski and, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette coming here off of waivers and, you know, you can go, you know, AB was a big one, after, you know, eight weeks into the season to get him on the roster. Uh, and so, you know, it, it took a lot of work. He absolutely changed the culture um, of the organization. And, and, you know, it's so funny. It's a chicken and the egg question. Everybody comes in and says, well, we got to change the culture. Well, the culture is winning, right? You have to, you kind of have to win. Um, and, and Tom knew how to do that, but he knew how to prepare. Uh, and he, you know, I think everybody, it's hard to describe when a player that's that iconic comes into your building, mm -hmm. everybody gets better and knows they have to get better. You know, I have to report better. The cook has to cook better. Uh, you know, the trainers have to be better. The staff cleans up has to be. So there was this immediate sort of aura about him, but he's, he's one of the most humble guys you'll ever meet for a superstar like that. Um, and again, you talk about that, the belief, right, that, that everybody had in him. And they knew they had a chance as soon as he showed up. They, they, you know, they knew what they had. They had good football players and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and they added to that. Um, it took a while. They were seven and five, and then, uh, man, when they when they got hot, especially on defense and turning the ball over and stuff, um, you know, propelled them to the Super Bowl. So it was, you know, Tampa Bay during this time, they won two Stanley Cup championships. The the baseball team with the Rays went to the World Series and then won the American League. So. Uh, we were Champa Bay there for a yeah. while, and and you can credit Brady or not, but he was a big, big part of it. Uh, and, and, you know, these Super Bowls are so hard to win. It's only the second one this team had won. But to your point, they had not been to the playoffs in 12 years. I mean, they, they had a lot of losing seasons. I think there were only a couple winning seasons through all of that and, and changed coaches about every two or three years. So it was some dark, gloomy times. Um and it's 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 hard for Bucks fans right now. They're, they're obviously sad about about Brady. It, it was I, I've compared it to like a meteor. I mean, it, he came across and it was bright and it was loud and 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 everybody looked up and 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 then it was over, you know. And um, uh, but twenty nine wins in two seasons, uh, a Super Bowl, you know, a couple playoff uh, games at home. It's been an unbelievable ride, and now they. have they got to figure out how to how to go from here and pick up the pieces. Yeah, because I mean, it, it, it's just unbelievable to have. I mean, for you, right? You you you've gone from covering, you know, <laughs> Jameis Winston. Mm -hmm. You know, before that, you know, we've had Garcia, we've had uh, Josh King, and a number of uh, of quarterbacks all the way through. Yeah. Josh Freeman. Um, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's like we've gone from rookie, young, or very experienced, probably past the hill quarterbacks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's well, Tom Brady walks in, the the goat, the NFL star. 
what is i mean what was what was that like for you finding out that you were going to get to cover and then what's it like actually covering <clears throat> covering tom brady like in terms of i imagine everything is different not just to the fact of you're covering such a superstar but the presence on you because now people are taking the lines that you're getting from press conferences and then redistributing that so what i mean what what's it like for you covering such a major sports star, like the biggest sports star probably on the planet right now well it is uh it is all consuming um you know he he is a uh he's a celebrity as much as he is a quarterback and a humble one at that but has a lot of outside interests and i think getting to tampa bay uh, allowed him to show a lot more of his personality, allowed him to uh, do even more off the field, um, you know, whether it was TB12 or, or you know, his, his movie uh, of his life that he's still producing. Um, and, and and Tom, you know, unfortunately for us, the first year because of the pandemic was exclusively Zoom calls. I mean, we didn't actually – we weren't in the same room with Tom Brady for the first season, which is remarkable to me when I think about it. He knew who we were because he saw our faces this way, the way we're doing this now. Um, but there wasn't that interaction that you would normally get um, with any any player on the team, much less the quarterback. And so, um, you know, he was accommodating. Um, I got to meet him the first time personally at the Hall of Fame last year in August. I went up there uh, because John Lynch was getting inducted. Yeah. And, and – um, so was Peyton Manning and, and Peyton and Tom, even though they were great rivals or great friends and have been for a number of years. And I think Tom flew up Bruce Arians and, you know, Tom Moore and Clyde because they had coached Peyton. And I think he wanted them to, to be there as much as anything. Um, but my wife and I got there early and we we're down on the floor. We, we, we were in John Lynch's area and I knew Tom was coming and uh, he got there fairly early. And I said, let, let's go, you know, let's go over there right away. And, and, um, that was, you know, I'd done a whole season and they won a Super Bowl, Uh, and that was the first time I actually got to really shake his hand, talk to him for a while, went backstage when he was talking to Peyton Manning and some others. Uh, and then, you know, I had the only one-on-one with him in September of this year or this past year. And we talked a lot about TB12, but we, we just, we just talked ball and, and, uh, it wasn't a long interview. The one thing I'll say about Tom is when you're around him, whether it was at the Hall of Fame or really any time, and this is true with his coaches, like for a guy as busy as he is, he's so present. Like he will, he he is into the conversation. He is looking you in the eye. Um, uh, you never see him with his cell phone. You never see him hurried. Um, you know to get to somewhere else. He is he is where his feet are and um, extremely personable. His his leadership really style is is one of caring he really does care for his teammates um they of course all of them grew up watching him you know play nfl football and some are literally half his age um but he's always got his hand out hey i'm tom brady and they're like yeah no shit you are you know it's it's like (laughs) um but that's that's who he is and he relates to everybody and he wants he takes personal interest in them and he'll spend time with them take them out to dinner take their wives out with them and and um I think, I think the guys were blown away by that. I think they, and, and I know we were, um, you know, just just watching him, him socially interact, and you can see. Um, obviously, he can still get it done on the field, but you can see what he does off the field that makes him such a great leader. Uh, and you know, uh, so that 
that's kind of what and covering him was a dawn dawn to midnight thing because you'd wake up at 6 a.m and there might be a you know there might be a video that he's done i mean he has these great social media teams there might be um you know just just any number of things he had his podcast on monday nights you know he, he's very active and was even more active when he was in tampa so but it was fun. It was, it's, you know, there are two sides of the NFL. There's the side that Buck fans have had to go through for a dozen years uh, where you don't want to be. Uh, and then there's the other half um, where you have a quarterback that gives you a chance and much less. There's very few of these guys, right? There's only mm-hmm. been a couple in league history. So it is, I can't imagine what it was like for those, for those uh, Boston writers or New England writers or, or, or media that had him for 20 seasons. A lot of them, Trust me, you talk about, you know, my stories being well-read. Well, a lot of those guys <laughs> got network jobs out of it because uh, if you covered Tom Brady, um, there's a lot of eyes on your work because there's just so much interest in him and for good reason. So it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was it was nice, you know, a different storyline. You know, we don't root for teams, but I, I root for stories, and, and that's been two years of, of just a, a really good, you know, storyline here. Yeah, absolutely. And – it's just it's it is literally a blink and you miss it. it it's unbelievable yeah. to think that as soon as he's come, he's won the Super Bowl. He he leads the team to a thirteen win season, which has never happened. Mm-hmm. And then that's it, he's gone. Boof. <laughs> and then, then it's, it's with that, you know, the Buccaneers are now in the same place they were two years ago. Yep, without a quarterback, with some talent, but it it, it it's amazing how things are the you know somehow always pivot back to that point um in terms of then his legacy because his legacy in tampa is cemented he's won a super bowl set a lot of different franchise record marks even at the age that he was in terms of the you've talked about the culture and he changed the culture how confident are you because the players talk about how much of an impact he's had but how how are they going to retain that culture? Because he's gone. You know, I think most people probably expected another year. Um, And he has, you know, these players are used to winning, but some of them are going to go in free agency. Um, And this team is going to look very different in, in, in August. So how do they maintain that culture of winning and the lessons that they would have taken from Tom Brady to, to have a run at the NFC South, because let's be honest, it's a bit of a car crash division as it stands right now, heading to next year. You know, people are writing off saying, well, that's Tampa done. And I'm looking at the division thinking, you're not looked at the rest. I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the path to winning the division is not as tough as it was two years ago, three years ago. So yeah, what, what for you, how do they maintain this Tom Brady bounce that they should be getting out of this? Well, I, I think it's going to be hard. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that there's a, a young core of players still here and some veterans too. And and look, they're, they're going to, you know, everybody get, kind of gets hung up on the salary cap and how many free agents. Um, I, I think we've learned that that's an accounting principle as much as anything. And they will find a way to, to try to, you know, secure as many of those guys as possible. So they still have a really good football team. But they can't underestimate how important a quarterback is in, in the National Football League. I mean, there's just not that many guys that win Super Bowls. And the two that are playing on Sunday, you know, they're elite. I mean, Joe Burrow's done this in his second year, but he won a national championship. Uh, he won the Heisman Trophy, and he could uh, become the first one to win a Super Bowl, all three of those. Um, and, 
So, you know, and yet I, I think this team got into the habit of winning. And more than that, they got into the habit of not beating themselves. You know, I think for years, um, so many games in this league are lost more than they're won. And, you know, you have to protect the football. You can't make commit a lot of penalties. Um, you know, you, you have to know when to take chances. And, um, you know, you, you have to take the ball away. And, and there are certain sort of, you know, benchmarks that, that I think, you know, every game turns on. And you have to find a way to win games when maybe you're not playing that well. You know, that was the other thing. I mean, Brady, not everything went perfectly. And um, I think this team learned how to be resilient. I think they learned how to prepare. Uh, and I think I think mostly they learned that, uh, you know, if they don't beat themselves, they're going to win. You know, they're going to win games. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's not about style points. It's not about how many touchdowns some guy throws or catches. It's just about winning. And so you had to be unselfish. And, and these guys really bonded together. And they, it was a special group. And, it, and they kept them together for two years. No, no team is the same year to year. But this one had a lot of the same players. I don't know how many of those will be back. I suspect a lot of them will. But it will be different. Um, you hope that guys like Devin White grow up and they're better. You hope that, you know, Joe Tryon, Shawinka becomes an elite pass rusher, which he's purely capable of. Um, so you hope for some growth and development of these guys because a lot of these young players have, have been on the biggest stages. They've played on Monday night and Thursday night. They've played in playoff games. They've made big plays in playoff games. They've won a Super Bowl. Those are experiences that, you know, you really draw on uh, in your career if you're fortunate enough to have them early. And so I, I don't know how long that will last, to be quite honest with you. Um, it lasts until you hit that first bit of adversity, right? When you when you lose one or two in a row, we'll see. Um, but until unless they get the quarterback position solved, it's really hard to win in this league. You know, it's hard to win games. And um, so I think that'll be the key to the offseason. I think they know that. Uh, but these players recognize that they whoever's back there that they uh, they gotta they gotta play big for whoever it is. You know, they're, they're going to have to help that guy out. It's not going to be Tom Brady. And, and yet, whoever's back there is going to be compared to what Brady did these last two years. Um, but they got a taste of it. You know, there, there's, a, there's a definite taste of winning um, that's a little, little like a drug that you want more of it. And, um, and I, I, I think you're right. I think the NFC South is wide open. Uh, outside of Matt Ryan, who's getting up there in age, no one really has a quarterback in this division. Um, so this team – this team could win it, and yet it's going to be hard for any of those teams in terms of a record because um, I think the Bucs and most of the NFC South teams, they, the Bucs play seven teams that, are in the po that were in the postseason mm. um, outside of the division, not you know because they were obviously the only one that made it in this division, but they play the San Francisco's and Arizona's and um, Kansas City and you know Pittsburgh, and um, you know there, there's just a lot of, of tough games. Uh, the Rams, again, a lot of tough games on their schedule. So that'll be difficult as well. You know, a lot of it, how it falls, what injuries you have. I don't think they could be any more injured than they were this past year. And that's a big part of it too. You need to be a little lucky about that. But I, I think when they've signed Brady, I, I remember talking to Jason Light and he said, look, I don't know how long he'll be here. Maybe it'll just be two years. He said, but we hope he does for this organization, kind of what Peyton Manning did for Denver. Like, they were still had a bunch of really good football players on that team. They couldn't get the quarterback right either, and that's why they didn't make the playoffs after he left. But 
um, there still was a, a champion's heartbeat. And I, and I think they're counting on that. I mean, it would be a great legacy for Brady if this team rebounded and made the postseason yeah. next year. Not necessarily go and win it all, I think, you know, with a new quarterback. But if they can show that temperament and show that winning ability and win ugly and, sure. you know, win games that maybe they don't deserve to win and, and, and take some of that away, I think that will be the ultimate tribute um, mm-hmm. and legacy to Brady to say, well, look, we've got a team that couldn't, get out of their own way and, and we had a quarterback like James Winston who could lose games from winnable positions yeah. like it was going out of fashion and then I think if if they can turn it around it would show just how remarkable a leader he is because I think that's now what we what we want to see let's cover just very quickly because I'm conscious of time the the Super Bowl on Sunday what do you make of these two teams um how do you think the game's gonna go and i'm gonna press you for a a winner as well well i mean obviously i i wrote this before the season started i i felt like the rams took the bucks template you know um they were bold at the quarterback position i mean they had jared goff who had taken them or at least was their quarterback when they went to a super bowl and lost to tom brady and the patriots and uh and they traded them and they traded him for a more experienced guy with a lot of talent, not as old as Tom, but simply spent his whole career in Detroit. Uh, they felt they were they needed a guy who had um, a little more pedigree, a little more uh, experience, to say the least, and still had a terrific arm. And so they made that deal, and they gave up a lot. You know, they gave up a lot to get him, um, but they didn't stop there. You know, and, and I think they have continued to sort of mortgage their future and, and, and sacrifice draft picks over players that are known commodities versus really what's an unknown. I mean, I think about, you know, 50% of your first round picks don't make it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went all in and, and sort of the way the Bucks did a year ago. Um, and I think even like we said, right down to, to the stretch when they had some injuries, they had to go get Odell Beckham Jr. And then they make the trade for Von Miller, which was huge, I think mm-hmm. for them. And so, you know, it's amazing that you, you got 54 of these Super Bowls that have really never really been played in a home stadium until last year. And now we could have back, back-to-back teams uh, are now in their home stadiums and, and could win Super Bowls. So, you know, Matt Stafford's a great story. Cooper Cup has just ripped up the league when it comes to all the receiving marks. Um, they're, they're explosive on offense. But the, the, I think the strength of their team is their defensive front, front and, and they got a great corner, obviously, in Jalen Ramsey. They're vulnerable a little bit in the safety position, but Eric Weddle has come in after not playing for two years, and he's, he's playing at a high level. So they've got everything they need, including the home field, for whatever that's worth in the Super Bowl. I think they're the more talented team, but there's something special about this Bengals team. And mm. – you just don't turn it around that fast, man. You, you, I'm telling you, it's just not that easy to do. Uh, no one saw them winning their division this year, uh, much less getting this far and getting all the way to the Super Bowl. They hadn't been in the playoffs in 30 years. Um, and so, you know, uh, or, or hadn't won a playoff game in 30 years. And I think I think that the secret is their quarterback. I mean, Joe Burrow is unlike something we've seen in a while. And – you know, for him to have, and, and it didn't happen overnight for him. I mean, you know, he was, he was at Ohio state and they had to, you know, transfer to Georgia and, 
and, and or not Georgia, but uh, LSU and, and won the national championship there, but he's an Ohio kid. It means a lot to him to be playing in that state. Um, comes from a great family. I'm just trying to imagine what we will be talking, what will we be saying about Joe Burrow on Monday if, if he pulls this off, if he wins the Super Bowl. I mean, everybody was ready to, you know, hand the mantle to um, – well, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks, right? But I mean, a guy in Kansas City is pretty good, so they're ready to give it to him. Um, but I, but I just think that Burrow would put himself in a class, you know, that that we've not seen in a while. Uh, the way we would be talking about him, and yet it's not guaranteed. And and people are saying, well, you know, this is kind of house money. They weren't expected to be here. Uh, they're a young team. You don't know when you're going to get back to this game. And yeah. Dan Marino can tell you all about that. <laughs> Just ask Dan Marino. Yeah, he was there against Joe Montana in Stanford Stadium, and and you know, and I remember the the commercials and the soda. Hey, can I I'll buy next year that kind of thing, um, and it never happened for Dan Marino. So um, when you get this far, you have to win that game, and I I think the Bengals, they're the you know a little like the I mean when the Bucks went they they were a little seasoned they had been to the championship before. Um, but the Raiders, you know, had a great offense, and and uh, you know, I I just think that I just think we're seeing something special with the Bengals. I, I'm going to pick the Rams. I'll tell you that. I think the Rams win this game. I think they're the better team. I don't know how the Bengals will handle that defensive front. They I know they've fallen behind and come back before. I don't think you want to fall behind these guys too much in a Super Bowl, um, but. My heart kind of goes with the Bengals because I, I think they're the best story. I just and I love good stories, but um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Rams probably win it. And 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 I think it's a four point spread right now. I'm not really sure what that is, but if the if the Rams win and it could come down to a kick, we don't know. All these games have, but I I think it's probably gonna be uh, you know probably by a touchdown uh, if, if the Ram if it goes their way. But we'll see, man. That's why they play the games. You just you just never know when you get this far. No, just like last year when everyone thought that Mahomes and the Chiefs were going to be too good for the Buccaneers. That's and right. So not too many people wanted to pick the Buccaneers, and yeah, they didn't score any touchdowns, and that pretty <laughs> and it was one of the more one-sided Super Bowls we've seen yeah. in recent times. So, you know, as as you say, you got to play the games. Uh, I had a Bengals fan on, um, and you know he's he's quietly optimistic, and I think they should be. I think that. As you say, there's something special about this team. They, they're doing something. And I just think momentum is so important. We saw it last year. You covered it with, with Tampa. Yep. They go into the bye week. They get healthy. You mm -hmm. know, they come back against the Falcons. They get a bit. And then they go and whoop Carolina. And then they absolutely destroy the Lions. And all of a sudden, everyone's got a bit of swagger. They mm -hmm. go on the road to the the Reds or the football team. And then they go and win the Super Momentum's an amazing thing. It can propel yep. people to do things that that they never thought they could do. Um, I never, I couldn't think that the Buccaneers were ever going to win in the Superdome and they do. And, yeah. you know, and that, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's just, they have that momentum from week 17 when they handed it to the chiefs, they just, they just found a way to get it done. And I, I just, I can't bet against the team that just won't quit. That's the thing. I just <laughs> think when you've got a team that just won't quit, just yep. somehow they'll make it work. So it's going to be a great game. It's going to be one of the better Super Bowls I think we've had in recent times, especially from a neutral. I think it's going to be a lot in the air. It's going to be a close game, I hope. And yeah. I think it's going to be at least a bit of an offensive spectacle, which I think everyone kind of wants. So um, 
appreciate your opinions, appreciate your time as always. Tell everyone where they can engage, interact, read your work, find you, ask you questions. Uh, yeah. Uh, just get to know you all a little bit better. Yeah, we and we got a lot of, uh, of people uh, from the UK, of course, that followed mm-hmm. the Bucks. It was great meeting some folks over there. We, I hope we go back soon. I know there's a chance they may play a game in Germany at some point. So we'll yeah. see when we get back over. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Um, go to TampaBay.com uh, is uh, our website for our newspaper, the Tampa Bay Times. And also I host a podcast uh, called Sports Day Tampa Bay. And we've got, I don't know, 18, 20 different countries, uh, uh, folks that follow us. And, and uh, it's it, we do it five days a week, Monday through Friday, uh, with myself, Steve Burstink, my producer. And so um, – have a lot of fun with that as well. So Sports Day Tampa Bay, if you uh, if you want to listen uh, through the week. And it's a great podcast. And it isn't just about the Buccaneers. Uh, no. You obviously cover the Rays. Uh, you cover the Lightning. So sure. you cover all, all the Tampa sports. And you also cover college football in there once uh, once a week when the season starts. So, sure. And it's not just the Bulls. You know, you cover all the, all the teams in the state. So um, it's a fantastic podcast. It's something that's been on my regular listening for oh, many years now, uh, it feels like. And, uh, yeah, it's just even if you – even if you just, you know, Tom Brady's not there. It doesn't mean there's not a reason to listen. You know, there's no, plenty, no. plenty more stories that are going to come out in in recent times. And Rick's probably going to break something big about the Dolphins this year because it's due. <laughs> we'll see, man. We'll see. I got well, a triple crown right there. Yeah. Well, you, you've got to. I think it's only fair. Like maybe you'll maybe you'll find something on uh, I don't know tour or something. His <laughs> entourage. What really happened between him and Brian Flores? There you go. That's the one that someone always wants to know. But look, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you for all the work that you do, not just with the Buccaneers, but the breaking the story. It's just, you know, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to, to have you on. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much. That's it, everyone. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this Super Bowl show, almost five hours in now. But appreciate you uh, for listening. Enjoy the game wherever you are. Interact with us on Twitter. Catch me at Murph underscore NFL. Uh, catch us at Five Yard Rush. Look forward to hearing your predictions. Look forward to seeing your pictures. But most importantly, enjoy the game. And as always, don't forget, keep rushing. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.